that in there. No, no, it was just a video. Welcome in, everybody. It's Tesla Earnings. Happy Tesla Earnings Day. I have Herbert here uh, from Brighter with Herbert. Uh, we'll be doing a, a big old show today with a bunch of us in the room. Um, just a heads up, my dog got out a few minutes ago, and the whole family, I have my parents and my parents' friends all trying to chase him with uh, producer wife. So right now, it's just me and Herbert. I may have to step away depending on the situation, just to give you a heads up. So, Herbert, if I have to step away, would you mind just taking over for a little bit? <laughs> you bet. You bet. I'll do that. Thank no you, problem. brother. Thank you. Yeah, so, yeah. Where, where's your head at, man? Maybe give yourself an introduction to the audience. I think this is the first time I've had you on my channel, if I remember correctly. It is the first time. Thank yeah. you, guys. Thank you very much. So, my name is Herbert. I do have a YouTube channel called Brighter with Herbert, and I also cover Tesla. Um, I have a Twitter account called at Herbert Ong, and I think what makes me different is I'm a startup founder, I've uh, grew up with product management. So the way I look at Tesla is more at the business level, at the product level. Uh, in my Twitter, what I'm known for is I'm the milestones guy. So I keep track of all the activities that Tesla's doing, uh, both past and the future. And then um, and then, so what, with my channel, basically I do interviews. I talk to anybody that teaches me, I can make, make them a little bit brighter. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I invested in Tesla uh, 2012. So it's one of those things that uh, I'm, and I'm all in now after about a year ago. So I look at differently. I'm a long-term investor. I don't do momentum. I don't, uh, I've dabbled in options, but I'm not going to do that anymore. I think that, you know, the long-term strategy is really the, the way to go at this. So that's a bit about me. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you for the intro. Yeah, it's uh, it's always cool getting to sort of know some of the uh, long-term folks that have been out there. I think there's a lot of folks from back in 2012, 2013, even before then, that sort of saw this story uh, developing. And now we're more than 10 years later, and it's yeah. still sort of captivating uh, a lot of people. And it's just so cool to see it grow in scope and becoming more and more mainstream. Uh, so what are you expecting in about half an hour, Herbert? This is probably one of the most... <laughs> One of the most anticipated quarterly earnings reports out there for Tesla that I can remember in a while. Uh, yeah. What are you What are you expecting? What are What are you looking so, for? Yeah. Are you pooping your pants or are you just as as uh, calm as a cucumber? How are you feeling? I am calm as a cucumber because, like I said, it's not about this quarter and others. I've seen your tweets recently. I absolutely agree with everything you're saying about just you know it's all about strategy. But I actually do think that we're going to see margins at twenty percent, and the reason I do auto gross margin because oh. They found them. Other dogs. Oh, who knows? We'll see if it's the right one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, okay, here's why I'm thinking this way. So Zach in January, he was asked the question, what's your guidance? And he said, oh, I, th I think we'll still be able to hit 20% auto gross margin, right? And I think what he saw that no one else can see, not us or anybody else, is they have very clear visibility in the supply chain costs and the minerals costs and their transportation costs and the effic efficiency of their gigafactories. So he already knew in January that they were going to be able to hit this number. And as the months go by, of course, we're starting to see the inflation numbers. We're seeing things fall dram dramatically. They were ahead of that game. So it's a, it's a question of whether or not you trust what management has been saying and if you still believe them or you don't. If you've lost your confidence and you don't trust what they say, then of course you have the right to have a different opinion on all this. But I do think that um, I, I very much believe that when when they say something like this, that there's reasons why they did. Now, it's barring macro. It's barring macro. So anytime that they've been off, it's always because 
something happened in the macro environment that caused them to get off. So I still think they're going to hit their 20% margin. I'm very happy with the price cut. So I'd love to get Matt and, uh, and Emmett here and talk to them about, you know, the issues with the price cuts. Um, but I, I'm very, um, I'm pretty excited about it. I think that uh, the company is absolutely kicking it in every way, right? The new factory in Giga the mega factory in Giga Shanghai, um, every factory is now getting up to speed and e efficient. The, the announcement of the price cuts really solidifies their 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 market share and gain gain. I don't think that there has been any demand issues. So if we want to start talking about the, is there a demand? Is that why they're causing the price cuts or not? I don't think so. But I am very curious of why they did their price cuts last night as opposed to waiting the next few days. And we should probably talk about that. Great. No, thank you for your insight there. We have the ugliest person I've ever seen in my life, Matt Smith, joining the live stream. Actually, you look very <laughs> handsome today. What's what's with those glasses, bro? Is that for like a uh, need or a stylish choice? So they're uh, my computer glasses. I do use these when I'm staring at like numbers in great detail. They're like the, you know, the, what are they called? Like the blue screen or whatever. Um, yeah, I just, I, I get kind of headaches when I'm digging too much into, uh, numbers without them on so i yeah, said well it's, it's definitely helping it's definitely helping yeah <laughs> matt can you not make the camera a little bit closer to you so that uh, you don't look so small no we don't want that no 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 we want him as far away <laughs> come on matt i want to see you. I, I can get closer i can do that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. shows your I, nose hairs um, switch over i'm in my sitting studio for a little bit here i may um i may switch over to the my normal uh partner in a little minute here no problem. Whenever you need to. Um, so what, yeah, what's your, what, where's your head at? Obviously a lot going on. The report's going to drop here in about half an hour. What are you, what are you thinking through maybe any response to Herbert sort of uh, claims around pricing and demand or whatever else is going through? Your mind? Yeah. I mean, we had a, a kind of long Twitter spaces on it earlier today that, that Emmett hosted. Um, you know, my, my thinking is, you know, Elon, in January was basically saying, you know, I want to put this demand concern to rest, like for the final mm -hmm. time. And, and at that, that time, he said, you know what, look, our, our order rate is twice as much as our production rate right now. So we don't have a demand problem. And that th that's not the case anymore. Like objectively looking at the data, looking at the backlogs shrinking, looking at the wait times shrinking, um, inventory rising, especially on Model X, um, you know, it, it just seems like you, you you'd have to be really stretching for some kind of plausible scenario where demand hasn't, hasn't um, shrunk, or at least it's not uh, keeping pace with the rate of increase of, of production. Um, so, you know, demand is a concern. That's why I think the stock is, is where it is right now. Um, and the question that all the, you know, Wall Street analysts and, and frankly, I think it's a legitimate one are asking right now is what's going to happen to margins. I mean, how many more price cuts do you need? Uh, and, and what's going to happen to those margins uh, if the price cuts aren't supported by cost of goods sold decreases? So, so Emmett's Guys. going as chili? What's that about? What is that? What's chili? You having some chili right now? Or what's going on? That's what my, um, my kids' uh, team called me as coach. I'm, I'm one of the parent coaches on my kids' uh, first grade baseball team. And I said, my nickname is Chili. My last name is Peppers. So. <laughs> Uh, oh, <laughs> well, isn't that the most 
brilliant thing I've ever heard. Well, yeah. well, okay, let's real quick, let's introduce the the, the, the next folks here that have jo just joined us. We have Chili Peppers from not the band Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, Emma Peppers from Good Soil, great uh, fan of the show. We also have uh, Nicholas Gibbs, Nick Gibbs, my boy down in uh, somewhere, and uh, <laughs> Jeff Lutz. Jeff, I believe this is your first time on the channel as well. Welcome in. Jeff was uh, and Herbert were both on a space this morning related to Tesla and finance. And uh, and I was up there as a speaker as well. But then Herbert and Jeff were carrying the conversation so beautifully. I'm just like, I'm just going to listen, bro. I'm just going to let him mm -hmm. I'm just going to listen the whole time. It was just absolutely brilliant. So, Jeff, maybe give, give yourself uh, an introduction to my audience. I don't think, uh, you know, in case folks aren't uh, aware with your background, because you are a thanks, brilliant individual. Absolutely. Well, thanks. Uh, it's, it's great to be with everyone on here, too. A lot of a lot of really smart people. And I, I, I've been a Tesla investor for since 2012, 2013, uh, and I've been an owner as well since then as well. And uh, in terms of background, uh, executive in supply chain for a couple of decades in, in, in high tech, um, you can look at my Twitter profile. And uh, I retired a, a number of years ago, maybe half, you know, five, six years ago, and I started my own consulting firm where I'm working with mega cap uh, tech companies today on supply chain design, unit economics, COGS, uh, you name it. So uh, a lot of things kind of, I see a lot of parallels in the discussion uh, regarding gross margins and, and COGS and, and maybe just not a lot of, enough discussion on modeling COGS and understanding where COGS could be. So happy to, uh, to provide some input in that. Awesome. Thank you, Jeff. Now, Matt was uh, talking about, uh, and Herbert were talking about pricing. They were talking about some of the latest moves around, um, you know, how pricing is, you know, Herbert's saying it's doesn't think that it's so much related to demand. Matt thinks that it is related to demand. Um, and, and there's obviously a lot of complexities and, and nuance in that discussion. Uh, any of the three that has just, have just joined us, Nicholas, Jeff, or, or Chili, do you guys have any thoughts around, uh, around that topic that you guys want to share? Pricing and demand. Yep. Especially with yeah. the latest pricing decreases that we just saw in the market. Yeah, I mean, we just we were on a big spaces. I really think uh, I'll just reiterate that to me, it dumbfounds me why Tesla does refuse, you know, seems to refuse to educate, spend something to educate the public. Baby boomer generation in particular has no idea how to buy Teslas. They end up going to other places, buying other cars. Um, lots of anecdotal stories of this, you know, Uber drivers constantly tweeting me saying, yeah, I drive an Uber. No one understands what a Tesla, you know, so I feel like there's a huge opportunity to um, make many, 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 many more people aware of how affordable Teslas are um, and how easy they are to use and so forth. And uh, it's really just, you know, we're, we're ignoring that and uh, lowering prices just captures the young you know, uh, tech folks who can't quite afford it yet, but are educated on it, you know? And so there's a huge pie of people that can afford it now, but just are not educated on what Teslas are. Jeff or Nicholas, any thoughts around that? I'll let Nicholas go. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of in the, can you guys hear me okay? <laughs> Do a mic yeah. real quick. All right. Yeah, I'm also kind of in the ball camp or yeah, in the camp of, I think it has some to do with demand, uh, not not because Tesla has any issues or anything. I think it's just macros in general. I mean, you know, I think people. I mean, I'm doing it. Right? I'm hoarding cash. My my best friend, you know, really wealthy individual, he's hoarding cash. It's just it's kind of the, the thing people are doing right now. And 
I think dropping prices, it's not just for people who can't afford it, but it's also for people who are, you know, maybe just trying to be more frugal with their capital right now because we don't know what's going to come in the next, you know, six to 18 months. So, uh, but I, I definitely think, uh, I, I definitely think that this is not an issue for Tesla. I think it's just where we are in the cycle of the big story, you know, for all we know, prices could go up in the future again. So it ebbs and flows. Yeah, I'm I'm on I'm on board with that too. Uh, I, I I see this as a point in time. I see us, you know, and and and, and from working with companies over the last several years, COVID. I, I, if you're outside of building and shipping um, electronics or or large devices in volume, the what was called the COVID economies had had a massive impact on. Raw materials had a massive impact on the supply base in really three fundamental areas. One was labor. La- labor was, uh, from a scarcity perspective, was a problem. So that drove rates up. Not so much probably in Tesla's four walls, um, but at their suppliers for sure. And so some of, so there was some burden due to that. Um, the second thing was on commodities. All the, a lot of the commodities spiked. Almost all of them spiked, and they stayed there for a, 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 a fair period of time. Now, the way contracts are, are written for a company like Tesla, like they're not going to see every ebb and flow of every single daily spot price on aluminum or copper. But, you know, for if, if it's up for an extended period of time, um, it's going to be an issue. Um, so and then the third thing was the big area. There's many areas, but the third thing was around logistics. And there, you know, so all these different areas, logistics was probably a 10 to 100x multiplier at various points of time and various freight lanes, depending on what you're using, where you're shipping from. So what's Tesla done over that two-year period? Number one, they had to raise their prices to deal with COVID economies. If you look at the Model Y, which is the highest volume Tesla being built at a three-to-one rate, um, they started raising those prices uh, about eight quarters ago. And it was at right at the where it is today. It came right back to it, but it, said it was at 49990 And over those eight quarters... They took the pricing up precipitously to deal with these quote unquote COVID economies. Now what's happened? Many of those commodities have started to roll over and have come down precipitously. One, two, people are back to work. And while there are still scarcity issues with labor, it's improved. And the third thing that's rolled over is as on the logistics side significantly. And then what else has Tesla done during that, that eight quarter period? they've reformed their own internal logistics in terms of localization, where they build cars versus where the customer is, and also where their supply base is relative to where they build cars. Remember, when you stand up Austin or you stand up Berlin, all of your suppliers aren't stood up at the same time. So, and then when those factories were running and building only a thousand, you know, 500 units a week, 200 a week, a thousand that factory was literally like Elon used the term a furnace from a, from a cost structure perspective. So I think Tesla very smartly used those last eight quarters of time. Number one, to get their localization in place, deal with the cost spike in economies. Also take the model Y run rate from 250,000 units annualized eight quarters ago to where it is today, right around 1.3 million units analyzed, annualized if you look at the Q2 run rate. And so they've been able to scale their supply base, widen that pipe 5X. 
uh, in the process of doing that. And basically they brought their prices, their, their, their cost, and they brought their prices to consumers back to where they started from their initial quarter of launch, which is the worst cog structure you'll ever experience in the lifetime of a product. Anybody want to add or... Yeah. No, it was great. It was fantastic. Anyone want to piggyback or add anything to what Jeff just said? I would say that's a good point that the costs, I've heard this, you know, a couple of times, the costs have come back down to where they were, you know, when the Model Y was first introduced. But at that time, that was before inflation of, you know, 20%, you know, versus, you know, prices are like 10 or 20% higher across the board for everything now versus then so you sort of have to build that into that comparison i would say also um you know back then whenever they start ramping up production of any car it's always at the high it's, it's it should be assumed it's at the you know a price point that um is going to be high you know i would say you have to build that into the discussion too uh, anyway sorry. but look at any consumer discretionary product like in a phone for example if you get a two-year-old phone new you're not paying the two-year-old pricing. You're paying some number a lot lower. Um, and I think it's very difficult for actually for autos to maintain their MSRPs you know, over eight quarters. Again, it is a supply de demand dynamic. And by the way, I'm not denying that there would be pockets of demand issues occurring. All, what I'm trying to say is mm -hmm. you know, Tesla is kind of aligning to their mission, which was like, these costs have to come up in order for us to stay in business and deal with COVID. And inflation, got it. But as soon as we're able to bring them down through scaling our supply chain and, and ourselves, as well as those commodities rolling over, they're going to bring them. They're going to bring them down. And then as they're bringing them down, they're going to purposefully slot and design in new products with a unit economic structure that are slightly lower to where the long range Model Y is and where the standard. Or sorry, a little bit probably well probably below where the standard range three is. We'll see what they actually released. But I think in the back half of this year, and they started with the Model Y, Model y standard is purposely slotting cars that have a unit economics buildup at a lower price point versus just degrading the existing products in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. So I want to clarify when I said that um, it's not a demand problem. You know, I just meant to say that it's not, it's not this massive demand problem the company's in massive trouble. They need to now do, you know, across the board, global price cuts. And just like Jeff was saying, I absolutely agree that there's going to be pockets of demand issues. And what I love about Tesla is they do variable pricing and because they sell direct to consumer. Let me ask you guys this question though. What happens? What I'm really curious why they did the price cuts last night, the day before earnings. And so let's, Go through a couple mind uh, you know uh, experiments here thought experiments right so let's say that uh, we did not have covid if covid didn't happen they launched the two uh, model 3 in 2018 and model y in 2020 covid doesn't happen they had their certain they had their price points which is what the price is today and they had over 20 percent gross margins for both of those and I got you. I got you. I know. I know, uh, Chili. You were saying that uh, you know that there's the the prices still have gone up. Some some things. But if COVID didn't happen, wouldn't have Tesla continued with their now growing uh, gigafactory scalability? Yeah. Everything. All the things we talked about. I would say you're spend, absolutely real quick. I would say you're absolutely right. But Tesla would be a two hundred fifty billion dollar company, market cap company right now. It would never have gotten to a no, trillion market cap. Agreed. Company. So we're not in a growth environment and that's mm -hmm. why there's an issue that we're today but 
uh, so today, so there's the, the recession, and we can talk about this, but um, Jeff and I have been talking about this quite a bit, that during a recession, Tesla is actually a, is much better positioned because they can buy things at a cheaper price. They can negotiate with their suppliers better and so forth. So it feels to me that the price cuts uh, that they did, why did why did you do last night? So if, if they had terrible margins today, <laughs> we'll find out in half an hour, 10 minutes, when, what would why, why would they have done the price cuts last night? To rip the Band-Aid off, maybe? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. A number, a number of extremes, yeah. Last time they, they did the, the price cuts a little bit before the, the Q4 earnings call, and then they had some preliminary data on on demand that they, they shared on the thing. So, um, you know, I think it probably has something to do with the fact that they, they want to have some information to, to share on the call. Uh, but honestly, it's not enough time. You can have, what, like 12 hours of, <laughs> of yeah of sale data to, to share. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question, but yeah, I'm not going to say, how you doing? Yeah. Hey, Yashu, you're looking it. good, man. I've never <laughs> seen you with a suit on. You look yeah, good. For real. Thanks, That's the old show. Buildings or what? Yes. <laughs> yes. No. How's it going guys? Great conversation. I've been, I've been listening. Uh, I'm at awesome uh, Twitter spaces this morning. Um, first of all, I want to say hi. It's been a while uh, since I've seen all you guys. Um, but let's talk about price cuts, right? Because because yesterday, yeah. Herbert, you're asking why do it? Why do it last night? I think I think that's exactly it. Rip the bandaid off. If they were to, to mm. print 19% gross margin exev credits today after hours, and then they announce further price cuts, it's it's it, it's kind of like a double whammy. You might as well proceed it and then let everyone see how the margins land today which I'm not super optimistic on in terms of where they're going to land. But it, 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 it almost mm. kind of sucks because it, I thought quarter one call was going to be like the massive call where we're going to find out where, like how low can gross margins go. And then it seems like throughout the quarter, we've continued to see cuts. So it's really going to be Q2 when we see kind of more of the gross margin actually hit the bottom line at slash cost reductions, which everyone thinks to, everyone seems to think there's this massive cost reduction in the last quarter. I hope I'm wrong, but it just seems like it's too early to tell at the moment. Yeah. Let's do uh, yeah, let's do Nicholas and then and then Jeff. Uh, I I agree with everything Yashi just said. I, I don't think things have made it through that that quickly. It, I mean, if you ever worked anything in a supply chain type industry, you know this takes while for things to go through. I mean, just look how slow interest rates are hitting the economy or having an effect, right? And and here we're talking about price of goods, but. I also I don't know how much of a timed plan thing this is as far as cuts before earnings. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, this is we've had price cuts before and those aren't timed for anything. So I kind of think they kind of just happen. They're on their own cycle. I, I think it'd be very anti Tesla culture to be thinking such short term things and trying to, you know, gamify things that much. But then again, I also think the whole, uh, um, scrub of the launch the other day was also intentional. So, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. What? Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. No, just um, just in terms of uh, of how cost reductions can work. So, some things are fast. Some things are really fast. Like if you move a logistics lane, for example, if you take something out of um, out of out of Shanghai and say I'm going to build it in Berlin and I'm going to distribute it for for Germany, like that's, that's an immediate thing. 
Um, also, logistics rates can also move pretty quickly, but those are also negotiated in blocks as well. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't believe Tesla saw a massive knife edge brunt of cost increases, but I also don't believe there's going to be this massive you know, peak or drop off. But there's definitely a reduction that's been happening over the last couple of quarters. I see this as well. Um, so I believe that's happened. The other thing that was that they were able to do over the last year, while there was all this no, noise around COVID, is fill up Berlin and fill up Austin. And, and they're not full, right? But they're over their halfway points. So from a cost structure perspective, you know, they, your cost structure, you burn your, you burn your cost structure based on your line install capacity and how much labor you brought in and trained. So the fact they seem to be running pretty efficiently. They're doubling every three to four months or so uh, in terms of those factories. Uh, so that tells me that they're, they're, they've brought that cost structure down significantly. So they were actually able to leverage this COVID economy's situation where they had to raise MSRPs uh, and they were able to actually ramp two gigantic facilities while it's happening. So it's actually a very good thing uh, for Tesla. But I, I would say over eight quarters of production, the last time they're at this price point to now, you know, they probably, I mean, they've 5X volume. They're up 500%. On the Model Y, it's gone from a 250k run rate to 1.3 million. So I'd have to think that they're getting over two, maybe two percent, if not more, over two percent per quarter uh, deflation. Again, that's normalized for commodities, so we have to see where they're at. But I believe they've been able to do significant cogs reduction, and they showed us what they did over about five five years or so on the Model Three during Investor Day. Again, that was net of commodities, uh, but they showed us what they were able to do. Real quick, so we're, I, I uh, actually about... oh, go ahead. Sorry, Matt, go ahead. No, please. Well, I was I was just gonna say I actually agree with everything that, that Jeff has been saying, uh, except that I've been expecting the same kind of improvements to show up over the last two quarters and they haven't really been there. Um so you know, talking about kind of compounded quarterly um improvements from eight quarters ago, um, like that makes sense in theory, but then when you look at, you know, Q3 and Q4 actual cost of goods sold versus what we might expect in, in Q1, um, I mean, the, there's not a huge increase in, in deliveries. I mean, we increased what, maybe 20,000 vehicles in Q4 relative to Q1 or sorry, Q1 relative to Q4. Um, and, and the cost structure did not come down significantly in, in Q4. So like, I, I agree with you, Jeff, that all those, those trends seem to be there and I hope I'm wrong and they, they kind of come to a head, but um, I, I, have, I find it easier to look at things sequentially um, rather than kind of uh, the overall trend, which kind of makes sense in theory, but you know, maybe a, a bit gets lost in, in the noise. Uh, well, the Q4, yeah, the, the, no, I get your point, man. I, I say the Q4 cogs, is a lot of the material they bought in Q, Q3 and Q2. One of the things that happened during the COVID economies is you actually had to lock in, your lead times grew, right? Because scarcity material grew, lead times actually grew. Tesla's not inept to that or, or not immune to that. And, um, the, and, and same thing on the logistics side as well. So when you look at the Q4 cogs, you're still dealing with a lot of uh, errant cost issues that have, have happened over the prior quarter. So again, I think this is a bit of a coiled spring. I think there's going to be some compression in, in margins this quarter and next quarter. I think it's some dramatic thing where it's going to zero or five or 10%, but there's going to be some compression. I believe their guidance 
but maybe it's within a few percent of it. I don't think that's the end of the world when you're when you're running a supply chain and you're shipping this much billion, many billions in revenue. But I do believe if they can stabilize pricing, it can improve. Their gross margins will improve progressively over quarters just based on, you know, the, the actions they're taking and what's actually happening in commodities right now. So real quick, as we approach market close, uh, let's go down the line, starting with Herbert and uh, finishing with Yashu. What is your expected gross margin, excluding ZEV credits and leases for the auto sector for Tesla? If you, if you have I start, an estimate. Yeah, I started off this call saying that I still actually uh, believe that they'll hit the 20% at the minimum for auto Matt. gross margins. Matt, what about you? Uh, if you keep, maybe go on, I can, I can get you the actual number here. I just pulled up my, oh, my nice. model. So maybe right. have somebody else go first. Mr. I, can, I can just pick, I put my finger in the air and I say 20%. Jeff. Yeah. I believe between 20 and 21. Nick. Are these prices, right rules? <laughs> uh, prices, <laughs> right. Yeah. Prices, yeah. right rules. Yeah. We have Yashu on the call. All right. So you, prices, right rules. Yeah. All right. Th then I say, uh, 21 and a half. Yashu? I, I'm tempted to say 1% if it's prices right rules. Um, I, I, I think <laughs> I think publicly, I, I, I replied to Farzad, I think I replied to you last month, and I said, if Tesla hits the 20% gross margin, XF credits, I'll shut up about advertising for a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like because okay. I said that, I, I feel like they're going to hit 20-something percent XF credits. So, uh, but to save face, I'll say 19.9. Matt Smith. Uh, so I, I just checked. I'm at twenty point six percent. Can I okay. can I add one thing real quick? Is I think it, sure. it, since these more recent price cuts, you know, especially, I think um, this number is not as important as what people interpret the guidance for margins to be, or the absence of the guidance could be even more worrisome. So Agreed. I think if I think that's the big the big focus focal point here is. What do people read between the lines as going forward, the margins? Is it going to be well below 20% going forward? So well but don't you think, don't you think the sort of the number coming in, so say the number comes in at like 21, uh, X, Zev, and lease. Isn't that enough sort of data point that says, mm -hmm. okay, now we understand why these guys are just dropping prices left and right? Wouldn't that be the signal? Nah, I don't think so. You need more I color? I, yeah, I think because a lot of the price cut, a lot of this 20, whatever the print is this for this quarter is um, before the most latest price cuts, you know, and you have a lot of higher sold cars at the beginning of last quarter than at the end of last quarter versus now this quarter, the cars sold from this point forward are even lower. So I think people are going to wonder well, we just chopped off another 10% off the price since then. Is that going to be 10% of gross margins or 5% of gross margins or what? Like how much are they really lowering the cost of goods sold? Yeah, I agree. I think it would have been um, had they not raised uh, or pardon me, lowered prices last night again. Um, yeah. So th that's what I kind of mean by saying like, you know, it's kind of like kick the can down the road for the final 
decision on how bad these price cuts are going to hit the bottom line. But I mean, as a buyer, I, 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 by the way, I have to, I have to run here, but I just want to leave you guys on this anecdote today. I was talking with someone, she's an Audi e-tron driver. She got it six months ago and I'm talking with her and, and we're talking about EVs and talking about stalls uh, and charging and stuff like that. This is a hundred percent true story. I'm not making it. Oh up. my gosh. I know how it's um, going to go. Keep going. Okay. Um, anyway, so we get to talking and she's talking about her range, which is surprisingly, surprisingly low for, for, for Audi. And feel free, feel free to interrupt me if, uh, if the shareholder that comes out. And, uh, you know, we start talking about the supercharger and I just realized like I'm filling her in on stuff that Tesla has that, for example, in this case, Audi doesn't. And it's just like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh, interesting. I, I wasn't aware of like the supercharging <laughs> network was this fast. And yeah. so it seems like this is and this is sophisticated EV buyer, someone that's gone out, spent their hard earned money on Audi e-tron. And yet we can see, and this is nothing against her, you know, she's an awesome person. I'm just, the point I'm trying to make is that Tesla, Tesla can do a better job at educating people, even if they're, even if they are EV buyers of their advantages that they have. So that's my, that's my only point of that story. Um, I have to run out, but uh, awesome to see everyone. Thanks for, uh, for the live stream for Azad and 19.9%. All right. We'll see. Price is right rules. You, Thank Yashu. you, Yashu. Right. Make sure you go check him out on uh, hit that bid. Uh, we'll make sure to put a link to his channel in the uh, description below. He runs an amazing uh, YouTube channel. So we have uh, producer wife in the background there, uh, F5ing, refreshing the page every few seconds nice. because nice. we're all we're all addicts and we're all crazy people. So this is what yeah. we do on a Wednesday afternoon. I ran two polls real quick. I don't know if if you guys would find find this uh, interesting, but let me go ahead. I'm going to share my screen for a hot second, producer wife, and then I'll throw it over to you. Uh, so I ran two polls on Twitter. One was an argument uh, out there is that folks that own Teslas are quite upset about the uh, latest price decreases. Please select below the choice that most closely resembles how you feel. Of course, this is not scientific. So 2200. Uh, oh, it's out. Tesla okay, I'm going to shut up. Let's see what's happening. Right. The stock is uh, slightly going up. It's going up. Let's see. 80, 85 cents per share. EPS. <laughs> All right. Gap. Now Wall Street coming back down. Stocks coming back down. It might just be zigzag. Maybe it'll be a non-event for the stock price. We'll see. Hard to say. Okay, so gap gross margins is nineteen point three. Wow. It's oh, that's not good. Gap. Stocks coming down now. Eighty-five cents <laughs> earning per share. I still can't pull up the thing. <laughs> I'm just watching the the, Come on, the, bro. the ticker. Kind of move up and down here in the chart. I'm trying to see go out, click on the deck on the shareholder deck, babe. We'll go back to the page and then uh, click it on the you're on the, you're on the wrong uh, screen. So I'm going through the through the deck right now. And we'll make sure to pull it up. There we go. Perfect. All right. So okay. go to page four. Perfect. Okay. So there you go. So in Q1 2023, 19.3. Now this is correct me if I'm wrong, but the the guidance from Zach uh, from Q4 was that they were expecting 20% margins, or they were they were uh, modeling for 20% margins and ASPs above 47,000, right? And I think there was some um, I don't know. Folks were talking about they weren't sure if that was for the whole year or for the whole quarter, but for for Q1 it's a 19.3% gap. So excluding ZEF credits and Leases, I'll tell you exactly what it is in a second. And then we'll start going through the report here. How's the, how's the stock doing? Down. 178. Much, 
Not too much. We'll see where the trend goes. Sometimes it takes a few minutes to hit a trend. We'll see if it rebounds or goes back down yeah. further. Who knows? Well, while you do that math, Farzad, just to talk to your poll you had up. So my, again, my best friend who I mentioned earlier, his uh, significant other, she, uh, she bought a Tesla a week and a half ago. And he was texting me saying, man, did you see they just dropped prices? I don't have the heart to tell her. <laughs> but on that same note, my wife in our little group text asked him, so you think about uh, buying one now? And he sends a screenshot immediately, like not even a second goes by of it sitting there in the order cart. He's like, I just have to press the button. Just sitting here looking at it all day. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think people are looking to buy as these prices come down. And I do think some people, you know, be a little... uh uh trying to choose my words carefully here uh upset about it <laughs> yeah. we had a pretty uh big jump in energy it looks like any any info on the mega packs or anything uh not yet let me see i always like so to look the, at the, the, the a guide huge increase in um in storage deployment so they were at two point five gigawatt hours in q4 they're at 3.9 in q1 um, and at pretty good margins too. I didn't do the math on the margins yet, but it's like roughly 200 million in, in energy margins, which is actually what we were forecasting of it. Mm. So looks like we got the, the beginnings of pretty strong growth on the energy side. So it'd be interesting to see if they talk about that in, in more detail, because it does seem like the kind of like the early parts of the S curve, they're both on, on kind of scaling revenues, but more importantly, profitably. So um, the... Auto margin, excluding Zeph uh, and lease, is 18.3. Um, ASPs are 44.6. Uh, and then uh, COGS are down 3% quarter over quarter from 37.6. Sorry, from 38 to 36.4. Wait, that's more than 3%. What is this? It's off of the delta. There we go. Um, as you guys are going through their report, what, what else is jumping out? Yeah, so, so call, there was calls a, are down 4% quarter over quarter. Big, I think the big one, there's a negative foreign exchange impact of $800 million, uh, which I was Whoa. not expecting. Um, oh, actually, sorry, that's just on the revenue side. So I'm sure part of that will get adjusted out on the, uh, on the cost of goods sold side too. Um, but that's, that was pretty significant. How's this talk, Emmett? Uh, it's around 178 still. Got as low as 177, back to 178. I'm just looking at that. I always like to go to the Outlook first. I don't know. I go to like end of emails or when I'm looking yeah, at informational yeah. stuff. I'm looking at the Outlook and um, it seems like they're signaling to me, reading between the lines, that automotive gross margins are going to continue to go down. That's what so I'm let's reading. So let's go ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and but, read that page. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, Herbert, go ahead. No, I, but but they're they're still uh, guiding for fifty percent Kager target. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's, Let's go ahead and pull up uh, page ten. One point eight million. Wife. So that's still the yeah. same. Yeah. So. Okay. So let's go ahead and read this along. Profit. So, look at the, where they talk about profit. So under the profit section, while we continue to execute on innovations to reduce the cost of manufacturing operations over time, we expect our hardware-related profits to be accompanied with an acceleration of software-related profits, we continue to believe that our operating margin will remain among the highest in the industry. 
operating so margin. They're focusing on operating margin because they think yeah. that FSD is going to come to fruition soon. I mean, maybe it will, but if it doesn't, it's not good news to me in terms of uh, automotive gross margins just going down and, you know, software margins not coming up magically. Where did you read? Where did your, where are you getting that you think automotive gross, gross margins going down? When I read that sentence, what he just yeah. read, I didn't hear what you're hearing. I read when they say we expect our hardware related profits. That's what I read as automotive gross margins to be accompanied like the lowering of auto gross margins to be accompanied with an acceleration of software related profits. That's how I read they, it. They, they've had this language in here for at least three quarters, I want to say now. Um, yeah. But Emmett, the, the FSD kind of software revenues do show up in automotive gross margin anyway. So it doesn't, um, I, I don't think it necessarily suggests that. Well, they oh. say hardware related profit. So like the profits uh, related to building the cars is going to be, you know, that's going to be lower, but it's going to be offset by an acceleration of the full self-driving uptake. So overall the automotive gross margin, they think is going to be, um, you know, it, it, the operating margin is going to continue to be the, the best in the industry or something. I don't know. I, the way I interpret it is that hardware uh, margins alone, you know, I know you it's included as a line item is automotive gross margin, but the actual cost cuts of uh, are expected to be offset by mostly software based things, which is part of the automotive gross margins, as you said, Matt, when you talk about the full self-driving, that's the main software thing is the full self-driving. Yeah. Yep. Now it is. And then the other thing too is with energy. So if I do the math on the margin for energy, it's uh, down to 11% uh, gross margin. So we actually saw a dip in gross margins for energy quarter over quarter. Hmm. Just a heads up there. Yeah. I'm double checking <clears throat> would, my math, but I want to make and I would expect I that with, with ramping Lathrop, but yeah. Ener I think energy was 9.4 in Q4 though, wasn't it? So that'd be a slight increase if, if I did my math right. Uh, I, I had it at 12.1. I'm just taking the energy total revenue and then the energy uh, cost. And so unless I'm, so it's 16. Wait, do I have the wrong number plugged in here? Hang on a second. I have the wrong number plugged in. I'm sorry. I can't trust your math today, Farzad. You've gone no, off a couple can't. times. Can I ask a question? I, wanna, <clears throat> I, know, I know it's I know it's hypothetical, but is the I mean, is kind of the delta in I don't know revenue and then gross profit? If you plug in the ten thousand S and X in transit or five thousand, whatever number you want to pick, right? The number between produced and delivered of S and X because they said they had a bunch in transit. I'm just wondering if that that anomaly is a big chunk of this or not? No, so that, that impacts cash flow, Jeff. Uh, so if you look at the statement of cash flows, like their operating cash flow was, I think it was two two and a half billion dollars or something like that. So if you were to normalize out the cash flow impact, then that would raise the operating cash flow. But from a, a the income statement, the earnings perspective, they don't rec recognize any costs on the, you know, the what they spent to actually build those, you know, Model S and X that are in transit right now. So those are uh, I was referring to gross margins. Well, gross margin is part of the income statement. So that doesn't hit the income statement at all. So the cost of goods is, sold doesn't, doesn't No, but if they that. hit but if it hit the income statement, like if those actually were delivered. If it, if it did. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering if, if 
is that I mean, if we if we take them at their word and they're in, they were in transit, they have you know they have a home. They're just going to a new for a new launch. I don't know. I'm just curious, but we can we can analyze that offline. But it's just a large number of SNX to be you know in transit, so it's unique. Yeah, I mean, Stocks, yeah, uh, going some down. quick math. Yeah. If it was, um, you know, 10,000 units at a average gross margin of, uh, you know, 20,000, then you'd be talking about 200 million of incremental gross profit. So that would help a little bit. But, um, you know, it's I'm not keen to take their word for it necessarily that those all have a home given, you know, Model X inventories and what you can see. Mm-hmm. Matt, real quick. On sure. on the uh, energy uh, margin, I just want to make sure I'm doing my my math right because I can't get to the nine percent. If you pull up page uh, page twenty three, babe, on the on the deck, um, I'm taking energy generation and storage revenues from Q4 2022, and I'm mm-hmm. uh, putting it against the energy generation and storage cost of revenues below. So thirteen ten minus eleven fifty one divided by thirteen ten gives me a margin of 12.1 am i what am i missing okay no you're you're right yeah i was just uh, i was kind of going off memory so um, okay so never trust you ever again is what you're telling me (laughs) (laughs) i'm criticizing you for your uh for your bad math (laughs) yeah thank you i don't have the facts either but but i am seeing i am seeing a a slight decrease in margin quarter over quarter because i know there was a lot of uh there was a lot of speculation and trying to understand when these sort of mega pack crazy margins would kick in and it, and it looks like at least for this quarter as a ramping, we're still not seeing that even though revenues are up on energy, 16% quarter over quarter, 17% quarter over quarter. So yeah, we're but you know, that. you know, what's kind of interesting. So how much, are, how much were those revenues up quarter over quarter for 16%, 16%. But then if you look at their actual deployments on page six, um, let me do the math here. Let's go to page so, six real quick. So their deployments of stationary storage are up 58%. Um, so the 3889 over the 2462. Mm. So this is where you get into revenue recognition issues. Um, they've deployed that much storage, but it's not like you just multiply that number by the price per megawatt hour and, and you get the revenue because some, a lot, a lot of these are on like a contractual basis. So, you know, they've delivered the final portion to be recognized of, of that full, you know, 3.9 uh, gigawatt hours that they, they call out here. Um, but the, the kind of quarter over quarter incremental revenue recognition is not as, as clean cut as that. Um, so that may be, that may actually bode well for future energy margins as they're able to, you know, kind of recognize incremental portions of that. Um, but it's uh, just kind of an interesting thing where you just that you can't scale the deployments necessarily to, to get an indication of the revenue, because otherwise energy revenue would have increased 57% sequentially rather than 16 or whatever you said it was. Muted. I'm muted. Sorry, guys. Uh, anything else uh, that people have discovered uh, thus far as a reading through the report? Oh, Go ahead, Herbert. Yeah. What do you guys think about the revenues at 24 billion, right? That it was what what their people were targeting, wasn't it? Revenues. And then is there a way to? I guess we can't see it from these guys, but the the mix of Y's. Uh, we, we they don't break it out by three and Y. So here no. here's what's what's interesting is that 
I would have. So this is, I think, again, talks to sort of one of the comments. I can't remember who it was, but a lot of these sort of raw material decreases, a lot of these expected, I guess, you know, from my end is like, okay, I, at some point we got to start seeing um, a significant decrease in raw material costs. And it looks like at least in Q1, and you know, we, we should wait for the guidance from the team as well. But, you know, you have a 500 basis point decrease quarter over quarter, roughly on margin on price decreases that were, you know, 10, 15% in the maximum. And a lot of that, uh, I think, so that was applied mostly to Model 3 and Model Y, because that's most of, of the company's uh, mix, especially the Model Y. So we are definitely seeing a lot of absorption from a cost perspective, because we did see the costs come down 4%, or what was it, 4% quarter over quarter, if I remember correctly. But we're still not seeing what potentially could be more savings until later in the pipeline. But with the price decreases that just happened today, I think the whole sort of theory around ripping off the Band-Aid and then mm -hmm. continuing to sort of let investors know, hey, we got it to this, but maybe we were wrong. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering like if, if maybe like the guidance that Zach gave in Q4, I'm just, I'm just curious if that's actually going to come to fruition now, right? And so I'm curious how everybody else feels about that. Well, how, I mean, how does everybody if, else feel like, like, like mm -hmm. gut-wise? How does everybody else feel? roughly in line with what I was expecting, I guess. I mean, I think the stock's probably down because the most important metric that everyone was looking at is, you know, what's automotive gross margin X credits. And it was not 20%, you know, so that's, mm -hmm. that's like the most significant, you know, bad news I think in here, but, you know, generally speaking, I'm, I'm looking at like their, their tax rate and some other areas, which have historically been a, a sign of, of kind of weak earnings. And they all seem reasonably good. Like services margins was, were better than I was expecting. Uh, they mentioned strong residual uh, value uh, on the used, used car sales that, that uh, is helping that part of the business. So, I mean, overall, it seems like a, a pretty strong earnings report from, from what I can tell, all things considered. Not amazing, but not a disaster by any stretch. It, can I ask this question, which is um, interesting, might have answered my first question, which is why, when they announced the price cuts last night, but then they released this today, can I read this? Assuming that they knew this, so that when they give you a guidance that they still believe they're going to hit 1.8 million cars next year, 50% Kager is still the same thing that they've been saying, but they've making making that's now in an environment of continued price cuts. So, does that include the exist the current price cut that happened last night? Yeah, and if it does. That's good news, right? Because the guidance says to us that they still think they're going to hit what they've been saying they're going to hit. Auto gross margin didn't hit 20%. How big of a deal is it from 20% to something like 18 something, right? Yeah. I mean, I think long term, I think long term there is a there is a good obviously like long term none of this <laughs> really matters yeah, to be completely honest, yeah. right? We're we're trying to sort of sit down and and digest uh, how how you know this is going to impact short term, which is an impossible thing to do. But I think if there's one point of criticism that I do have is like you know the, the guidance that was given in Q4 around those metrics. You know, even though for somebody like me, I much more care about pricing being as low as possible so that every single person can buy a Tesla, so this thing can be a behemoth in the long term. It's still kind of like okay, well you told us this number, it wasn't this number, right? So then what else? You know what else is going to happen here? So it's yet another thing I think for if folks are thinking about the short term, that might be a little bit of a way down in the stock. But I mean that's that's up for interpretation. That's just my feeling. 
I'm going to people feel this different way. My my feeling is this uh, confirm like in the macro environment we're in with interest rates so high, and if they stay high for a long time, as you know, the Fed keeps you know jawboning, um, then equity valuations uh, are not coming back uh, to what we knew them as once, and in this case, anytime soon. In this case. Tesla's uh, valuation um, might get compressed significantly. You know, it's still going to be way higher than it was, you know, five years ago, but it's going to be a lot lower than it is now. Like, so Tesla's valuation may turn out to be 250 or 300 billion market cap if it's got 10 or 15% automotive gross margins until FSD becomes widespread and like widely accepted, which could be years still. We don't really know. Um, So, that's my concern. And all the people who've been jumped on the Tesla bandwagon in the last, you know, two or three years, they've been buying it at historic high prices where the stock gets lower and lower. I mean, it's not a good feeling for especially those people. Um, and it's it's tough. I mean, a lot of us have been in Tesla for a long time, so we're OK with it going down another 50 percent from here. But, uh, it, you know, it, it's hard for people who bought when the market cap was a trillion to accept it's only, you know, a quarter of what they bought it at and have to hold it for another few years to get back to where they were when they first bought it, you know? So that that's my concern. You know, it's just going to be a little strange to see this happen. Yeah. For, from my perspective, I think none of this should be a surprise to anybody. I mean, Elon told us on that Twitter spaces, however long ago it was that they will keep dropping prices to sell cars and that is what's happening here i i would expect more prices to drop i, I mean i think herbert yeah. we talked about this a couple weeks ago so i expect it expect margins to come down and to me i see that as bullish you know i know we're kind of getting lost in the weeds here look you know looking at the quarterly earnings and you know it's a lot of its short-term perspective but you know zoom out open that aperture you know like if you, like we just got so lost into the numbers there. There's so many cool things in this report that we haven't even looked at. So many of the pictures, I think it's interesting. The Shanghai thing that they're talking about there, it sounds like maybe they're trying to de-risk a little bit geopolitically there. I thought that was interesting, uh, but it's it's a bigger picture. Like I, I agree with what, you, what you're saying, uh, Chili. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's just going to be, I feel bad for all the people that are going to feel a lot of pain, not, understanding the bigger picture and just seeing their brokerage account go down and down, you know, when they bought Tesla at the highs with all, you know, with, with how, how popular it became in 2020 and 2021. Well, let's talk uh, Q2 now. So if you, if you saw this 18 something uh, uh, auto gross margin today with the cut price cuts that they've been doing twice in this quarter, then they did one last night. Are you guys expecting that gross margin could actually be lower than 18%? Lower. Q2. Yeah. I think for yeah. sure. I think it's bullish. But it's that's, bullish. Let's bring Jeff in. Let's bring Jeff <laughs> in. Really earlier no, in the I call, mean, think about it. You, like the more you drop prices, the more you create this. I mean, this is their moat. Is their ability to actually finally leverage their their sophistication when it comes to manufacturing. Up to this point, we've seen it come into the balance sheet, but now they're going on the offensive. It's you bullish know, for the business, but is it bullish for the yeah. stock? Right. Let me no. let me go ahead. It's actually can I just read this first paragraph here in the summary page because I think it's it's a good primer for this topic. So this is from Tesla. Uh, in the current macroeconomic environment, we see this year as a unique opportunity for Tesla, as many car makers are working through challenges with the unit economics for their of their EV programs. We aim to leverage our position 
as a cost leader. We are focused on rapidly growing production, investments in autonomy and vehicle software, and remaining on track with our growth investments. Go ahead, Herb. Yeah, no, that's great. So, I mean, what I was going to say was that everybody I talked to, almost everybody said that this is going to be Q1. It's going to be the lowest uh, auto gross margin for the rest of the year. It's going to keep getting better because of all these, you know, scales, scaling that's happening. Now, reading that, basically, he was repeating what he said, right? Which is affordability is what matters. So he is going to, uh, they're going to just sacrifice gross margin in lieu of, sales and keeping going. So yeah, stock may not move at all this year, but this strategically, this is very powerful this year. Yeah. I mean, it may not me move at all, but it also could go down 50% is what I'm saying. But, but Jeff, do you think gross margins are going to, this is the lowest we're going to see gross margins given the new price cuts and, and, and assuming there's going to be at least one more price cut <clears throat> clear inventory yeah. at the end of this quarter too. Yeah, I mean, using the coiled spring analogy, I, I always said, you know, the the first half of this year, that spring is going to be coiled and there's going to be some amount of compression. I, I'd still like to see the gross margin. To, I'd, I'd like to study this a little bit more than just being on this call to answer that. But I, I don't I don't see this this delta, you know, between 18, first off, 18.3 to 20 is a miss. There's no question about it. it it's just, I don't know if it's material uh, at this point. So, um I think we need to hear some. This is one of this is one of those things where you don't really sell on the kind of the ER report. You really have to hear their commentary, and then you take yeah. whatever you want to do with their commentary. You don't you have to believe it at face value or not believe it at face value. If they give you some real quantifiable things on the call, like what's happening with freight, what's happening with very various input commodities, then you may be able to take something to the bank. But I believe these this first half there's going to be a fair amount of compression. I don't know if this is the floor. I think it's I think it's pretty close to it, uh, unless they do some more material uh, price changes. But I think the second half, to answer the question fully, the second half is going to be about placing vehicles in the portfolio at pur purposeful unit economics that meet the needs of that of that portion of the portfolio versus taking existing models and just cranking them down further. Does that mean there's going to be zero price changes? No. But what I'm saying is they're going to fill out more of the portfolio by inserting new products like the Austin Model Y. By the way, the Austin Model Y isn't ramped at velocity. That factory is not running at full utilization. They don't have the right output yet in terms of velocity of that car through the factory. So that whole supply chain is, is not running at the gross margin structure it's designed to. So I, and I, I believe as that gets to scale, you know, that's going to, that's going to well exceed the, the Fremont. When I say favorably, I mean, I mean, favorably exceed the gross margin of the Fremont Model Y. Yeah. Let me, let me go ahead and finish reading the, the, the statement from Tesla for those that are listening in, because it does, it does give additional color to this discussion. I'm going to throw it over to the beautiful Alexandra Mertz. My goodness. <laughs> stunning. Wow. Happy anniversary. Yashu, looking, looking Thank you. Man. Happy anniversary. <laughs> 25 yeah. years, right? 25 years. Yeah, 25 years. That's amazing. <laughs> don't ask my uh, age. Don't do it. Don't do it. 20, 26 years. 26. Uh, wow, our near I'm, term. I've uh, got the longest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice, Herbert. Yeah, nice. Our near term pricing strategy considers a long term <laughs> view on per vehicle profitability given the potential lifetime value of a Tesla vehicle mm. through autonomy, supercharging, connectivity, and service. <laughs> we expect that our product pricing will continue to evolve upwards or downwards 
depending on a number of factors. Although we implemented price reductions on many vehicle models across regions in the first quarter, our operating margins reduced at a manageable rate. We expect ongoing cost reductions of our vehicles, including improved production efficiency at our newest factories and lower logistics costs, and remain focused on operating leverage as we scale. We are rapidly growing energy storage production capacity at our mega factory in Lathrop, and we recently announced a new mega factory in Shanghai. We're also continuing to execute on our product roadmap, including Cybertruck, our next generation vehicle platform, Autonomy, and other AI-enabled products. Our balance sheet and net income enable us to continue to make these capital expenditures in line with our future growth. And in this environment, we believe it makes sense to push forward to ensure we lay a proper foundation for the best possible future. Alexander, go ahead. Thank you. It's actually funny because I, I pulled in once I'd read that page because it gives me a lot of, of comfort. I don't like the numbers. Let's say that very straight uh, forward. I'm not um, you know, hiding that I'm... Uh, quite disappointed. I told yesterday on the cyber bulls that I had, this was the quarter where I wasn't giving an estimation because I could not get myself to find a reasonable ASP, average selling price. Uh, we had this discussion with Jeff and, and Herbert and, and Christian yesterday. Um, I wasn't going to just, you know, take some estimations from the fourth quarter and, and knock it down because it's so difficult to estimate when in which market they applied what reductions that um, I think Toys, uh, Troy's estimate was 46. And I said, I, I, I'm not even sure it's going to be 46. And now it's uh, by far below 45. So I think we, we overestimated average selling price and they were really aggressive in applying um, those price cuts. And I mean, obviously not having details on how much Model S and Model X and Model Three and why it is, we are always a little bit half blind when we, when we announced. Second disappointment I have, and I'm sorry I'm saying it as it is, is the reduction on cost of goods sold is by far not as much as I'd hoped for. We've been discussing that with Jeff over months now. You know how long does it take to trigger through raw material cost and and all the efficiencies of build. And we're not there yet. Well, the good news on that, the silver lining is we're not there yet, but we'll be there soon. I mean, this is not going to take another one or two or three quarters. We're probably just there. Um, yesterday evening, when I saw the price cut, I really had valley aches. I didn't like the timing because, I mean, I, I sort of felt like, okay, either they're absolutely blowing it out and I'm completely wrong with my fears the last couple of weeks, and, uh, and so they, they're so confident, we may as well continue this way. Or they knew these results were not as um, good as they should have been. I mean, obviously, we all know what happens. You, you have straight away the revenue cut, but you don't have the efficiencies yet. Um, operating margin at, what is it, 11.4, if I wrote it down correctly, is as well lower than with hope for. It's obviously, it's obviously a consequence of, uh, of, of what I just said earlier. Now, again... There's also good stuff in there. And one of them, um, Father just read, the per vehicle profitability, they are seeing it over a lifespan. That is exactly what they should do and us as well. And there's no point panicking now. This is gone. The last quarter is gone. Um, it's autonomy, it's supercharging, it's services, it's connectivity, and all that will play out. Um, they also clearly said they will continue with this floating pricing strategy. Yeah. I mean, I, I love this morning's Emmett's uh, space. I mean, I didn't work much today. Thank you, Emmett, for keeping me off my day job. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but but I did like that that uh, 
we are starting to push a little bit for at least educational communication, right? You can't just expect, I mean, it's all good that there are a million, two million, three million people that are intelligent and understand how engineers talk. Well, I don't, right? I'm a woman, thank heavens I'm married to an engineer, so he brought me two EVs. But there are millions of people out there that may have the money to buy a Tesla, but just don't get it and need to be educated. So this is probably a good moment to, to start this debate and not just always, oh, Elon doesn't like advertising. Oh, didn't he say five years ago that he does like a little bit of advertising? What the heck, right? Let's just start getting the job done sooner or later. And no, I don't know better than management. They have much more numbers and data than us, but then prove it to us, right? And this quarter wasn't the proof for it. Um, so they will continue floating prices ups and downs, which is obviously new to an industry where buyers are used to go to their dealer and swallow whatever the dealer tells them the price is, right? Maybe negotiate or whatever. So Tesla doesn't have this bridge and aren't we happy? We don't have to finance this bridge, but the raw data of pricing, just throwing it to the consumer may not be enough, right? There may need to be some explanation. And it's all good to think how Elon thinks and how these nerds and engineers think, but there's also a consumer there that doesn't think the same way. Then the last point I want to make is operating cash flow. So the free cash flow that was added this quarter is 440 million. I mean, it's obviously a consequence from everything I just said that that is nothing, right? Remember all my nice tables with orange and green and Tesla being the best? This is the first time this is really a little bit of sand put, put there, but nothing solid. So this is going to kill um, Gary's pipe dream of, uh, of a stock buyback. There is, they are not going to do that. They don't have, they're not building enough cash at the moment to even consider stock buyback. I mean, I, I may be wrong in, in, in an hour, but I really don't see it coming. And, uh, and the second thing is, this will probably deteriorate a little bit the, the outstanding position, financial position that, that Tesla had compared to all the other peers. I mean, we'll see, I'll do the table in four weeks, but this is by far not as solid as it has been. Can I add Excellent a few? analysis? Please. Thank okay. you. So, yeah, thank you, Alexander. I love there are a lot of things you just said. Now, the, the couple points I want to point out here. One is, um, you know, this is a unique, uh, a unique opportunity for Tesla that we aim to leverage our position as a cost leader, right? Number one. So they are purposely going to reduce the prices to the point that they are seen as the cost leader across the board. And I'm not, I don't think it's just going to be across against other electric vehicles, but actually ICE cars. And I've been saying this recently where imagine the moment, which we're almost there, that everybody in the world understands that a Tesla is actually cheaper, the price, not only price parity, but actually cheaper than other alternatives with or without the, um, the incentive. So I think that that's why they're going to keep cutting prices. But they also say uh, later they say that, um, you know, this is a near-term pricing strategy, right? Long-term view, as we just talked about. And we expect the product pricing to evolve upwards or downwards. So this is variable pricing. So I know that, uh, Emmett, you were saying, you know, what's going to happen if they continue to keep cutting prices forever? Well, they're not going to. At any moment, they're going to just say there's another 2000 It's variable pricing. So I think that there's this cut until they hit this, this moment when they're at price parity, and then from there, they might cut some more, they might raise some more, depending on the scenario. And so that, 
that's all fine. And I'm, I'm, I think the business is very healthy. I'm not arguing the business yeah. decision. Agreed. of it. The stock valuation is going to reflect yeah. very poorly. That's what I'm saying. And all the people who bought yeah. Tesla in the last two years at a trillion dollar market cap, those people hold on to their britches. They're going to have to hold for a lot longer to get their money. How long do you think? How long do you think? Until full self-driving comes to fruition or until Cybertruck is, is fully ramped. And What know, about if there is a pivot? Macroeconomic rates. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If if also the macro market could save Tesla valuation substantially as well, but I'm not, I wouldn't count on that given what's going on. Like it seems like the Fed there's a good chance they're going to hold rates high throughout this whole year. So yeah, yeah. I'm just saying throughout this whole year, if yeah. margins are coming down, Tesla's stock valuation is a very good chance it gets cut in half. And and I agree with you, Ahmed. I mean, it's I, I completely understand that the Tesla buyer is delighted, right? I mean, if, and, and actually, I'm not even sure if it's easily delighted because if you're currently wanting to buy, so what do you do now? Think, okay, they may go lower in two months again and three months, so you hold off and you have to now suddenly, you know, accept that your car has a floating price and whatever. But anyway, it, it is obviously better to buy it now than to buy a Tesla six months ago. But for the stockholder um, in the immediate this is really not good. And I don't want to, you know, whitewash it. I see all the comments screaming on me there. It doesn't matter. But the, the, it, is, it is really, I mean, Tesla has been known that they're, they're, they don't care about the immediate stockholder interest. And I completely accept that. I know that, you know, as a stockholder, you better do know that. Yeah. But this is another of those proofs. And it may prove perfectly right in, in the medium and long term, but in the short term, the stockholders are gonna are gonna suffer. There's no doubt about it either. Yeah, it's very reminiscent to me. Like if I if I think back to sort of where we were uh, back in 2018 ish, 2019 ish, uh, sort of being invested in Tesla. The Model Three is ramping. The Model Y is is being unveiled and being prepared to be launched. Uh, you know, and there was like a lot of doubt around. Well, you know, this is this is just not going to come to fruition, or or it's it. There was a huge difference between being a Tesla stock investor and then seeing the company sort of laying the foundation for the future. And I think it's it's between then and say uh, about a year ago, almost it feels like since probably longer since Tesla hit its peak, it seemed like the stock finally realized a lot of that potential that was discussed during that time. And now we're back in that arena where the company's still moving forward and is still making a lot of adjustments, but there is a sort of uh, there's a different tone between the company and the stock, just like there was before in 2019, and it might take some time for that to to come to fruition. So I just think from like a yeah. psychological perspective, it just reminds me a lot of that time. I, yeah. I agree with you, and I'd hope that energy was actually pulling in, and and that's my question to Matt. Did you did uh, both on the revenue and and the cost side of on on the energy business? Um, no, so it was actually pretty close to uh, my forecast. Um, so I was forecasting, and, and Farzad, maybe if you could pull up the um, actual amount. So uh, I was at 1.7 billion in revenue, and um, or was it? Uh, you want the actuals from uh, Tesla's report? Sorry. Yeah. Yep. The actual energy. So producer Wef, can you pull up the um, slides, and then we'll look at it together. So I was at 1.7 billion in re in revenue, and then 262 million in in margin. So so pretty close to where they came in. Um, I think on both metrics. I think they were slightly higher on, on revenue and maybe slightly lower on the margin. I think uh, yeah. I assume the margin was a little bit too high, the gross margin percentage. 
Um, Page but 24. I mean, generally, this is this is pretty 23. close to, to what I was expecting. It was one point five. It was one point five in in revenues, and um, one point three six in uh, okay. cost. Yeah. So I, I found it okay, a bit so the... lower, but but I mean, I, I, yeah. But one thing, why were why weren't the sites? Sorry about that, uh, Mada. I'll let you give you a thing. Do show us afterwards the Gigafactory picture on pa page fifteen because that sort of made me happy after all that. <laughs> there we go. So they are they are really they're they're really there, right? I'm tooling it up. It's wonderful. It looks a lot more sophisticated than the previous photos they they've showed us where mm. it was a lot of like empty space. Um, you know, Bradford's done some really good work on the the ramping that they've got going on there. Um, but uh, Alexander, before you joined, we were talking about how if you look at the revenue growth, it actually wasn't that impressive. Like we we're saying, I think it was like eighteen percent or some somewhere in that neighborhood yes. uh, sequentially. But 57-ish percent, if you look at the deployments of Megapacks. Yes. Um, so, so there is this issue of the, the um, revenue recognition on the deployments, yeah. um, you know, lagging a little bit. And, and it's not going to be a kind of like one-for-one, one, um, you know, increase in, in revenue as these, as, you know, both the Lathrop plant ramps up uh, and the deployments ramp too. So um, this is going to be kind of a slow burn, I think. It's going to be a little bit lumpier than, than we might expect. Um, but it's like, to me, the general trend is exactly what I wanted to see. I mean, it was not like the crazy zero sum game thing of like, we're going to do 10 gigawatt hours this quarter and it's going to be like a billion dollars of gross margin or whatever the crazy things they were saying. Um, you know, it's just a, a solid kind of build. And, and, and the thing that I hope they really emphasize right now is like, this is becoming a credible business. Like, yeah, it's, it's still small. You can still ignore it at this scale, but they've got 80 gigawatt hours announced. You can't ignore that if you're and, if you're a Wall Street analyst anymore. And how do you make the, the margin out of that? Because I came to a margin, I wrote it down somewhere, 38 11%. or 39 percent on the energy. No, but once you integrate what is still what's already oh. deployed, can you can you get something out of that? How do you make money on, on the stuff that's already deployed? Is that the no, question? no, no. Can you can you can you extrapolate the real margin? Because it, obviously the 11 percent is not the real margin because it doesn't have everything in it yet you're saying once you recognize the deferred revenue exactly oh um you know i i think part of the the issue with the margins is that you're going through the the backlog which which was priced at a lower Low. you know dollar per yeah. kilowatt hour so um you know i think more of the upside is going to be just like in churning through you know the, that lower priced frankly lower margin stuff because you know you still didn't have the lithium pass through provisions in, in the older contracts. So I, I'd imagine we're getting pretty close to the end of, of those contracts um, mm -hmm. and probably getting on to, you know, the more, more of the higher margin, uh, higher margin ones going forward. So that'll mm -hmm. be a really nice kind of compounding effect to have more deployments, but also at a higher price. Mm. Okay, thank you. Can I have, uh, ask Emmett again about the stock price? Again, I have this thought that you guys sure. triggered. At the beginning of this call, you guys were saying, you know, the, one of the things we are, were, the theme is let's pull the Band-Aid off, you know, <laughs> right? Like hit them hard. And then you were saying, uh, Emmett, that uh, the stock price is probably not going to, it may even fall. It's going to be flat for the rest of the year. But isn't it true that the big reason is because of the macro, because of the interest rate uh, until yeah. they pivot, which is a year later. So strategically even let's say that uh, the the uh, you know it, 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 tesla does not lower the the, the sales price the, the the prices of their cars and they have amazing margins and they sell still maybe a little bit less volume 
but it's in a macro. So it almost doesn't matter what Tesla does this year. They can announce a Shanghai Giga Factory, a Shanghai, I mean Shanghai Mega Pack Factory. They can show movement in the mega in the Mega Pack uh, business, the energy business. Not going to do anything to stock price this year because of the macro. It's a growth stock. It's a story stock. But then once that flips, then everything changes. So you know what I mean? Like maybe this is the year to go ahead and you know sell volume, lower the margins because of the macro. Anyways, what do you think that there's something to that? I think the macro market is, you know, the overwhelming tide of uh, valuations of stocks, growth stocks, especially, and Tesla is considered, yeah. uh, you know, in that bucket. Um, I, I think that uh, margins being compressed um, uh, put, puts it even more in the category of a growth stock that's not as profitable or not likely to become as profitable as soon as previously was expected. And so uh, if, if they did not compress margins and margins stayed at 25% or 30%, like it was several quarters ago, imagine, then I think the stock could be close to a trillion dollar market cap right now if it was at 30% mm. right now. So I think uh, margins are, are a big part of the valuation of Tesla and 15% mm. margins versus 30% margins is huge on the valuation. Yeah, and exactly. And we are, we're on a PE of, uh, of 50, right? I mean, uh, I, I also, you know, I was, I was chuckling when, when, when they said, oh, we're still industry leading uh, with car margins. Well, of course you are. I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, if, if suddenly if suddenly we're comparing ourselves to the GMs and the Fords with all their with all yeah. their antiques and everything. I mean, that, that's not a place I even want to think going. No. So and, and I don't think Tesla does. Let, let's make it very clear. But uh, but I mean, with a 50 uh, multiplier of, of UP, the there is an expectation to growth. And it's not only an expectation of growth in number of cars, it's an expectation of growth in the stock price based on extended margins and uh, and and, um, and and not a reduction to uh, an eleven percent operating margin. That, that's just it. It's not, you know, I mean, is eleven percent operating margin good? Yes, of course, it's absolutely uh, correct. But we're comparing ourselves now suddenly to quarters like Q2 2022 when China was closed for a couple of weeks, right? We're, we're back into into problematic. Uh, quarters which happen all the time and the next quarter is better and I'm, I'm by far not you know giving up on tesla not at all but i just want to also be realistic about where we are at the moment and what what work has to be done real quick i want to bring up a tweet just uh this broke about 50 minutes ago i just want to get everybody uh, up to speed news mm -hmm. microsoft drops twitter from its advertising platform as they refuse to pay twitter's api fees 52 <laughs> minutes ago and then elon uh, responded they trained illegally using twitter data lawsuit time so just Ooh. give you guys a heads up that it looks like elon's gonna sue the ai wars so yeah that should be yeah. fun okay uh just yeah. real quick oh, go ahead nick yeah quick question because i think you can tie that lawsuit back to to the way i'm thinking about what they're doing but i'm curious why do you guys think they're dropping prices so aggressively if it's not for demand or besides demand issues like do you guys have your own like thesis or you know ideas of why demand pure demand it's simple they they need to they need to ship all the product they build and they refuse to educate the public and instead are dropping prices but yeah i don't agree with that okay <laughs> what do you that. think yeah, I just, I, I just, I said it earlier, right? They think that the reason why they're reducing prices is that they want to get to a point where it, it's a price parity with gas yeah. cars. 
there's a okay. there's a, 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 a important uh, no no amount of advertising is going to change costs and costs is still the number one reason why people don't buy EVs until you get to the cost level go ahead and advertise and I'm not against advertising I want them to advertise I'm saying that too I'm just saying that right now cost reduction it hits margins and then I'm saying well even with a macro environment the way it is you can have a you know i i got to weigh a little bit of what you're saying right and maybe but margins you know you 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 um discount cash flow over multiple years and so you're going to compress and all that but you're not going to be a growth company during a macro anyways and so okay yeah, yeah. No, i, I do yeah. believe i okay. i do believe there is a plan behind it 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 looks like as if they have a sort of a system in place where as soon as a certain number of orders per day in a certain market drops to this level, then comes this action. I, I, I don't, you know, last night when I was looking for some comfort zone, why they would do that in the evening of the earnings, I, thought, I, I told myself maybe it's completely dissociated. Maybe there was just, you know, yesterday sales numbers came in, it dropped to a certain level. And uh, and that triggered the next uh, the next uh, price price cut. The other the other hypothesis is that they obviously know to the cent their cost pricings, right? How much cost they have. And so I do believe they have a sort of a corridor um, when they see they can now suddenly produce the Y at this cost from this week onwards. Well, then they adopt the, the selling price. The, the, the end goal obviously is to have as many Teslas in the roads as possible, which are a vector for so much more income afterwards, right? Autonomy, um, yeah. uh, services, and all that. Yeah. Amy so showed an incredible graph that showed that Tesla's pricing is pegged to the average sales price of the cars in the US. Mm -hmm. And so the Model 3 is, I, I can't remember exactly, it's like one of one times, and then the Model Y is two times the average sales price. And so when you see the sales price go down, they lower the price, and when it goes up, it goes up. So mm -hmm. it's a matter of pegging it to that. Gotcha. Yeah, so the reason I ask is because like I have two thoughts on this, and maybe I just, I have, a different background than I guess all you guys. So maybe that's like creating this inherent bias in my mind. But when, when I see what they're doing here and I see like Elon talking about, you know, suing um, Microsoft right now, like it just screams to me just that this is all about data. That's all this is about. Right. I mm. mean, everything you guys are saying obviously is right as well. Right. There's elements to it, but I think from their perspective, it's one with the EV tax credit and all that. Like this is the moment to really, who cares about costs? Get the client base, uh, dominate the client base, just like iPhone. Once you're on an iPhone, odds are you're never going to leave, right? You build that ecosystem. But then the other part, we are in the data wars now, right? It used to be where people didn't know what to do with all this data that they mined and they got. They didn't know how to clean it. They didn't know how to, to label it. But now we're in a different paradigm. And I think Tesla is trying to say, who cares at this? I mean, they care. They have a business to run. But what they care about is getting as much data as possible. And every car they sell, right, it's the same way. They're losing money on the hardware for FSD and all that. But they're getting more and more data. And, I mean, I think you're starting to see the results of that with the beta releases. So, to me, that's the bigger thing, right? And we're going to live in this world now where everyone's protecting their data. You're not going to – I don't think you'll see a lot of, like, ChatGPT type things crawling the internet, getting all this just data. People are just going to hoard it now. People are going to not allow you to, you know, scrape their environments. And so, to me, that's what I see. But I, I have a different background, so I don't know how biased I am. But do you guys agree with any of that, or think that's part of it? No, I think it's part of it. I think it's also 
it also ties in with the, the like the, the the auto emission, like the number of units. Like they made these capacity decisions a year ago. They said like we're going to have a run rate coming out of our factories of forty two k a week. Um, you know, you know, in the second quarter of the year, forty two to forty five k, and they'll just continue scaling. And as they continue to scale, they're going to say, okay, right, what do I need to sell vehicles at to to keep my utilization in my factories and my supply base? up you know over that 80 percent number and if they can do that they weather through this recessionary period because the thing that kills companies is when your utilization drops and and then you're you're screwed because you have all these fixed costs and your whole cost structure caves in so i believe they the mission is get as many vehicles out as possible also obviously run a very profitable business so you can do that and build more factories uh, and then there is going to be a tie into the data piece because they believe those two are going to marry together. But I think the way investors are thinking, like there's a near term of like it was 20 percent and they reported 18.3, you know, put a gun to our head. And then there's people thinking like, what's going to happen the remainder of this year? Well, we, we have to see how they actually this is where I think where the conference call is really important in terms of where they see the rest of the year. Are they, you know, they going to cut every month? And, and, and where did, one of my questions is in the top 10 of the say questions, which was, do you see your, your COGS reductions catching up with MSRP deflation and when? Um, so I think they need to, they need to, to weigh in on that. But I do think all this does tie in together and there is going to, there is a war in terms of data. Uh, and, but I believe Tesla is well ahead of that with what they're doing yeah. with FSD. So, so just a couple points here. One is um, the reason why they're suing Microsoft is Microsoft is essentially controls OpenAI, and there's a, a fight against that right now. And then two, FSD is is uh, you saw that statement about you know total cost of ownership, and the question is how long do you think it will take for FSD to come? And what I'm hoping for, and this is just a total hope on my side. I'm, don't don't hold me to this, but you know, you see how we all thought that general AI or or you know uh, com the company to be able to to beat the Turing test might take five ten years from now, and all of a sudden it happened within three months. The entire world within a month freaked out how incredible GPT is. Is could that also happen with RoboTaxi? No. No, Herbert, it can't. It can't because the car has no. It can't. I mean, I wish I could, but we're having this discussion often enough to interrupt you in the middle of it. That with the car, there's life at the other side, right? You can't jet GPT. You could turn it off and turn it on, no, and that was it. And you there don't was no risk to, to it. No, no I'm not saying like that RoboTaxi. It doesn't have to be RoboTaxi is approved. It's just that. Robotaxi FSD beta being driven by a human is so amazing all of a sudden that everybody goes, oh my God, this is it. It works. Let's go ahead and get all the uh, approval. Only that's what if I'm saying. Enough people have the cars. You need to drop the cost structure for the cars so they can have ac accessibility yeah. to it. Whereas yeah. ChatGPT, anybody can just jump onto and you know to a domain. No, I, I, I'm just saying that when somebody starts seeing the videos of this car, all of a sudden being able to drive so much better than you know another step change up. It, that moment could happen. Oh, Robotaxi is here. I 100% agree. 100% agree. Matt, Matt, what are your thoughts about Nick's question before about uh, demand and price cuts uh, that Herbert and I disagreed on? I mean, how do you square away the price cuts in relation to demand or not in relation to demand? What do you thought? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Elon did kind of, um, you know, 
share his thoughts pretty bluntly. I mean, he basically said he'd erode margins to zero if that's what it took to get more cars out there, mm-hmm. um, which was really alarming for, for me to hear. You know, he's he's um, he's so convinced that like FSD is going to change everything. So the short term results don't matter. And he may very well be right, but that's not really optimizing, uh, I think, the performance of the, of the company, you know, in the, in the medium term. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm concerned that, you know, we, we've, we've kind of spoke ad nauseum about the, 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 the fact that they're not doing marketing. So I won't kind of beat that dead horse. But I mean, it just seems abundantly clear that demand is not where Tesla hoped or thought it would be. Um, and we, we've talked a lot about it, like Elon was saying, I want to put this issue to bed once and for all. That was three months ago. And how many price cuts have we seen since then? So, no, Elon, you didn't put this issue to bed once and for all. Like, this is still very much on the table. And no matter, like, how much exactly. you talk about, like, autonomy coming and, like, where things are going to be fine, like, that doesn't assuage people who are looking at the current data and saying, no, it looks like you actually do have a little bit of a demand problem. But I think what's interesting there, and and Dave Lee mentioned this on your space uh, earlier today, which was a fascinating point, is Mm -hmm. that how Elon defines demand is different from how most people and the actual definition mm-hmm. of demand, right? Where I think, I think he's, if, if you sort of, if I try to not botch what Dave said, uh, he said something along the lines of uh, Elon thinks of demand as the, as the total potential buyers at any given price point versus how demand is defined actually is yeah. based on how many customers you have for a one given price point, right? So, and, and I think that is where a lot of the, Maybe there's a dissonance there on how it's almost like Elon is is using a word. He's kind of redefining what he wants it to mean. And then he kind of s- says it. Right. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I just want to make that point because there just might be like a it's almost like a language barrier there. Right. It's not I'm saying because of English it's because there, there's it's just a different definition to it. And it, maybe that's why there is a little bit of a confusion around it. Right. Just I just want to throw that out there. Sorry, Matt. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I thought that was a great point uh, that, that Dave made on that spaces, which was, you know, really phenomenal. Um, it, you know, it's kind of interesting as, as I, th- I think we all have very different views on like the sh- right kind of short term optimization strategy for the company to weather the next, you know, 12, 18 months. And who knows where macro is going. But like in the long term, I, it's, I get the sense that we're all like incredibly optimistic about where the company goes on the other side of whatever this macro situation uh, I just don't know how any other automaker survives like it it becomes more and more of a thing where it's like it's insane (laughs) if you bring up page 24 real quick producer wife I've we've stayed just because this is I think this is the first time I've ever seen this graphic uh, displayed so oh my god not page 24 uh, oh yeah that's my jam right there look at those numbers (laughs) (laughs) calm down bro let's keep it PG uh so this is a uh, key metrics trailing 12 months. So for those that uh, might be having a tough time reading this. So this is uh, on the left. The left chart is from Q1 2019 <laughs> to Q1 2023. So f- basically for the last four years, the red line is Tesla's year over year quarterly growth. Uh, basically, so Q1 is going to be the growth versus the previous year Q1. And then the blue line is all of the S&P 500, which is basically one of the indexes that Tesla is a part of all the bunch, bunch of different. Uh, it's basically the 500 big, most valuable stocks ish in the United States or not in the United States, in the United States. Right. S&P 500 is only U.S. companies. Right. I just want to make sure I'm right there. I believe that's right. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah. And then the gray line is the auto industry. So they, they've separated out the auto industry and kind of displaying it and saying, hey, look at the auto industry. See how they're growing from a revenue perspective quarter over quarter. Isn't this interesting? And then the one on the right, it's operating margin. So they've taken Tesla's uh, uh, operating margin percentage uh, for that quarter. So for Q1 2023, it came in around 14%. Same thing for the S&P 500, which is a bunch of different companies. You have tech companies, you have automakers, you have manufacturers, you have all kinds of crazy stuff. And then they've also shown the auto industry as well, kind of staying really flat since the, really the, the, the beginnings of COVID-ish. <laughs> and so I thought this was fascinating because it looks like Tesla is really starting to, to, around this sort of topic that we were discussing slightly, is that they're starting to say, hey, guys, yeah, pricing might be going down, margins might be going down, but check this out. Look at, at how much better we're performing versus everybody else on the whole. And I don't know if they've ever shown something like this before on their deck, and I just found that to be fascinating. They, they did, and you, you, don't have, you don't have the Q1 numbers yet for the S&P and for right. um, the rest of the industry, which may as well go, go down as well. So okay. um, you're, you're one quarter ahead for the Tesla red line. Okay. I gotcha. looked at that negatively, thinking that they just used that as a, a crutch to like hide the issue. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah I mean, when I saw this, I just oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, well, I, I was just gonna say, like, if you're GM or Ford, like, this is horrifying. Like, Tesla's doing yeah. all these price cuts, and and you've got yeah. like a seven and a half percent operating margin, and and Tesla's dropping prices by seven percent. Like, how? It's just. That, that's why like i don't really care so much about what happens in the, in the near term because when we, we get out of this like you're going to be in such a like prime position um it's just ridiculous but go ahead Nicholas. what's your reaction when you heard him say it's not about price cuts it's not about I, it, there's they're not trying to kill ford they're not trying to kill these guys they're just trying to get an affordable car out there but then that is what's going to happen and that's not his intent right unless well, he thinks he's going to license his technology and factories to these guys, you know, maybe there but might it, be a partnership soon. It's putting, pr it, it's a good thing, right? I mean, you're essentially, it's like what happens in any industry with new technology. It's the same thing, right? Like eventually you're going to get priced out if you, or you're going to get forced out of the market if you can't innovate fast enough. So them dropping, it's going to force them. They're not going to, I think, I think Farzad or, or someone said it recently in, in like the last two days, People are going to be forced to innovate or die, right? They're not going to have a choice here, right? It's it's inevitable. And so it, it's one or the other. I mean, again, some people will survive here and there with ice, I guess. But, you know, these big, large auto manufacturers like Toyota, like Honda, Ford, et cetera, they're, they're not going to have a choice. And every time Tesla drops the price, it's forcing them to either accelerate what they're doing or to die. It's one or the other. And I, I agree as far as that on all those. Okay. So I think um, the say.com questions have been updated. Uh, <laughs> we have to get um, Matt to answer as if he's Elon, because oh. Matt knows Elon pretty well. Yes. Here we go. And, um, the last time he did it, it had an English accent, then it had a Scottish accent. No, he had a good South African accent, I'd say. So he's James, been practicing, I think. So and you got to dance. 
All right, here we go. This is the, I think should, we, match should we preface this a little bit about what this is? Let's give yeah, let's give some context here, right? Okay, so that say say is a uh, is a website. So go ahead and pull it up, producer wife. Say is a as a you don't want to leave, by the way. Welcome all forty two hundred viewers for this incredible impression. Not to make Matt any more nervous. <laughs> so pull up say. So say is a. Uh, uh, is a website where uh, investors can drop their questions for a bunch of different companies. And these are the most voted on questions for Tesla for the quarter one earnings call, which we'll cover live here in about 25 minutes. And we'll also do notes live as well for those that uh, would be able to use that. And what we're going to do now is Emmett is going to act as if he is uh, a person asking a question. And then Matt Smith is going to be Mr. Elon Musk answering the question in his best South African accent. I can't wait to hear this. Go ahead. Train wreck of an accent. I, okay, I apologize ahead of time. Uh, James F. asks, what is the process to make auto pricing adjustments? What variables do you consider and how frequently do you review pricing? Elon? Uh, what is the process? Uh, yeah, well, if we need to sell more cars, then we adjust the price. Uh, yeah, the, the process is we try to sell the cars and if we need to lower the price, we lower the price. We need to raise the price to the backlog too long, we raise the price. So yeah, that's, that's our, our process. It's really not that complicated. I think anyone in Econ 101 could figure out how to do this. But what about the last part, Elon? How frequently do you review pricing? Look, we, we have just... Uh, amazing amounts of data, granular data, uh, just well beyond what any of our competitors have. So we're, we're getting this on a real time, minute by minute, uh, geographically specific location. And, and so we're optimizing all of those data points in real time. When we, uh, if someone thinks they've got better data than us around pricing or, or better suggestions, I'm open to hear it because you know, we want to be less wrong over time, but uh, yeah, we're, we're constantly looking at this. And uh, yeah, if you think uh, you can do something better, then please join the team. <laughs> and Elon, while we have you for the pre-earnings earnings call, uh, Jeffrey L. asks, do you still believe Tesla Energy will be bigger than auto? And when when will you provide more formal guidance on Megapack and the overall Tesla Energy? That was me, by the way. Oh, that was you. I thought you said that was me. I was like, my, my impression was me. Oh, no, that was <laughs> no, that was me. That's well, my question. Forgetting, forgetting the question. All right. Uh, so slipping back into character here. Okay. Look, if you think in the limit around the size of the energy opportunity relative to the size of the automotive industry, um, you know, it's, it's very clear that um, the energy needs will be much larger than the uh, automotive needs over time. And, and especially once autonomy is solved, uh, the price is essentially going to uh, uh, trend towards uh, zero on, on the marginal cost of a, of a mile driven. Uh, so energy over time will uh, uh, certainly become much larger. Um, so yeah, it, it, it may take some time because the ramps are slow and, and the automotive will be ramping uh, quite uh, aggressively. Uh, and it's got a uh, about an order of magnitude uh, difference in, in the size of, of the, the businesses right now. So uh, for the time to do for energy to surpass uh, automotive, it would be at some point in the next uh, decade or, or, or so, probably mid to 2035. Uh, but from there, the, uh, 
the, the opportunities will just be uh, much more significant on that side of the business. And, and if you read Master Plan Part Three, I mean, this it's not. People think it's it's all about like solar or batteries, but this is it's the entire economy. It's it's home HVAC, it's industrial processes, it's it's hydrogen, um, and and so. You know, these are things that we're just starting the the, the trans transformation of right now, and 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 and, and it's it's uh, it's going to be massive, and people underrate it. All right, Elon. We're going to go all the way down to a question. I'm going to pick one. Oh, look, Emmett P asks with 128 votes, 216,000 shares, way down there. He asks, has Tesla considered testing traditional TV educational advertisements targeting the general public, not on Twitter? Testing it may show this is a more optimal way to increase demand drastically at current price levels versus relying primarily on price cuts. Yeah, well, I don't know what to say. Um, if people can't afford the cars, then they're not going to buy it, even if you have a really slick advertising campaign. Um, so, yeah, spend money so that people who already can't afford to buy the car now want to buy the car even more. Um, yeah, good, good, good. I think that's a really good idea. Uh, maybe we should uh, try that out. Um, uh, or maybe you can just trust us who have the data um, and let us do the job. Um, I would maybe suggest that. <laughs> but good question, Emmett P. See, Emmett, why incredible. is your question so far down? Why did yeah, most we can't even pull out your up? question, bro? My it's God. So far down. <laughs> yeah. You know, so so Matt's gonna do this every time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. every quarter. Yeah, yeah. So you got there. a little sneak peek, everybody, dude. Like the little mannerisms in between were like, like the <laughs> look, like that was just incredible. I just want to. Yeah. It's like you got in front of a mirror and practice. How long did you practice for this? I'm just I curious. Actually did you actually practice sit? either for our thing yesterday or today? Um, <laughs> just that's amazing. I'm listening to Elon. I don't know. Yeah. The, the oh, maybe I should do a Tom Jew. I'll I'll rap. be Tom Jew next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you did That's a great amazing. zach kirkhorn one maybe we should ask a zach kirkhorn question of you anyone fine okay <laughs> well uh, here we go zach kirkhorn this is going to be directed to you uh what do you anticipate fiscal year 2023 automotive gross margins x credits will be at the company's current pricing levels yeah so uh, <laughs> we're not going to provide specific uh guidance on that metric at this time um, you know, I would just say um, we expect them to be strong. We, we, we've guided that our operating margins are going to be industry leading and we stand by that. Um, we're not going to share specific projections, um, but what we think our own internal models are, are showing really strong, um, you know, profitability. Uh, we think we'll, we'll continue to be industry leading. Uh, so without providing specific guidance, I can just share that we think we'll be self-funding. We don't need any future capital raises. Um, but we're going to we're going to do everything that we can to uh, really improve our, our financial performance. And I think when we get on the, the other side of this, uh, you're going to start to really see the benefit of some of our, our ramping on, on energy and, and services margins are really increasing. So I wouldn't get too caught up in that right now because um, our, our long term financial performance is going to be quite strong. <laughs> If that this is better. a proof, if this is a proof that Matt listens to every single word on every yeah, single right. earnings report, uh, I don't know what isn't. So if you need trusted resource oh for information, <laughs> Matt's Matt, Matt. This is Matt GPT. Is what yeah. yeah, Matt GPT. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Oh my god! Wow. Okay, so we do have the call coming up in a, in, a, in roughly eighteen. Matt, thank you. That was incredible. That was that was uh, actually <laughs> I, legitimately hilarious. I don't know how it came off as 
decent as it seemed like it did because it was, <laughs> it, came, it, was it was great. Was this one's better great. than yes, sir. It's beautiful. I'd rather yeah. listen to you than the actual call. So yeah. let's start with Herbert. <laughs> I can make the margins whatever I want too. So yeah, exactly. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, let's, so let's start. Let's go around the, the horn here before the call starts. Uh, we'll go Herbert and then we'll go clockwise around this uh, screen here. So Herbert, what um what are you expecting from the call? What do you want to hear? What do you think they're going to say? And then we'll go around. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I'm a, I am disappointed. So they're going to kind of couch around it. And they're going to say, you know, this quarter is done. What matters is looking forward. We still expecting 1.8, maybe two. We're still expecting 50% Kager growth average over the years. We're doing strong as a, as a company. And this is an opportunity. They're going to repeat what they said in the opportunity uh, in the summary statement. So I think I, I think that that's what I'm expecting. I'm, I don't think they're going to say that the macro is impacted us and that's why the auto gross margin is lower than it is. But yet all of our scaling, all of our factories are on board. Everything's moving nicely. So I think that's what they're going to say. I don't know if that's good enough. It's is that enough to make sure the stock doesn't get crushed, but yeah. Yeah. So I kind of think, um, I was thinking back to the Q4 call and it was a similar kind of like dip on, on the, uh, the release of the um, presentation. And then it actually rallied after the, the kind of guidance that they provided. So I'm, I'm hopeful that they kind of follow a similar path where they, you know, focus more on, on kind of longer term guidance and how they you know think that the margins might be sustainable, even in the face of future price cuts. Um, I hope they don't just BS us on, on demand. Um, Cause I think the market is, you know, really not, not appreciative of that, you know? Um, so I would almost prefer Zach kind of handle that question rather than Elon, honestly. Um, but I would say uh, I'd really love them to talk about um, the energy side of the business a little bit more that there's a question on say, which I'm sure they'll get to on, on kind of like the ramp and where the margins can go. And so I, I'd love for them to kind of focus on that as a, as a longer term upside that analysts need to start modeling in. Looks like yeah, um, my my thought would, you know, if I would have to prepare that, I mean, obviously, I'm never going to be in that position. I would prepare for a lot of details on energy here. First of all, we're all looking forward to that. We all want more food on that. And obviously, in the financial, it's not, it's not, there are not more details in it than there were last quarter. So it would be great if they uh, went into detail that from from there, it would, it also gives them the exposure because today there will be lots of people listening to this call. Because it's difficult to understand these numbers and their and their their current uh, their current politics. So um, I hope they're doing that. That they're going really into detail into energy, how they're ramping it, how the deferred revenues are going to be integrated, and uh, how quickly they see this being a major profit center for the whole uh, for the whole firm. Jeff. Yeah, I hope they I hope they get into the the. I was just re reading the earnings transcript from the, the last quarter's call, just around the $47,000 ASP and the 20% gross margins. And <clears throat> he said, he didn't give a period of time. He said, but we'll stay above 20 points, you know, 20% gross margins. I don't know if that's over the year. Was it, is it each quarter sequentially? Like we'll never fall below it. Um, so I just be interesting to see how they respond to the 18.3% um, and you know, and, and what, what they kind of guide to moving forward. Um, you know, I would like to hear more. I would like them to actually formally break out 
energy uh, and in greater detail in terms of the forecast. Um, so yeah, I'm looking for, I, I think this is one of those earnings calls where you really have to hear the guidance from them. I, I think if they come off, they formally come off the 20 points. But first off, they say, look, a lot of pricing changes. We didn't know what was going on with the IRA in the quarter. A lot of things had to move back and forth. Customers were confused. You know, by the way, the, the, the first pricing changes went in, you know, basically in the third week of the quarter. And if you look at it over production weeks, that cuts out about five weeks of production volumes that would land the customers with the pricing changes. Um, so it, it's something, it's meaningful. And there's also that first month, there was a lot of confusion about the IRA. So for me, I would like to understand, you know, when they have a full quarter running at the price cuts, a full quarter with the IRA is in from, you know, from day one to day 90, really interesting to see if they see any difference in order velocity, or if they can even comment on that. Oh, I'm up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think we might see some interesting stuff. I, I think uh, Elon might come out kind of uh, in attack mode, to be honest. I think he, he might, I mean, just, you know, if he's tweeting this right before the earnings call about suing Microsoft, you know, I could see him, you know, kind of being, you know, adamant about prices will keep down, coming down, you know, we'll do what we need to do. That's about the mission, all this stuff. And I think that they'll make it very clear that autonomy is the future. And chill. Yeah. I mean, uh, Nick uh, stole what I, a couple of the points I was going to say, I think Elon's going to be asked about automotive gross margins and maybe Zach only in some form, but I think Elon will um, signal that, uh, we should be prepared for um, price flexibility or price changes uh, to meet demand uh, no matter what, you know, like he will sell the cars, um, you know, if they have to at a loss, as he had mentioned on that spaces, he might even mention that line uh, if he does, um, uh, you know, I would be concerned for how uh, institutional investors are going to interpret that in the coming days. So uh, I think Elon is going to just, lay the hammer down and say, Hey, we're going to keep lowering prices if we need to. Um, you know, we're just shipping as much as we we're, sh we're building as many as we can. We're changing the world. You know, autonomy is going to turn all these cars into money making machines any, any month now, <laughs> you know, he'll signal something like that any, any time now, and it'll be the largest asset um, increase in history or whatever the term he uses for that. And I think he'll reference that maybe again, um, to keep some of the uh, bulls happy. But I, I think overall, he's going to just, you know, lay the hammer down about price cuts continuing. Okay. We're uh, about 10 minutes away from the earnings call. Uh, we'll be covering it live here as well. We'll be doing notes. Um, yeah, do I think, think I think from, I yeah, from my standpoint, I, I, the, the attack mode comment is is an interesting one because it does seem like, you know, I, I I would be I would be surprised if that's the case because I I do think there has been a lot of uh, if you kind of follow his interviews as of late he does seem to be in a relatively good mood he's been giving pretty you know even even with his uh, conversation with the BBC and Tucker Carlson and those guys he seems to be in a very lighthearted mood he's joking around I mean he's working a ton but he like it it doesn't remind me of 2018 2017 
Elon, where, I mean, you could see it in his face. The dude was literally falling apart. I mean, the guy, I've never seen somebody look so tired before in my life. Whereas nowadays, it does seem a little bit more relaxed. So I do feel like from that standpoint, the tone of the call is probably going to be quite a bit more positive. I think they're going to reframe it around, hey, guys, like, this is what we're doing. You know, we, we can't, you know, we're the only ones that can do this. And if that's attack mode, it's attack mode. But this is what we're doing. Nobody else can do this. Uh, mm -hmm. We have our eyes on the future. Energy is growing. You can see it. Uh, we still are making a ton of money on our, on our cars. It's not, you know, it's not 20% or above, but it's 18%. And we're a mass market vehicle maker. We're the only profitable EV maker out there by a long, long margin. Uh, we're taking market share away from, from competitors. And that's what we're going to continue to do. And, you know, if they start teasing full self-driving more, great. But I think it's going to be one of those things that we're going to have to see actually come to fruition with my own two eyes. I'm seeing it come to fruition with my own two eyes, but I'm one data point out of 400,000, right? So I think I think there needs to be more proof in the pudding for that to actually take this story forward. So um, I think it's just going to be a refocus on a refocusing on the long term of the company and, uh, you know, and, and giving data points, hopefully that continue to reassure investors as that's coming and for folks to start worrying so much about the short term and focus on the long term. But it's a stock market. I, I don't know how realistic that is. Yeah, I, I think there... the other big thing they'd have to answer to is just on the cash side. I think Alexander brought it up as well. Um, I mean, it, it looks like if you take Zeb credits out, you know, they're they're negative cash. So uh, exactly that, you know, so that's a uh, that's something I think they need to, to, to speak to in terms of is there. So here's what I think is happening. And I think this will, we'll, we'll see a little bit more inventory buildup in Q2. I believe they're accumulating, you know, 4680s, battery cells, packs, and other components, not only for mega pack ramp, but also for Cybertruck is starting. So I, that's what, that's unfortunately, when you're in, you have a new, a massive new product cycle, in this case, mega packs and Cybertrucks happening <laughs> currently. One thing you do is you accumulate a lot of components until you yeah. get the peak run rate and, and output of your factory. So yes. that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah, they doubled inventory. They doubled inventory. Yeah. If you go to page uh, 24 on, on the uh, earnings yeah, report, producer wife, yeah. Uh, yeah, inventory went from uh, 12 billion, $12.8 billion uh, 14. to 14.3. Yeah. So that's and, 1.5 billion. And compared billion. to next year and com compared yeah. to last year, same time. And then last year, double. yeah. 6.6 .6 billion. So if you can uh, pull that up real quick, producer wife on page 24, so folks can see it uh, while my dogs go crazy. So the inventory line, which is the one, two, three, fourth line down. Uh, yeah, it went from 12.8 to 14.3. So that's 1.5 billion in cash that's sitting in cars instead of uh, the balance sheet. Well, cars, batteries, anything. Yeah, everything, anything Megabytes, inventory related. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and you look at the production pipe, you know, comparing that point in time last year to now, I, I wouldn't be surprised mm -hmm. with a net because you have more delivery nodes and you have a wider, wider production output node. Um, if you look at their days of sales, by the way, if you go down to the bottom, it's, you know, there's nothing jumping off the page in terms of DSO. Um, so that that's actually, that actually, that actually says a lot in terms of them being able to keep up in terms of with sales velocity, with, with production velocity increasing. So just th that's just to maybe uh, explaining it to like the audience that might not, not, might not be familiar with that audience. What it basically means that even though they have more inventory, they're selling more. And so the number of days it would take for them to clear that inventory is the same. They just, just because they have more doesn't mean that they have a longer backlog in, in a different way. Is that, is that a proper way of 
summarizing that, Jeff? Yeah, and there's some nuances. I mean, with with days, you know, DIO versus DOI, like there's, you know, you have to understand the actual, uh, the cash value of the assets as well, which is what I think they're, they're assuming here. But yeah, no, you, I think you described it well for the audience as far as it. Perfect. Any other thoughts? Is there, yeah. Um, so one of the things I've been hoping for is a moment when one of these quarterly earnings calls comes out and they finally make a really big, big push to change in a narrative that we're not just an auto company, we're an, we're an energy company. Do you guys feel like there was enough now or not yet? Because they can talk about the Shanghai Mega Pack factory. They can talk about the Lathrop now almost pretty well. I think it said there that we're they're already at production and even could do more at peak. They can talk about the increase in margins and sales uh, and the other new sales that they've got lined up. Is it still not quite enough though, right? Or is there enough there that maybe they can just say, hey, we missed on the auto gross margin. The macros affected that. Our goal is to do you know, mass volume sales, irrespective of that, long-term value, lifetime value is what matters. But actually what matters for us as a company is energy. Is that enough or not yet? Well, I mean, cars still will matter. Um, I, I think the, the, the best thing they could do is just go out, explain this is a difficult quarter, but if you have such an aggressive pricing politics, you need a couple of quarters to stabilize that. And obviously the first one is going to have the worst impact because you don't have your costs under control the same way yet. So you, you're in that scissor movement where it's the, the worst at the top. Um, I, I think if you, you can really explain that 2023 is a transitionary year where prices have to become, like you say, cheaper than ice cars and the the evident choice of the of the regular consumer. So, but if that is their case, they need to lay it out better. They they need to make it more understandable to the layman and not just us, um, you know, hypothesizing over it. I mean, to to me, they could make the case really clearly just by saying, "Hey, we've announced eighty gigawatt hours of mega pack factories." That's roughly $40 billion in revenue. Now, it's, not, it's going to take some time for us to build up to that. But what we're seeing in the marketplace is that there is ample demand for that. And actually, if you look at like the interconnection queues, like the demand industry-wide is absolutely exploding right now. You know, the IRA helps it, like yada, yada, yada. But say like, we think that that's a reasonable run rate in the next X number of years, and we're going to build from there. Like I, I think they they haven't done the math yet. Like they put out the things so that people like us can do the math. Um, but to me, that would be like a very simple thing for them to do to kind of shift the the focus a little bit. Can you guys hear a tiny bit of music in the background? Just want to make sure the audio works. No. No. You can't hear. You can't hear audio. No. no. Okay. No. Right, no problem. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt anybody. I would just I'm say just one last thing too is um, for anyone uh, who, um, you know, as a long-term investor, if you close your eyes and can fast forward to 10 years and open your eyes to see what the Tesla stock valuation is, you'd be su supremely happy, you know, no matter what happens the next six to 12 or 18 months, if the stock gets cut in half, whatever, you know, just if you're a long-term investor, I think you just have to realize that, you know, sometimes things take five or 10 years to play out. And so, uh, that's still the story, I think. You're good. We'll hear okay, it. now it's now you can hear it. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Hear it. Yeah. Well said, Emmett. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. So we're just waiting for our friends at uh, Tesla to go live. Um, 
with their call. They should be on in a couple minutes. We'll be, we'll be, we will be doing notes live as well. Oops, I didn't mean to do that. And so I'll have a link for that uh, available for you guys to look at uh, once we are live. And then what, what I do ask from the audience, if, if you don't mind, if you could mute uh, while the call is going on so that we can uh, make sure there's no interruptions. And then uh, we'll, we'll listen to what uh, the folks have testing. Fazat, Fazat, can I get out and back in with the same link? Yes, ma'am, you can. Okay, I will do that. Okay, sounds good. Likewise. She, need, she needs silence to ensure that they can... She can process this. <laughs> Come on, it's the age. It's the age. <laughs> oh, please. You don't like I may that. have to disappear like a little while into it, but you guys won't miss me just to go get my kids and stuff. But uh, I'll okay. try to stay on for a while and just listen. Yeah. And we'll do we'll do a post-call reaction as well for whoever uh, wants to stay on or come back for that. Uh, we'll have notes as well. And, you know, we can, we can gather all uh, everyone's thoughts. And obviously also in the comments section, if you guys have any comments, um, do throw it in. So maybe what I'll do now is maybe I'll just have this, I'll have this going in the background. Everybody just, if you need to take a break, take a break. And then, uh, we'll get started Perfect. here shortly. How's that sound? Is that good? Thanks a lot. Perfect. Sounds okay, good. So I'll do that. Okay. Let me actually do it this way instead. Let me do it this way. Okay. Share system audio. Everybody hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Matt's dancing. So take that as a yes. Okay, perfect. All right, everybody. So if you're just tuning in, we're just waiting for the uh, earnings call to start from Tesla. I'll be taking notes live for this call. Um, and I'm going to post a link to the notes in the comment section below so you can follow along if needed. And uh, we'll get started. So Tesla Q1 2023 Tesla uh, earnings call. Bars on. Then no, no. they uh anyone with the link can view. Perfect. And then you can rave with us. Like or with Tesla in this case, with their crazy music. I'll go ahead and pin the uh, the notes in the top of the comment section so you can have easy access to it. And then we'll get started. We have almost 4,400 people joining us today, by the way. It's freaking awesome. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. We'll see if we get demonetized from the music. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Got a hand to them. The music's pretty good. Oops. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Tesla's first quarter 2023 Q&A webcast. My name is Martin Vieca, VP of Investor Relations, and I'm joined today by Elon Musk, Zachary Kirkhorn, and a number of other executives. Our Q1 results were announced at about 3 p.m. Central Time in the update deck we published at the same link as this webcast. During this call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. These comments are based on our predictions and expectations as of today. Actual events or, uh, or results could differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those mentioned in our most recent filings with the SEC. During the question and answer portion of today's call, please, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. 
please use the raise hand button to join the question queue. But before we jump to, into Q&A, Elon has some opening remarks. Elon? Uh, thank you, Martin. So just a Q1 recap. Uh, Model Y became the best-selling vehicle of any kind in Europe uh, and the best-selling non-pickup vehicle in the United States. Um, and this is in spite of uh, a lot of challenges in production and delivery. So it's a huge credit to the Tesla team for um, deliver, uh, achieving these great results. Um, the, it, it is worth pointing out that the current macro environment uh, remains uncertain. Uh, I think I'm telling anyone they, any, anything people don't already know, um, especially with large purchases such as cars. And uh, while we reduced prices considerably in early Q1, um, it's worth noting that our operating margin remains among the best in the industry. Uh, we've taken a view that pushing for higher volumes and a larger fleet is the right choice here uh, versus a lower volume and uh, higher margin. Uh, however, we expect our vehicles over time will be able to generate a significant uh, profit through uh, autonomy. So we, we, we do believe we're like laying the groundwork here uh, and then it's better to ship uh, a large number of cars at a lower margin and subsequently um, uh, harvest that margin in the future as uh, we perfect autonomy. autonomy. This, this is an extremely important point. Um, let's see, regarding the Cybertruck, we continue to build alpha versions of the Cybertruck um, on our pilot line for testing purposes. It's, it's a great product um, and we're uh, completing the installation of the uh, volume production line at Giga Texas, and we're anticipating having uh, a, a delivery event, a, big, a great delivery event, uh, probably in uh, Q3. Uh, uh, as with all new products, uh, it's, it, it'll, it'll follow an S-curve of, of, you know, so production starts out slow and then accelerates. Um, so uh, the Cybertruck is no different. Um, so it's, it's you know, there's tremendous amount of demand for the product, obviously. And it, it is, in my view, a fantastic product, a Hall of Famer. Um, uh, but it, as with as with all uh, new products, it takes time to uh, get the manufacturing line going. And this is really quite a very radical product. It's not it's not made in, this, in the way that other cars are made. Um, so let's see, with regard to Megapack, we're making uh, great progress. Our energy storage deployment reached nearly four gigawatt hours in Q1. It's by far the strongest quarter ever. And this growth was achieved thanks to the ongoing ramp at our mega factory in Lathrop, California. Um, there's still some way to go to reach the full run rate of 40 gigawatt hours per year. Um, and then we additionally announced the start of a new mega factory uh, in Shanghai. So we were, um, as, as we've um, uh, expected, the stationary storage growth actually will significantly exceed the vehicle growth. Um, regarding uh, autopilot and full self-driving, we've now crossed over 150 million miles driven by full self-driving beta, and this number is growing exponentially. We're, uh, I mean, this is a, a data advantage that really no one else has. Uh, those who understand uh, AI will understand the importance of data, of training data, um, and how fundamental that is to uh, achieving an incredible outcome. So, uh, yeah. So, um, 
we're also very, very focused on improving our neural net training capabilities, um, as it is one of the main limiting factors of achieving full autonomy. Um, so we're continuing to, to uh, simultaneously make uh, significant purchases of uh, NVIDIA GPUs uh, and also putting a lot of effort into Dojo, uh, which we believe has the potential for an order of magnitude improvement in the cost of training. Um, and it also, Dojo also has the potential to become a sellable service uh, that we would offer to other companies in the same way that Amazon Web Services uh, you know, offer, offers uh, more web services, um, even though it started out as, as a bookstore. So uh, I really think that, yeah, the Dojo potential is, is very significant. Uh, in conclusion, we're taking a view that we want to keep making and selling as many cars as we can. Um, despite this being an uncertain macro environment, uh, this is a, a good time to increase our lead further um, and we'll continue to in invest in growth as fast as possible. Uh, once again, I'd like to uh, give a huge thanks to Altez employees worldwide for doing an incredible job again. And um, yeah, um, super appreciated. Thank you very much. And Zach has some remarks as well. Yeah, thanks, Martin. Uh, I want to start by congratulating the Tesla team for record vehicle production and deliveries. And I also want to congratulate our energy storage team for record volumes as well. There's three main points I want to make. First, automotive gross margin and operating margin reduced sequentially, but as Elon mentioned, these remain at healthy levels. In particular, automotive gross margin was impacted by a few factors since our discussion on the last earnings call which include additional action taken in the second half of the quarter to improve vehicle pricing and one-time items, most notably warranty adjustments on older SNX vehicles, as well as increased deferred revenue for certain autopilot features as we transition technologies. Progress on vehicle cost reduction continued in Q1 with meaningful improvements on logistics and the beginnings of some commodity cost reductions starting to be realized. Per unit costs for Austin and Berlin improved as well, driven by record volumes. However, these factories still provide a margin headwind and will likely continue to do so until after we reach and stabilize at our intended volumes. Note that Q1 was our third quarter in our multi-quarter plan to move to a more regionally balanced mix of build and deliveries. As I've mentioned previously, this results in lower deliveries and production within a quarter due to a higher volume of cars in transit at the end of the quarter and has an associated impact on quarter ending free cash flows. This was particularly prevalent in Q1 for S and X as we begin exporting cars for international deliveries. Second, our storage business is starting to take shape and this is exciting to see after many years of investment and focus. This business is growing as a percentage of the businesses of the company's revenue and reached its highest level yet in Q1, driven by an increasing rate of deliveries for our Megapack products. We're also making progress on storage profitability, generating our highest gross profit yet in the quarter. Third, I want to reiterate the philosophy by which we're operating the business this year. Our approach is to grow volumes as quickly as possible in both our vehicle and energy businesses. We plan to continue to invest heavily into our future plans, which include the Cybertruck, next generation platform, in-house cell production, energy storage business, and our autonomy and AI enabled products. And we plan to do this while keeping the business financially healthy and industry leading. To accomplish this, we need to remain focused on cost efficiency and working capital, 
and in particular, unwinding the strategic inventory buildup left over from the pandemic. I want to conclude by thanking the Tesla team again, as well as thanking our suppliers and our customers. Thank you very much. And let's go to investor questions on site.com. Um, the first one is, what is the process to make auto pricing adjustments? What variables do you consider? How frequently do you review pricing? Do, do you want to take that, Elon, or do you want me to take it? My, my apologies, sorry, as I'm mute. Um, uh, yeah, I think this is not something that we, we can really talk about. It's just uh, uh, we, we do our best to evaluate the, you know, the production output, the macroeconomic conditions, and, and we make a decision. But it's, yeah, unless uh, it's something you'd like to add back. No, I think that's right. I mean, as a team, we review where we stand globally on a weekly basis and certainly can't get into the details of the reasons why certain decisions are made. But it, it is something that's very actively managed by a subset of the leadership team. Thank you. Uh, the second question is, uh, do you still believe Tesla Energy will be bigger than auto? And when will you provide more formal guidance on Megapack and overall Tesla Energy? Yeah, I, sh I should just uh, clarify, like, bigger, bigger than auto from the standpoint of like total um, uh, gigawatt hours deployed. Um, so it's possible automotive revenue may be higher, but gigawatt hours, uh, I think, will be uh, probably higher with stationary storage. If you just look at um, the what's needed to transition the world to a sustainable energy economy, uh, there is more stationary energy storage needed than there is mobile energy storage. So, uh, and and we we are seeing uh, growth of our stationary storage um, well in excess of automotive. So that. Um, is in line with expectations. Yeah, and on the, the guidance part of the question, and maybe Martin, we can combine this with the next question, which is on guidance for margins. Um, just have a single comment there. You know, I, I think we are, we will get to the point where we as a company provide guidance um, on the storage business. I say storage, the combination of both the Megapack business and the Palawa business. Uh, relative to total revenues of the company, it's still fairly small. And, um, and and the business has a lot of volatility currently, both in terms of volumes as well as financials, just given uh, the small volumes and kind of diversification of the customer pool there. But, but as this business grows and smooths out, I don't think we're that far away from it. Um, you know, I think including these volumes on our, our day two, production and deliveries release is something that we'll start doing. Um, and then we can talk more formally as a business about our expectations over the coming year. I think it'll be a few more quarters before we get there. Thank you. Uh, the next question, as you said, uh, was already answered. So let's go to the battery question. Oh, so just one other thing I wanted to mention on margin. Um, you know, while we're not providing specific guidance there, I mean, just to set expectations of where we think this business will go in terms of margins, you know, probably generally in the ballpark of what we've seen historically on the vehicle business. Um, you know, we, we generally look to mid 20% gross margins uh, for any program that we launch. And so we're, we're not there yet on this business, but that's what we're working towards. We're hopeful to get there later this year, but that's not a promise. That's an aspiration. Thank you. The next question is, how well are 4680 cells meeting the expectations described on the battery day 
how long will it be until the cells meet those goals? True. <clears throat> yeah. So on, on battery day, we established a cost down roadmap through 2026 across five areas of effort. There was the cell design we discussed, um, anode and cathode materials, the structural pack concept, and the cell factory itself. And we've been making progress across all these aspects since then. Um, for the cell factory, the the Texas 4680 factory, we you know are partway through building and commissioning and installing and operating. Uh, will be 70% lower capex per gigawatt hour than typical cell factories when fully ramped in line with what we described on battery day. Um, and we're continuing to further pursue densification and investment reduction opportunities in future factory buildouts like in Nevada. Um, on the cell design, we're in production with not only the first generation tablet cell we unveiled on battery day, but a second more manufacturable version in Texas today. On the cathode material side, we have a number of activities underway per the battery day roadmap uh, for lithium. Our Corpus Christi lithium refinery breaks ground uh, this May. Uh, our goal is to start commissioning portions of the facility for the, for the end of the year. Uh, the refinery uses the sulfate-free spodumene refining process with reduced process costs, no acid or caustic reagents, lower embodied energy, and actually produces a beneficial byproduct that can be repurposed in construction materials. We discussed all of these concepts on battery day. Um, same with cathode precursor, we've successfully demonstrated a lower process cost, zero wastewater precursor process uh, that we described on battery day at both lab and pilot scale and are in the detailed design phase for incorporating this technology into the front end of our Austin cathode facility. On cathode production, we are 50% equipment and 75% utilities installed uh, at our new cathode building in Austin uh, with our goal to begin dry and wet commissioning this quarter and next quarter with the target to produce first material before the end of the year. Um, structural pack, we saw big improvements with pack manufacturing with the 4680 cell and the structural pack concept, 50% lower capex and 66% smaller factory for the same output uh, in gigawatt hours per year. Um, you know, we're, we, we do believe structural is a, as a concept is a good one. It's simpler. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to structurally load the cells and use the pack as the floor of the vehicle while iterating the design to closer to B-level execution of this A-level architecture in future programs. Um, and zooming out for the 4680 team, Q1 was all about cost and quality. We made significant improvements in both areas. On uh, Texas, production increased 50% quarter over quarter. Through yields increased 12%, and Cato peak rate increased by 20%, and through yields improved by 20%. Altogether, the team accomplished a 25% reduction in COGS over the quarter, um, and we are on track to achieve steady state cost targets over the next 12 months. Um, and going forward for the rest of the year, the priority one is yielding cost for the 4680 program as we steadily ramp production ahead of Cybertruck next year. Thank you very much. Uh, the next question is, uh, what do you anticipate 2023 automotive gross margins X credits will be at the company's current pricing levels? Yeah, um, I, I can start off on this one. Um, you know, this is a difficult environment to make a projection like this. You know, there's a lot of macro uncertainty. Um, there's also headwinds and tailwinds. And, um, you know, this is basically a question I think that's asking about our viewpoint on where costs will go. And, and within costs, there's a set of costs in which we do control, a set of costs in which we're kind of subject to what's going on in the macro world. You know, within the bucket, of things we control, 
you know, the, the the most of the cost down that we're working on is around ramping our Austin factory, stabilizing that, um, and then doing the cost optimization work once we get to our intended volumes there. And, and a, a part of the cost journey in the Austin factory is, as Drew mentioned, the 4680 cell, which is an input into our Austin COGS. Uh, and so, um, you know, as the 4680 program improves over the course of the year on cost, as Drew mentioned, and then the non-cell portion of the factory improves, we see a pretty good trajectory in the Austin facility. A, a similar story exists in the Berlin factory. Um, it does not have 4680 as an input, but uh, for that factory, the journey to complete localization uh, is still ongoing. And so over the course of this year, as volume increases, um, uh, more localization occurs, you know, we do see a good path to cost reduction in the Berlin factory as well. Um, in existing factories, too, we talk about this on every call, so I don't need to rehash it, but you know, the expectation is that every existing factory improves all of their key metrics, and we continue to see the progress there. Um, uh, you know, there's, you know, there's also a handful of other costs in which we have influence, but, you know, the philosophy here is that we're aggressively going across every cost bucket that we can. Um, within the world that we don't control, you know, the two major costs there being logistics, which fortunately is moving in our favor. And I think our supply chain team has done a, a great job both on logistics optimization and taking advantage of, of reduced spot rates where they can. Uh, so thank you to our supply chain team. Um, and then there's the commodities world which uh, has been a huge page point in our cost structure over the last, say, two years or so. And we're still kind of at the maximum of pain for commodities in our cost structure. Um, it kind of it maxed out in the second half of last year. We did start to see in Q1 a little bit of improvement. Um, we think there'll be a little bit more improvement in Q2. But um, uh, lithium has dropped a lot. It, it's worth mentioning yeah. that the price of lithium has dropped significantly. Yeah, and, and that's that's the piece that we expect to see more impact from in Q2. And, and generally, as a company, we do expect commodity prices to come down and have a more meaningful impact in the second half of the year. Yeah. So, you know, th this is our approach. How that nets out, I mean, there's just a lot of, of risk, and we'll have to see how the year progresses. Thank you. Um, the next question is, how has global order intake tracked since the most recent round of price cuts? I think the overall thing we can say is that uh, um, uh, orders are in excess of production. Thank you. Um, and maybe the last question from investors, uh, can you give updated specs and pricing for Cybertruck and any new features that will make it to production? Well, I think we'll save uh, that for the uh, Cybertruck handover, which will hopefully be around the end of Q3 this year. Um, and I, I, one thing I, I, I am confident of saying is that it's an incredible product. Um, it's a Hall of Famer, I think. Um, and a, a product like this only comes along once, once in a long while. So um, people will not be disappointed at all. It's amazing. Great, thank you very much. And let's go to uh, analyst questions. Uh, we'll start with Alex Potter from Piper Sandler. Uh, Alex, go ahead and unmute. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, so first question uh, was on Lathrop. Um, obviously, that's it's great to see the growth there. I'm just wondering 
when you think that facility might be closer to full utilization, um, are you just sort of deliberately working your way up the S curve there? I, demand obviously isn't the limitation. So what are what are the steps, I guess, to unlocking uh, full utilization there? Um, sure. There's there are some classic, you know, factory ramp aspects of what's going on in, in Lathrop. We actually have uh, two phases of the capex there. We phased um, some of the general assembly uh, parts of the facility, uh, but in addition, we also have ramps uh, with our suppliers that we are following. So both on the on the cell side and on the power electronics side. Um, and we will see that unlocked um, in the latter half of this year with, with, with both those inputs. So the, the, the overall facility was phased um, with the second phase of CapEx coming online towards the end of this year. Okay, great. And then um, I guess my second question is uh, on your ability to serve other markets out of Shanghai. Obviously, the, the facility in Berlin should be opening up your ability to I guess, allocate more vehicles to Southeast Asia, Australia, other areas. I'm just wondering what other regions you think you're maybe not yet serving effectively? Uh, what are your timelines for addressing some of those gaps in your regional exposure? Thanks. Uh, yes, that, that's a good question because there, there are so many parts of the world that we do not uh, yet serve with respect to vehicles, especially. Um, so we, we do expect to open up new markets around the world. Um, and while those markets are not necessarily individually um, gigantic, they, they do add up to, you know, if you add up a whole bunch of markets, they, they do collectively um, sum up to something significant. So it's, it's high time that uh, Tesla offered its cars um, to the rest of the world, and, and that is something that we intend to do. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, let's go to the next analyst, uh, George from Canaccord. Uh, go ahead and unmute. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my question. I was wondering first if you could discuss uh, your FSD take rates and whether you've seen any significant positive or negative change there. And also, you know, given that you've reduced uh, the prices for your vehicles, uh, do you think you need to do that for FSD as well? Thanks. Um, well, I, I'll be trying to answer the, the details on the FSD take rate, but the it, it's a tricky, it's a tricky pricing question because the the value of a car that is autonomous is enormous. Um, so in a way, the you know the price right now is an option value on uh, on, on an autonomous vehicle, um, and and that that value is that will, you know will ultimately be very very significant. And um, you know it's really really. Yeah, I mean, for those that are that are using the FSD beta, I think you can see the, the improvements are really quite dramatic. Um, you know, there'll there'll be a little bit of uh, two steps forward, one step back between releases, um, and for those trying the beta. But the the trend is very clearly towards full self driving, uh, towards full autonomy, and. Um, you know, <laughs> I hesitate to say this, but I I think we'll do it this year. Um, so that's what it looks like. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, maybe on uh, the dramatic change uh, we've seen in EV related commodity prices, do you think that the reflection of any recent overcapacity in mining and refining, or is that sort of a coincident indicator 
on global EV demand, and how do you expect those prices to kind of track over the next several quarters? Thank you. And I wish I had a crystal ball to answer your question. Um, I, I don't know if, if, if we can provide a, a, a question that would um, with with that, that would have any uh, value really. It's I think we're, we're we're in uncertain times, and if somebody's got a crystal ball they can lend me, I'd I'd really like to borrow it. Um, but uh, you know these are these are uncertain times. Um, you know, my, my guess is this, it's, you know, economic stormy weather for about a year or so. Um, and then it will hold roughly 12 months. And, and then this is my guess. I'm like, this is pure speculation. Uh, stormy weather for about 12 months. And, and then provided there are not no major geopolitical wild cards that, that, that show up, um, that, that is, things start getting sunny around spring next year. The only... Yeah, the only thing I would say on the like uh, EV materials markets, they're not all super liquid. And some of them, for example, like less than like single digit percentage uh, of the market is actually traded on the spot market. So, uh, and not only are they not super liquid, there's not like storage isn't particularly facile for all of the materials. So uh, like small mismatches in supply and demand drive like large price swings, not not really real price swings, but just like temporarily large price swings. So it's hard to read into this price swing. I don't know, Karn, if you want yes. to Well, but this one, by the way, we are seeing, you know, as Elon mentioned, quite a bit of softening in the lithium carbonate market. Um, this was, you know, six months ago, we were trading at like $85,000 a ton. And, and today's spot price is about 26. So, so there's been a dramatic uh, decrease in that. Uh, of course, we were able to take advantage of uh, low lithium pricing earlier on with fixed price contracts. And we find that this is going to be another opportunity, opportune moment uh, to basically extend that uh, into the later half of the decade. Uh, but the, you know, we we at the quantities we're procuring, we're not as impacted by the spot market uh, because we have um, those contracts in place, and we're just going to be uh, going and doing more of that. The other thing that's happening is because of the price spike, um, a lot of the companies that are in this business are uh, becoming more ambitious about finding more upstream resources and exploring uh, locations in Africa as well as South America. Um, so that's that's also helping the, the macro situation with pricing. Yeah. Um, but just on, on the lithium front, to emphasize the, 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 the choke point is is more much more on refining capacity than it is on on mining. Lithium is actually is, is very common uh, throughout the world, uh, in, including in the US and, and really never ever, it's, it's just a very common um, element on, on Earth uh, is lithium. Um, so it's, it's much more a question of where's the refining capacity and can the refining capacity uh, keep up? That's, that's really what, what matters more than where, it, where is the uh, lithium ore. Um, it's everywhere, basically. Um, the, the, I, I think that same uh, question also extends to refining of the, uh, the, the, the cathode um, and to some degree, refining of the anode, and this is why we uh, at, at Tesla we're, we're building our you know lithium refinery capability uh, at Corpus Christi and uh, our cathode uh, refinery uh, outside of Austin. It's worth noting, like I I I I hope other companies do do the same thing. <laughs> we, we'll we'll have by far the most uh, lithium refining capability. And the most uh, 
a cathode refining capability in North America, I think probably more than everyone else combined by a lot. So can, can other people please do this work? That would be great. <laughs> We're begging you. <laughs> we, we don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, can someone please, like instead of making a picture sharing app, please <laughs> refine <laughs> lithium, mining and refining, heavy industry, come on. It's fun. It's actually fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's real. You have a yeah. customer. We're here, <laughs> ready yeah. to buy. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I just want to emphasize, Tesla's not doing this because we want to do it. We have a lot of, we, we have a lot of fish to fry, obviously, but we're doing it because others aren't doing it and we wish others would do it. Awesome, thank you very much. Let's go to Emmanuel Rossner from Deutsche Bank. Hey, Emmanuel, can, hey, you, can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Yep. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking my questions. Uh, maybe your first question for Elon on your pricing strategy. So if I understand your message, you're saying, uh, you know, Tesla feels it's worth maximizing the volume, increasing the size of the fleet um, as, as fast as you can, because you'll be able to monetize this over the, the life cycle of the vehicle. Could you be a little bit more specific around ways you would be able to monetize sort of like this existing fleet um, in the future? Uh, obviously, I think autonomous seems to be a big piece of it by minus my understanding was that robo taxi would probably be for the next generation vehicle not not the existing one so i guess uh, in which ways would you monetize it sorry the, the robo taxi terminology can be a bit confusing uh, because that that's sort of like a generic term for our next generation uh vehicle um and we obviously are working on next generation vehicle it's gonna be very compelling this is just not the time to talk uh, about it in detail as a product um so we, we we internally call it robo taxi <laughs> but 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 really all of the vehicles that have hardware three which is the vast majority of our fleet we believe will achieve full autonomy so they will be robot they will be a a robot like a model three or model y would be a robo taxi um a robotic taxi um so yeah that that's to, to the best of my knowledge that we we, we believe the, the current hardware can achieve full autonomy Understood. Um, and then maybe a question for Zach uh, back on the um, automotive growth margin. So I think I guess uh, a few months ago, uh, you know, even after major price cuts, you felt pretty strongly that, uh, you know, 20 percent automotive growth margin was still, you know, probably a, a reasonable floor. Obviously, the macro has you know gone worse and additional price cuts have have happened. Is Is there anything else that has changed in terms of the outlook? Is it just the macro deteriorating? Is it the competitive landscape? Anything else that sort of like uh, makes you think differently around you know the full year? And is there is there a way therefore to uh, to frame a floor? Yeah, um, you know about you know about half of the miss against that uh, previous conversation last quarter is attributed to adjustments we made in pricing in the second half of the quarter. Um, I mean, I guess you could argue that that lowers the floor in a sense. Um, we've also made pricing adjustments so far this quarter, you know, so that brings brings it down further. Um, about the other half of the miss in Q1 was uh, attributed to things that are non non recurring. Uh, so I mentioned these in my opening remarks. Uh, 
uh, a warranty adjustment for cars that were previously produced, but not part of the pedigree of cars we're building now. And, um, and some uh, autopilot related deferrals as we make some technology changes here that those deferrals should get recognized once uh, some of the software catches up. So th those two things are non-repeating. So hopefully that helps answer your question. Yeah, I mean, th there's, there's really two uh, macro factors that are, that are tricky. Um, uh, the, the biggest being the, the, the interest rate. So if, if, the, if there's a very high Fed rate or interest rates are very high, that um, that that is every time that the Fed raises interest rates, that's that's equivalent to increasing the, the price of a car. Um, it makes the the cars less affordable because people uh, are able to buy cars as a function of what they can afford on a monthly basis. Um, so um, that that's that. So, so it's just it, almost directly equivalent to a, a price increase is any kind of interest rate increase. Um, the, then the other factor is whenever there's uncertainty in the economy, uh, people uh, will generally postpone um, new, uh, you know, new, new, big new capital purchases like a new car. Um, this is a natural human reaction. Um, so, you know, if, if, if people are reading about layoffs and whatnot in the press, they're like, well, they might be worried about they might be laid off. So then they'll be naturally a little more hesitant than they would otherwise be to um, Buy a new car, and now, now this this is just the nature of the auto industry. That um, you know, it, it but but the, the, there is there will be a tremendous amount of pent up demand for new cars. So, um, but it goes through cycles. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Ben Kalo from Baird. Ben, go ahead and unmute. Hey guys. Um, you know what, uh, Elon, when you talk about many fish to fry, you talked about Dojo being a, a, a product that you can sell outside of Tesla. How do we uh, how do we rank you know, all the things you have going on and then in the economic environment? I, I mean, like heat pumps and um, everything else you have going on versus um, the, you know, investing in the, the vehicle business. Or is that, that not the right way to look at it? Um, I'm not sure I fully understand your question, but the, the you know, I'd, I'd look at Dojo as like uh, kind of a long shot bet, but if it's a long shot bet that pays off, it'll pay off in a very, very big way. Um, but potentially, you know, yeah, potentially in a very, very big way, like, you know, um, in the, in the multi-hundred billion dollar level. But it, but the thing with like, you know, still put it in the long shot category, but long shot with a multi-hundred billion dollar, you know, potential outcome. And uh, so, so it's a bet worth making, um, but not one you can, you, you can sort of say like, oh, you know, take it to the bank type of thing. <laughs> Although these days take it to the bank, <laughs> it's maybe not as, <laughs> as secure as it used to be. Um, so, um, and obviously we're big believers in heat pumps, um, you know, and, and that is on our, on our list that, you know, over time is to do a really good, uh, heat pump for homes and, you know, commercial offices and stuff. And we have the technology, it's really good. Um, but it's, it's still, it's, it's a back burner item. Um, uh, you know, our focus is very much on, on vehicles autonomy, stationary storage, basically as solving sustainable energy 
um, and solving uh, autonomy, which would be uh, from, you know, like says, solving autonomy, if, if, if we're able to have a fleet of several million vehicles that with a software update uh, can, ha can be potentially worth several times their original value, that's, that, that, that will be, if that happens, that will be the, and I think it will happen, um, that'll be the biggest uh, asset value increase in history, I think. Thank you, Bob. We have, uh, just on pricing, uh, a lot of pundits talk about the uh, pie and losing share or gaining share. And uh, but, how do you guys look at pricing versus EVs or the ICE vehicles? Or does that not come into the equation? Uh, sorry to ask about pricing again. Thank you. No, and it, it's really just like you know, we're every day we get uh, a daily real time update of. How many cars were ordered yesterday? How many cars were produced yesterday? We must have, I, if, if there's a company that's got more real-time data than, than Tesla, I, I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's any company on earth that has better real-time data than, than Tesla, except maybe SpaceX, Starlink, you know? So, because um, like we don't have to, you know, for the other car companies, they will uh, make the cars, send them to the dealers, then the dealers will sell the cars and you know and then it takes quite a long time for them to get the data back to actually figure out how many cars are sold um whereas we know how many cars were ordered yesterday uh, throughout the world um so so our fingers on the pulse is, is real time and does not have latency whereas the other uh, car companies have a lot of latency in their data as does the government the government has a lot of latency in, in their data so so we're just looking at and saying okay um, you know, what, what, what does it uh, take to achieve a clearing price for our vehicle production? Um, and then we, we make a pricing change and we see what happens immediately um, and adjust course. So we're adjusting course and we're thinking about it literally every day, seven days a week. Um, every, seven days a week, I look at that email and so is the rest of the team. And we, we, we try to make the least dumb decision that we can. Um, you know, and on balance, I think our decisions are pretty good. Um, you know, sometimes they'll be, you know, dumb, but on average, they're, I think, better than the rest of the industry. Just, just to add on the question about EV market share or ICE, um, this comes up a lot. I think a lot of the public debate is around this concept of EV market share. You know, we don't look at it that way. I mean, we look at yeah. it as market <laughs> share of cars. It's, it's yeah. the car market, not the EV yeah, market. Yeah. And, okay. and actually, the, the mission of the company requires internal combustion engine cars to be switched over to electric vehicles. So that's what we pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. I, I said that last time too. You just we got to you guys got to stop looking at it as the EV EV market. It's how many cars are we selling? Just start looking at it that way. All cars, all cars will be EVs. It's, uh, you know, it's going to, you know, I've said this for a long time. We'll look back, I don't know, assuming civilization is still around in 20 years. Um, uh, we'll look back on internal combustion engine vehicles the same way we look back on external combustion engine vehicles, which like a steam engine. A steam engine is an external combustion engine vehicle. And, you know, there's still a few around. They're kind of quirky and, you know, kind of cool collector's items. Uh, that's, that's how gasoline cars will be in the future. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Colin Rush from Oppenheimer. Colin, go ahead. Go ahead and unmute, please. 
Thanks so much, guys. Can you talk a little bit about how much of the, the actual cost structure is variable, um, you know, on, on these vehicles? And if you could give us a range on plus or minus the, the lithium cost within those contracted volumes uh, that, that you're seeing. Uh, well, I think you have to, uh, I'll, I'll, again, we'd really love to have a crystal ball here, uh, but we don't have it. Um, it, depending on what time scale you're looking at, um, the, the, most of the car is variable. Um, so, uh, most, like most of the car costs variable. So, and probably, if I were to guess, I, I think we will see improved costs from suppliers. Um, you know, um, yeah, I, I think we will. Yeah. That, 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 that is our expectation. Yep, and, and we're already starting to see that, uh, Elon. I think you know, you'd mentioned before that we anticipated a crash in the lithium prices, and and some of that has flowed through by way of lithium carbonate reductions uh, into battery costs. Um, and the same thing will happen with lithium hydroxide. The length of the supply chain matters also because what we're talking about is is very far upstream. So by the time it you know makes yeah, it into the battery that's right. in a car, it'll be several months. But you know, beyond just the commodity pricing, as Zach mentioned earlier, we're also very focused on other metrics that make production very efficient. So for example, detention and demerge, uh, air expedites. Uh, I think our air expedites are down 90%. Detention and demerge is down 93% uh, from the peaks. That's That can be hundreds of thousands of dollars per vehicle. So we're sort of attacking all vectors uh, and, and becoming very efficient. Okay, um, and, and then my follow-up is really around um, stationary storage demand on the utility scale. I mean, obviously there's a gigantic queue uh, for, you know, interconnection in the U.S. And can you talk about, you know, the, the volume of quotation you're seeing at this point around you know, stationary storage uh, for that renewables queue on, on a global basis and, and how, how much of that is converting into actual sales? Drew, you want to take a um i mean it yeah I, I don't that's also not exactly how we we look at it really um we're not like yeah we're not engaged in the interconnection queue like we're focused on ramping megapack as as quickly and efficiently as we can and we have you know visibility into the pipelines of you know a variety of different renewable energy and and just pure stationary storage developers and we also develop our own projects and we're we're mostly just Going, we're being selective and trying to pick the products that projects that best fit our mission and our objectives. Yeah, this again, this is not a product call, but we'll have something. I mean, this, we're making improvements on on on, on many fronts, including Meg, Megpack. So, I think some of those improvements will uh, improve the speed at which you can connect the Megapacks to the grid. Thank you. Uh, the next question is from Mark Delaney from Goldman Sachs. Yes, uh, good afternoon. Thank you for taking the question. Um, do you still see 2 million units as an upside case for volume this year? And is the gating factor for reaching 1.8 million or 2 million units in 2023 still supply chain, as was mentioned on your last conference call, or is it more about demand at this point? Well, you know, if you, if, if you have a crystal bowl, you can lend me back to the crystal bowl situation. Um, uh, these these are volatile times. Um, from a production standpoint, if things go well, we've got a shot at two million vehicles this year. Um, but that is an upside case, uh, and uh, we feel comfortable with 1.8. Um, 
and uh, we'll have to see how this year unfolds. That's helpful. Thanks. And then the company had spoken at the Investor Day and then some of the past conference calls about uh, opening up its vehicle charging network. Uh, can you speak to some of the feedback you've been getting from both uh, Tesla owners and non-Tesla owners and uh, how the uh, the ramp of the uh, charging network may uh, progress from here? Thanks. Uh, Drew, you want to take a um, Yeah. So as, as you may have seen, we opened our first Far, uh, V4 posts in Europe and and um, and our Magic Dog posts in in North America in Q1, um, and that is you know indicative of the direction we're heading with, you know universal compatibility for all vehicles of you know no matter where the charge port is et cetera, uh, in all major markets, and we're going to continue to roll out uh, those sort of improved offerings as we build new stations. Um, we, you know we, we're always balancing like our ability to serve our own customers with our ability to serve new customers when doing that. Um, I think we've been able to balance it rather well. For example, in Europe, 50% of all of our of our supercharging stations are open to all EVs. Um, and we've been able to do that without any increase in wait times at all for anybody. So we're, we're gonna continue to take a similar approach as we do this in North America and China over the coming quarters. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to Rod Latch from Wolf Research. Hi, everybody. Um, I just wanted to first just follow up on your comments in your letter about leveraging your cost position as others struggle with unit economics and also taking into account the lifetime revenue. Uh, actually, in a way that most other automakers will, will never see, uh, just given your service network and supercharging and, and other attributes. Can you just maybe give us a sense of how far you'd be willing to take this? Are, are there brackets around the uh, range of initial margin that you'd be comfortable with? And uh, and again, any any color that you might provide on the updated range of margins that you'd expect in the in the auto business. I think we may have answered this question or tried to answer this question a few times, but uh, it's it's difficult to say what the the margin will be. Um, it depends on how, on what if, if what the macroeconomic environment is is like, you know. So, um, you know, for for example, if if the Fed were to lower the rates, uh, that would be super helpful for demand. Um, if they if they raise them, that's that's you know it's, that that just raises the interest costs that buyers have to pay for to buy a car, so it reduces affordability and re therefore reduces demand. Um, uh, so it's, but if, 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 you know, like if we look past say this year or we're like could go, you know, sometime next year, middle of next year or something, I think things are looking really, I think, you know, like I said, well, you know, we'll throw if, there, if there's some, you know, major geopolitical wild card that, that turns up. But in the absence of that, I think, I would be very optimistic about uh, your middle of next year and the next year. Yeah, and, and just, to, so just to add Elon's comments, um, just two other points. You know, what, what what's really important for us this year, in addition to just managing the day to day of the business, but is also investing in, as Elon mentions, what 2024 and 2025 will look like. And so, you know, using the cash generated from the sale of products today and reinvesting that, this is very important for us. And I, I think that 
what happens to margins over the next couple of quarters only matters in the context of, of what that means for our ability to reinvest into 2024 and 2025. And, and we have a lot of space um, before that becomes something that we have to revisit our investment plans. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're planning to keep the business healthy. But I, I just want to caution folks about reading too much into what happens over the near term here, because we're very focused as a company on making sure that when we exit this macroeconomic situation, this company is positioned in the best possible way. Yeah, exactly. So just uh, to elaborate on on that point, though, the, the revenue, the long term lifetime revenue that you're targeting from each vehicle is massive. So if you took that to the extreme, you it would seem that you'd be comfortable with a relatively low initial margin. Am, am I correct? misinterpreting that or is that that exactly right and and just that is exactly um, right okay and the um normally in in uh, in a recession when consumers feel less financially secure actually price elasticity deteriorates just based on your pulse taking of the consumer do you have a view on uh elasticity of demand uh well <clears throat> uh I can't emphasize enough the, the, the whole just fundamental question of affordability. Um, for, the, for most people, the, the, their ability to buy a car is a function of, of can they make monthly payment or not. Um, and, you know, so like I said, if, if, if interest rates are really high, like they are right now, um, then, um, you know, in, in, in some cases, people can't get a loan at all, you know, so it, it's, it's, a, uh, and <laughs> I think probably banks are, are, are pretty, uh, you know, not, not, leaning forward in providing loans, as I expect these days. So, uh, you know, so that's, that's but, but, but like the, there, there is, there is a quite a powerful story here when you, uh, you know, going back to something that was alluded to a moment ago, um, or mentioned a moment ago, that Tesla is in a uniquely strong strategic position. Um, because we're the only ones making cars that technically we could sell for zero profit um, for now and then yield actually tremendous economics in the future, but no, through autonomy. No one else can do that. I, I'm not sure how many of you will appreciate the profundity of what I've just said, but it is extremely significant. Thank you. Let's go to Adam Jonas from Morgan Stanley. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, so first, Elon, good luck with tomorrow's launch at Boca Chica. Break Thanks. a leg. So we definitely uh, we can't have too much luck in the rocket business, that's for sure. That's <laughs> incredible. Um, so now that you've gotten to know the Twitter architecture, Kind of intimately oh, well <laughs> over the past six months. Uh, what can you tell Tesla stakeholders about how an X.com or super app could be potentially accelerative to Tesla's business model? Uh, well, I don't know. I guess it could make it potentially make it easier to buy cars. Um, so, 
But we, we are straying somewhat off topic here. Uh, this is okay. Kind of All right. We'll, 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 uh, you know, let's I think it. there's some benefit. I think probably there's some benefit. Yeah, let's, sure. let's, I get it, Elon. Um, so this is a follow-up on manufacturing. I, I, you're a student of history, and yeah. you'll know that back uh, in 1913, Henry Ford introduced the moving assembly line in Highland Park, Michigan. And the price of a Model T, which would, had already, you know, been undercutting cars around the time, fell another 70 or 80 percent, and hundreds of rival car companies went bust. Yeah, uh, I'm wondering if if history is repeating itself here, Elon, and that the recent pattern of cuts with you is way ahead of the cost curve compared to competition. Or is this? It seems like it's a calculated strategy, not not just not just in reaction to competition or changing supply demand in the market, but you're, you know, could we, could we catalyze some Darwinian forces in the EV market? Well, I mean, we're, we're not trying to say take, take pricing actions in order to be deliberately, uh, to deliberately undermine competitors or anything like that. We, we, we really don't think about competitors that much. We just look at, you know, do people like our cars? How can we make the product better? Uh, can they afford our cars? Um, and, uh, you know, the sort of, the things like improving service and and whatnot, um, but but like I said, we we do have this uh, unique strategic advantage that that we have an we're making a a car that uh, if autonomy pans out and we think it will, um, where that that asset is actually will, will be worth a hell of a lot more in the future than it is now. So it is technically possible to sell it at zero profit. But still have the net present value of future cash flows associated with that asset be very significant. Yeah. And service and charging and insurance and all of these other ongoing revenue streams that other companies don't have. Yeah. C certainly, we want all EVs to succeed too. We just want to say that we're not in like some malicious attacks to try to discourage yeah. everybody. <laughs> Definitely not. We're, we're, we're like opening up uh, superchargers. We've made our patents available for free. So it's like we're trying to be helpful here, you know. So um, it, we're, we're not trying to, we're not out to, to just destroy competitors or anything like that. We're trying to help competitors, frankly, um, in any way that we can. Thank you. Let's go to Ben Levi for, from Barclays. Hi, uh, good good evening. Thank you. Um, first question, uh, you're ramping supply at, at Austin and Berlin. So I wanted to understand just how critical it is to further increase volume at those plants just to get the vertical integration benefits in the face of the sort of market with some demand questions. And just broadly, should we generally, I mean, historically you've been operating at the pace at which your supply allows you to produce as opposed to gauging to demand. Should we generally uh, expect that you're going to continue to produce at your whatever the max capacity that you're allowed within your supply constraints, regardless of what the broader economic environment is, just to continue to get that volume out there? That, that, that is, yes, I mean, there's, there, there could be like obviously a, a macro shock that is so severe that, you know, people just stop buying cars for, for some reason. Um, but if, in the absence of that, um, we will continue to grow uh, output at a rapid clip. Great, thank you. And then um, just on the, the margins associated with Austin and Berlin, you, you mentioned Austin and Berlin have a margin drag until you reach intended volumes. I don't know if you can disclose what those volumes are. 
And maybe you could just remind us of what the margin profile of Austin and Berlin will look like versus Shanghai once you get uh, the vertical integration benefits in place. Well, probably one half be quite as good as, as Shanghai. Shanghai is hard to, you know, has, has a very efficient cost structures, um, obviously our lowest cost structure in the world. Um, but uh, we, we do expect to be uh, make, make significant improvements in uh, Austin and Berlin um, and continue to uh, make improvements in Fremont as well. So, um, yeah. yeah we've, we've increased, this is Roshan, by the way, we've increased our localization efforts. So that will then drive down uh, our days and on hand requirements. We've made 10% quarter or quarter, you know, uh, improvement in days and on hand. Uh, so we'll continue that path as the localization uh, improves. Okay, thank you very much. And our final question comes from Philippe Pouchois from Jeffries. Um, yes, good evening. Thanks for taking the question. Um, it's slightly longer term. I, I completely agree with your comments that we should look at Tesla in terms of you know, auto market share, not EV market share. But I, I'm just wondering, as you build up the market share globally, is there a limit to the direct selling business model as you practice it? And should we think about going forward, you need to look into the agency or using importers to basically develop market share more smoothly, I guess, um, globally. And so in other words, you know, is there kind of a, 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 a fell by date for the, the direct business model as you, as you practice it today? Uh, it seems to be working well so far. Um, because we, we, we hear different feedback from customers who miss the human interaction or unhappy with the service. And I'm just wondering if, uh, if you're seeing some growth pains in there that would lead you to change. You're not, you're not seeing that. Well, I mean, there are, since, since we, we, we're always going to have some growing pains where, you know, at times, and it depends on which geography we're, you know, we're talking about where sometimes service is behind sales, sometimes it's ahead of sales. Um, you know, this is, uh, I mean, Tesla's growing, I, I believe, faster than any company in history mm -hmm. that has, that has, that makes a large complex manufactured object. So, um, you know, there's, it, these are, if you're trying to max, it's, it's always difficult to match exponentials. Um, so, uh, but, but I think it is helpful to have the feedback loop with, with a service because that means we feel the pain of, of service and, and, and then we can uh, adjust the design to make the car need less service. Um, and I think that gives us a, the, the right incentive structure um, like because the, the, the best service is no service. The car doesn't break. Um, and, you know, whereas if you have, say, a dealer network that is reliant upon service as a revenue, then you arguably have a misalignment of incentives uh, where they, they, you know, they, they're making money on service. But actually, we want to, you know, the, the best thing for the consumer is the car doesn't need servicing. So, yeah. And and then as front, if I can follow up, have you have you worked out? I mean, for many of your traditional competitors, a, a fair amount of profits for them comes from selling spare parts and servicing. And you don't have that in your in your profit structure. And have you have you oh, worked out yeah, how much yeah. of a deficit you have compared to your peers? 
Yeah, actually, um, I mean, this one's something I could wax on about for a while because <clears throat> really people didn't uh, understand that the, the best short-selling argument against Tesla for the longest time was the fact that Tesla does not have an existing fleet um, and that the auto industry, the reason incumbents uh, succeed and newcomers fail, uh, the biggest reason is that the incumbents have a large fleet and they're able to sell new cars at close to zero margin um, and then sell spare parts at a, a very high margin, sort of, you know, razors and blades type thing. Um, and so the only way to actually succeed, uh, for a newcomer to succeed, is to have a product that is so compelling that people are willing to pay a premium um, over the incumbent product. Um, and in the absence of electrification and autonomy, I don't think a newcomer can succeed. Thank you very much, everyone. Unfortunately, that's all, all the time we have uh, uh, for this quarter. Uh, we'll see you again in three months from now. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What'd you think? We're back. What'd you think? Give me your thoughts right now. All of them. Go. Everything. Um, okay. Yeah. By the way, can I just say before you say anything, I'm sorry, dude, your impressions were insane. Like that, <laughs> there were like things you call to the T. If you, you just joined us, uh, Matt did an impression of Zach and Elon earlier on. I think about an hour, hour and fifteen minutes in. Do check it out. I'm sure my clips guy will make a clip out of it. David, if you watch this, go make a clip out of that stuff, and let's let's throw Matt a couple bucks for his performance, eh? To a charity of his choice. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, share us your thoughts. I <laughs> hit the like for Matt GPT. <laughs> go for it. Um, yeah, I mean, so the, the first thing that kind of stuck out was, um, the, our order rate is higher than, um, our, um, production rate. So my first reaction was like, oh, that's amazing. That's really good news. It kind of gives credibility. But then I was like, okay, over what time frame are you measuring that, you know, that difference? Cause it seems like if you were measuring January to March, that probably wasn't the truth or at least like mid January, late January to the end of March. I'm, I'm sure that was probably not the case. Um, so yeah, th that was, you know, kind of interesting. Um, FSD, like complete later this year, I thought that was pretty interesting. And I, I thought it was great that he actually clarified um, for us kind of nerds that um, hardware three, he thinks will be like RoboTaxi capable. Um, so I thought that was pretty good. But you know, I mean, overall, um, I saw a lot of people in the comments and, and on Twitter seemed pretty unhappy or saying like it was a, it, a like, you know, terrible report. You know, I don't think so. I mean, it was not a home run for sure. Um, but the long-term guidance, I think, like you, uh, over the course of the last two hours, I think I've become increasingly more bullish on the company in the long term. I mean, when the, the, think about what he was saying about this point next year, the position they're going to be in relative to GM Ford, everybody else, like, oh my gosh, it's like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen in the next twelve months. But after that, uh, I'm just so I'm. It's like I'm. Uh, kind of unbelievable to think the shape that they're going to be in. Yeah. I think for me, the, the, the biggest thing is that I, I'm glad, I'm glad to see that the company uh, did sort of um, address the guidance sort of misses they had in the last quarter yeah, around margin. So that was good to see, you know, they didn't just brush her. I was like, Hey, you know what, whatever. It's just, you know, and they kept mentioning a crystal ball, you know, but 
Zach did say, hey, I gave you 20, ended up being 18. Half of it was the pricing adjustments because of macro. The other half was because of one-time items. So that was good. That was that was very good that they owned up to that because I do think it's important to build trust with the investing community when it comes to that and kind of like own up to sort of like an error that you made. And I guess, yeah, it's impossible. <clears throat> like, I get it. It's very, very difficult to set an expectation out there for these margins and things. But I think it's very important for them to come out and say something like that. I think the... The tone I'm getting from them, and I'm very curious to hear, is that we're very much in a recession, recessionary environment. And, and they basically said recession a thousand times without actually saying the word recession based on the verbiage mm -hmm. that we're using on certain macroeconomic times, on certain macroeconomic times. How did you perceive that? Do you think, do you think that came across clearly? And that's why Tesla decided to lower its prices because we're literally in a recession? That was, that was my yeah. takeaway. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that they didn't beat around the bush. I mean, I think the worst thing would have been if Elon just came out and said, you know, like, oh, everything's, you know, fine. Uh, and if we have any weakness, it's like Jerome Powell's fault. You know, he, he said, like, things to that effect, I think, not very tactfully before. And I thought this time around, he was pretty tactful and, and Zach, too, uh, about saying, yeah, like, this is an uncertain time. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, you know, in, in terms of demand over the next couple months. But um, I thought they, they did a reasonable job kind of discussing the the room that they've got around margins and everything like that. Um, so, yeah, it's I think it, it, it kind of ticked a lot of the boxes I was looking for them to tick. I mean, absent like some huge miss, like, oh, we actually have every single car that we've produced already has an owner and, you know, we've got a six month backlog, but it's just not showing up like some crazy thing like that. That is just like a Uber bowl fantasy. Absent that, I yeah. thought it was a very strong, you know, kind of grounded in reality uh, update about the, the way that they're ramping. Um, so yeah, I thought that was really impressive actually. Yeah. Yeah. They really, I really did feel like they, they set, they did a really good job setting expectations to the lower end. You know, they said, hey, mm -hmm. margins, I be, you know, the basically message I got is like profits will go down. Margins will go down. Um, we're going to keep ramping volume and in an uncertain macroeconomic environment, unless literally nobody's buying cars anymore. We're going to keep lowering price to match the production of our of our uh, of our factory, excuse me, our factory to what our that? Did you right lose a lung <laughs> off and a uh, trying to say a word at the same time. Yes, I have a collection. Yeah, OK. <laughs> So, so that was um, that's that's what I'm getting. So th this this gives me, you know, I think for this quarter, one one of my errors that I'm going to go back and fix for the following quarters that I, I'm still uh, I'm still a little too bullish on their ability to surprise on the cost side in the near term, mm -hmm. and it's clear that that's not the case. It's clear that a lot of these things have room to grow, room to go, and that their ability to sell cars at the pricing levels they started at at the quarter clearly we're not uh, low enough to continue stoking demand and if and if we take the guidance from the from the management at face value saying that hey the, the lowering on the cost half of it was literally because people are not buying our, our cars as much as we thought which is kind of what they said right yeah. way mm -hmm. then at those pricing levels you know then it's like okay so the economy is slowing dramatically and so the check for me is going to be okay let me look at let me check the other channels let me look at ford gm you know hyundai toyota and you know as i look at those numbers that kind of line up with the same thing people have stopped buying cars people are just not buying uh, expensive cars anymore and so um yeah and so getting it getting that sort of tone from tesla as well reconfirms that sort of feeling that i have go ahead yeah yeah i was just thinking like 
the the kind of inventory buildup that Tesla has had over the last was it three quarters or so has been a drag on free cash flow, like Alexandra pointed out, and and I think it's reasonable. But they're at like eleven days. What you've been tracking GM a lot more closely. What are they at ninety days now? Something, yeah, well, they're like uh, yeah, Chevy. Chevy's around fifty five, and then Cadillac is above sixty, and then uh, Buick is at a hundred. So like so, all so together, yeah, you've had like all those. And that was at the level at the beginning of the year, right? So no, yeah, this, it, was, this oh, was at the was, level like like a oh, week okay. ago. Okay, okay. Uh, so that's been that's yeah, been like a week ago. But yeah, I mean they they've got that like huge buildup, which has frankly boosted their historical earnings. <laughs> and, Correct. And now that you've got a glut of, of inventory sitting on there, and you're going to have to cut on cut your earnings probably or cut your cut your production presumably you know as long as those those other companies are seeing the same kind of headwinds that Tesla is, and they're probably right. seeing them a lot more significantly. I'm, I mean, and and your margins are getting squeezed, and you're trying to transition to EVs, and like you're getting crushed on that side of the business and the ice side. It's just like, yeah, there's going to be carnage here. It's a perfect it, storm just, for them almost. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's not great for Tesla. Like Tesla is not going to post impressive earnings per share growth. Like I, you know, a year ago I thought they would uh, this year, um, yeah. but <laughs> given the situation, like oh, it's just yeah, fantastic. This this is literally. I mean, this is really shaping up to be a sort of the, for the next say two to three quarters, maybe four quarters is shaping up a, to be a expect expect disappointing results. And and check your signals to see if the long term success of the company is still there. So check competition, see where they're at. Check Tesla's FSD development. Check their forty six eighty development. Check their ramping speed. Check their ability to lower uh, to lower cogs. See if they can still reach that one point eight million unit at whatever margin, right? And the stock will suffer. And and it's I'm gonna be I'm curious to see what multiple the stock market decides to give Tesla in this environment, you know, cause if I'm looking at after hours right now, and if I pull up the price real quick, uh, it's down 5.4% right now, I believe. So let me go ahead and share my screen. Yeah. So it's down 5.4%. So for folks that have, you know, as Emmett was saying, bought this, uh, at the peak, you know, uh, then mm -hmm. this sucks pretty bad. If they bought recently, obviously this sucks as well. Uh, are you surprised by the movement right now? Or was this uh, based, you know, is this kind of hitting your expectations based on how the uh, company reported their earnings? Yeah, it seems about right to me. I mean, um, you know, the earnings per share number itself was was fine. Um, but the auto gross margin was was certainly the weak point. And, you know, the, the fact that Zach basically provided guidance, um, which is going to force the the analysts to go out and lower their earnings per share and, and like kind of margin assumptions going forward for future quarters. Like that's that's a kind of reasonable reaction for for the stock. I think. Um, I mean, he, he was saying how half the you know uh, miss essentially was was related to um, the price cuts that they introduced in the second half of the quarter, and then on top of that, there's the price cuts from today. Um, right. So, like, if you kind of compound those together, that implies like a, a pretty decent drop in, in in gross margins for Q2 and beyond. Um, so, yeah. even if you know they're they're reasonably successful in in cutting costs and in, in all the, the ways that Jeff was describing earlier, um, I don't think you're gonna do kind of be making a big dent in in the gross margin hit that the just ASP drops gonna gonna require. So, yeah, um, yeah, this seems about right to me, honestly. 
it, it does seem like if if macro doesn't improve uh, or it doesn't uh, stay flat, if if we take again their guidance at their word, you know, and I, it, based on my channel checks, it does look like the economy is suffering, especially from an auto perspective. If that sort of stays around where it is today, doesn't get any worse. It does seem like Tesla's margins could, you know, get down to the sixteen level uh, at these levels, maybe seventeen if you're lucky. But it does seem like. Somewhere between 15 and 20 is very much uh, very much in play for the next few quarters from the auto perspective. And how quickly mm -hmm. they can uh, roll out FSD, how quickly they can realize the cost savings from Berlin and Austin, uh, how quickly they can ramp up energy, which again, we're getting more and more signals from them as well around that business. It does sound like it's going to take a while for, for those facilities to recognize those uh, those twenty percent margins, right? That we got guidance on yeah. from Zach. Really, this is the first that time that we got that. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, that was that was interesting. You know, there was this whole like vitriolic debate on this uh, six months ago or so, or even more recently, yeah. uh, about like Tesla is going to have fifty percent gross margins on the energy side of the business, and they're going to be you know ramping to crazy credit. rates. Should have given credit. <laughs> yeah, it was just like we were pushing back on all along. Um, now, yeah. I, I did kind of cave and say that the 50% margins are, are possible. Um, sounds like the guidance that they're providing is no, that like 20% is, is the goal. Could they be sandbagging? Yeah, but uh, I'm kind of apt to, to take them at their word here. So, um, you know, I think I forget exactly the, the margin that I had them scaling to, but it was it was certainly higher than the 20% gross margin in, in the modeling I've been doing recently. So you know, I've got to bring down the long term kind of uh, energy margins as well. Uh, but the opportunity is still like massive. It's like, all right, well, you've got 50 billion of, of uh, revenue. Um, and so you've got a $10 billion in gross margin at a 20% margin rather than, I don't know, 15 or 20 if the, the gross margin were, um, you know, 30 or 40%. So it's like, all right, the Uber bull case take, took take a, a beating there, but it was still it's still way higher than where Wall Street is expecting it to go. Um, so, kind of good good information um, brought. I'll have to go down and, and bring my my modeling valuation stuff down a little bit, I think, to account for that. But still, the upside is very significantly there. Yeah. Do you think there is a starting to be sort of a um, recognition by some of these analysts that? Tesla is not just a car company because I'm hearing more questions around energy. I heard the questions around Dojo. Do you think that's going to impact yeah. Tesla's ability to have a, a price earnings ratio that's continues to be significantly above the rest of the auto market? How do you think about that? Yeah, um, I think it, it definitely will maintain that premium. So, you know, right now they're at what, a 50 ish, probably down a little bit now um, from, from where that PE had been. Um, but like maybe the market decides they need to be at a 40 or a 30 or something like that. But like they, they should never be at a 10 or 15 or whatever Ford and, you know, GM are, are at um, because they do have all these, you know, even even some people like. Um, uh, who's that Drew? Uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. The, the bear, Drew Dixon, Drew you know, Dixon, calls yeah. them like the Musk options. You know, like these, you know, Dojo and FSD and all these things, they might be worth something, but, you know. I can't value them and I'm not going to base them, bake them into my, my base case. And that's like a reasonable stance. Um, but as they start actually getting closer on some of these things, like to me, it's like the most conservative thing you can do is just ignore them and say they're worth zero. Um, it's, it's not, I mean, the, the, the way that Elon described Dojo, I thought was, was pretty interesting and kind of comparing it to Amazon web services. It was like, that was something we thought they could do for a while. 
I, I like the the way that he kind of framed that of a, you know, it's not a sure bet, but if it is like, man, watch out. So um, that would be something, another kind of catalyst that I didn't really have in my, in my playbook is if they start selling that as a service. Do you think that includes the the money they'd make from the training on FSD? Do you think how he, that, that that's how he's conceptualizing or is it just purely talking about renting it out as a service? That, that multi-hundred multi billion dollar number. Yeah, I think he's talking about renting it out as a service. So, I mean, he, he was saying like an order of magnitude decrease in the cost of training. So Tesla gets that direct benefit, obviously, in, in the kind of training that they're doing for FSD right now. Um, but then if they have this architecture that's just like super efficient and, and cost effective, um, they can just essentially spin up their new, a new version of AWS and um, sell that training capability, which... I mean, imagine how much the market for like AI training hardware is going to grow in the next five years. And if Dojo just happens to be like one of the best architectures to handle that problem, um, my gosh, what is that worth? I, I don't know, but a lot. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, I, I think um, <laughs> I'm curious to see how the, the market's going to process this. I do believe folks that are have been um, sort of on the camp of, you know, Tesla Tess is going to continue to suffer uh, here in the short term, and it's not going to be a, uh, a, as rosy as it seems. I think those folks probably got a little bit of validation today uh, around some of the short term, maybe even medium term uh, potential uh, price stock movements. But I'm really curious to see, I am really curious to see how that shifts over into next year, because the, the guidance we got, again, if if the company, this is sort of like the thing that I'm, I'm very glad they owned up to their um, sort of not I don't want to call it misguidance, but knowing that they gave guidance on the previous quarter and, and it has changed to the downside. Now that they've done that, I wonder if sort of like the guidance we got about next year looking better uh, will actually uh, take hold at some point. But it does seem like it's a lot of wait and see what happens because that that continued sort of, hey, we aren't certain about the macroeconomic environment. I mean, it's just, you know, we don't have a crystal ball uncertain yeah. microeconomic times man that was my biggest takeaway is that they're basically saying yeah the economy is weird right now we don't know what's going on yeah and we're, we're having a very tough time giving telling you what's going on yeah what did you think about um cybertruck delivery event in q3 yeah. that sounds like a party that sounds like a party boy you know <laughs> uh and end of q3 hopefully end of q3 i think was the actual verbiage that was used the second time it was brought up uh i'm excited for that i mean i think i think it's an, another um it sounds like definitely this year that's what it sounds like to me uh, definitely, absolutely, the first cyber trucks will be delivered this year. I hope. <laughs> I shouldn't say definitely. And, and definitely, it, it looks will likely. Be solved. My car will be a robotech. Yeah, this year. yeah, <laughs> for sure. Come on, Elon, stop being so damn ambitious. It is, it is funny how uh, uh, being so ambitious gets punished in the stock market in a way. But I guess it's because the stock market is trying to be a, a, a future pricing mechanism. So I mean, that's why we get these moves. You know, if you remove emotion. So. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty excited about that. I think that's going to be really good. I, I, I they've sort of started hyping again the how good of a product it's going to be. You know, calling in a Hall of Famer was was you know good marketing verbiage. You know, they say hey, it's yeah. going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm excited, man. It, it's a brand new product segment for the car. We should start seeing revenues kicking in this year. I do wonder how much the the if the stock market will price it in at some point this year once those first deliveries come off the line. It will take a while to ramp. Uh, obviously, but I do wonder if that's going to, you know, uh, for the short term folks following the stock, wonder if that gives them a little bit of a uh, reprieve and ability to be a little bit happy and to look forward to, towards something that 
uh, could be a positive. What do you think of it? What do you think of Cybertruck? Yeah, you know, I was just thinking today about like, Em and I have been on this this rampage about marketing and just how, how it just seems like, you know, they're being a little bit stubborn about not doing it given, I mean, just look at their margins. They're clearly paying a price for that stance. Um, yeah. You know, they, they explained it. So that's, you know, fine. That, that's the way that they're going. But Cybertruck going on, on like streets and like, somebody who knows nothing about like Tesla's or EVs or whatever sees that roll down their neighborhood. Like what they're going to what the hell is that? And they yeah. start all these conversations. Like that's going to be a viral marketing, um, I think sensation in a way that'll really help demand, you know, throughout, throughout 2024 and, and, and beyond. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm just so excited for that. I mean, I think it's exciting from the marketing standpoint. I think it's exciting just as a product. Like I frankly just want to get one and <laughs> drive it around. Um, and, and I think it's exciting because the, the demand is, is so high that, um, I think it's going to be a, a boost to margins. Now, I don't, not initially, I mean, first part of the S curve, you know, I'm sure they're going to have production issues, even if it is super high margin when you're selling, you know, 5,000 of them in a quarter, that's not going to do much on, on the overall financials of the company. Um, but, you know, looking forward in the markets, I think are forward looking, you know, you start seeing that impact in Q4 of this year or something like that. And then analysts are doing a ramp and saying, okay, yeah, this is going to be higher margin. Looks like we're getting out of the recession. Um, I really wouldn't be surprised if we have a, you know, significant rally, you know, latter, latter half of this year, but not investment advice. And I've been dead wrong on that sort of thing in the past. So um, remains to be seen, but I'm just, I don't know. I, I'm actually, I try to be very level-headed about all these earnings calls and, and I know there's a decent amount of bad news in here, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited, honestly, like long-term, yeah. very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a um, it really does seem like they they are starting to flex their muscles. I mean, this is pricing power. We've talked about pricing power, right, uh, many times before. If if there was a situation where Tesla had to drop the prices to make stuff happen, they 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 could, and now they are. And uh, now the the check is going to be checking everybody else. And like GM and Ford and Toyota and everybody else, as these as, as the company continues to lower price and hits more and more markets and more and more segments, the proof should be there over time that says as they've continued to do this and they're retaining what they're saying healthy margins, which we're not quite sure exactly what that means and what they're describing to be a macroeconomic bad macroeconomic time. Like let's assume, I don't know, they have to get freaking prices on 10, 15% lower than now which might put them in single digit margins for the, the auto market. And if that, that's what happens, that's what happens. What's going to happen to everybody else, right? I mean, we should either see dramatically lower volumes from these companies to try and um, marry price to a lower cost structure and retain our profitability, or we'll see something similar where they go from single digit margins to God knows what margins, what, what sort of negative margins they might get, right? So I'm curious to see that dynamic play out. And if, and that's going to be my way of testing the thesis is that if you really think the macroeconomic environment is bad and it's impacting you and everybody else that's selling cars, we should see this everywhere else. And if we don't see it everywhere else, then it's, I think it's a big question for Tesla that says, you're saying this, but I'm not seeing it from every other automaker what's happening. But we are seeing it. You know, Q4, Q1, Q4 was flat with Q3. Q1 is down versus Q, Q4. Q1 was a channel stuffing quarter and inventories went from, yeah. you know, X number to that number. So we are seeing it. It's just... The automakers haven't reported on it yet because they have that secondary layer of stuffing the channel with the dealership network, and now the dealership network's getting stuck with cars they can't sell. You know, yeah. that's the environment we're in now. Well, and it, it's it, it's worth pointing out that Tesla 
is giving themselves a harder goal than the rest of the industry. I mean, like Ford GM and, and all the incumbents are trying to just like not lose share. Tesla's trying to grow at 50% a year. Like it, right. it growing 50% a year in a downward macro economy is like, if, if you just like chart it out, like econ 101, okay, supply is increasing, you know, and demand is decreasing. That like very clearly implies a very sharp decrease in price necessary. So um, it, it's, it's a really tough spot that Tesla's in right now, but I also don't think it's worth, you know, reading too much into it beyond that, the fact that, yeah, it might be a, a more difficult 12 months than, than we otherwise were, might be expecting. Um, yep. So yeah, it's like really tough goal for Tesla, but like them trying to keep these aggressive sales targets is putting so much pressure on everybody else. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, okay. Do you have uh, anything off the top uh, of your head that you want to go through? Because I, I do want to sort of very quickly skim through the notes and see if we missed anything. Is there something you want to talk yeah, about before we did no, that? No, let's dive into that. that. Your, your uh, note-taking skills are epic. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I appreciate that. Let me uh, plug in my mouse because it just literally decided to die. These I feel like these these mice, mouses, these mice are, uh, their battery just dies so quick. Maybe my mouse is just a piece of shit all right here we go so i have a link for that uh at the top of the uh comment section i'm also going to do i'm going to put this in chat gpt and i'm going to do a summary and post it on twitter my god ai technology is crazy all right so quickly elon remarks model y best-selling vehicle in europe best non-pickup in the united states despite a lot of challenges Current macro environment remains uncertain. While we reduced prices in early Q1, operating margin remains among the best. Taking a view that larger volumes, larger fleet is better than lower volume and higher margin. We expect vehicles to generate lots of profit through autonomy, laying the groundwork as they perfect autonomy. Cybertruck building out versions on the pilot line. It's a great product. And a Hall of Famer delivery event in Q3 2023 is what they're going towards. We'll follow an S-curve. Tremendous demand for the product. A Hall of, a Hall of Famer. Uh, we'll take time to get uh, the line going. Radical product. Mega pack, great progress. Deployment reached at 4 gigawatt hours in Q1. Strongest quarter ever. Leather factories is ramping. Autopilot and FSD, 150 million miles driven in FSD, which is such a big number. Uh, number is growing exponentially. Data advantage no one else has. Those who understand AI will understand training data. Very focused on uh, neural net training. Limiting factor for autonomy. Continuing to ramp NVIDIA GPUs and Dojo. Uh, and then the Dojo potential is significant if they could use it as a sellable service just like uh, AWS, which he brought up on the remarks. It wasn't even a question. He brought it up yeah. as a remark, which was fascinating. Uh, want to make as many cars as, and sell as they can. Good time to exceed the lead further. And huge thanks to the Tesla employees. And real quick, Zach, congrats to Tesla team for record production and deliveries. Autonomy gross margin and operating, uh, this is auto, excuse me, auto gross margin and uh, operating margin reduced by, uh, reduced but remain at healthy levels, uh, impacted by additional adjustments and warranty adjustments, so on and so forth. Uh, Berlin and Austin costs are also down. Storage business is starting to take shape. Uh, approaches to grow volumes as quickly as possible, focus on efficiency and doing things from COVID, so on and so forth. Any remarks there so far? Um, no, no, nothing Nothing I want to dive into necessarily. Anything okay. stick out to you? No, no, it's just kind of, we've kind of discussed it already, I think. I think the dojo thing was interesting. Um, and there was, oh yeah, there was, no, we already talked about it. Uh, okay, so questions. What is the process of auto pricing adjustments? Don't really want to talk about it. We do our best to take our production output to macroeconomic environments. 
as a team, it's a team review where we, uh, this team review is where we stand globally and can't get into details as to why we're making decisions, what is actively managed. And then do you still believe Tesla energy will be bigger than auto? And then they said bigger than auto on total gigawatt hours deployed, not necessarily by revenue. Auto could be bigger. Seeing growth of energy storage while in excess of automotive. Uh, guidance for margins on energy around 20%, just like any other program that they launch. Uh, any comments yeah. there? Yeah, I mean, we, we did kind of talk about that already, but it, it's it's a pretty interesting disclosure that, that we've had for the first time. You know, the, the one we didn't touch on really is the, you know, gigawatt hours, you know, in, in terms of sizing uh, of the opportunity. So kind of getting back to, to master plan part three, you know, he's saying the, you know, we're, we need more gigawatt hours for stationary storage than we do for, <laughs> what, what did he call vehicles? Like uh, moving vehicles or something like that, non-stationary? Uh, yeah, non-stationary, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting way to frame it. Uh, and I hadn't exactly thought of it in, in those terms before. Um, so, you know, I think what that's implying is, is obviously the pricing on a dollar per kilowatt hour basis will be higher for cars. Cause you know, they've got seats and all the other like steel associated with making a car. Uh, but they, the, the majority of the cells will actually be for stationary storage. So, um, kind of interesting. And, and I think it was a, a, a subtle reframing of, of the way that he's discussed this in the past. Great. Uh, how well are 4680 cells meeting expectations uh, versus battery day? So they established a cost down roadmap through 2026 there. They're making good progress, hoping to get near production by the end of the year over at Corpus Christi for the lithium refining. 75% uh, utility is installed for Catherine and Austin. First material by end of year from that facility. And then structural battery pack, they, they've seen big improvements. They do believe that the structural battery pack is a good process and it still makes sense. And Q1 was all about cost of quality, significant improvements in both areas, 50% quarter over quarter in Texas, 25% reduction in costs over quarter, and on track to achieve steady state targets by end of year. Any thoughts there? 4680. Uh, yeah, th I think he also, didn't he say something about like a 20% increase in max throughput out of Cato, um, which was yeah, I believe which pretty right. interesting. Um, I, you know, you kind of forget about cable because now it's all about, all right, let's get it in, into production. But I mean, they're at 10 gigawatt hours, I think, right, is, is the capacity in Cato. And I, I mean, so. that's that's pretty meaningful, too, especially when you consider the the IRA credits that are going to go into those those cells as well. So, it, I mean, it's good to see that they're continuing to work on that process because, you know, as they get that up and running in future plants, I mean, the, the learnings at Cato are going to be pretty important, too. Yeah, great point. Uh, what do you anticipate 2023 gross margins for cars will be at current levels? And th that was a fast. There were some really good questions on today's call, I thought. Yeah, like some I agree. Pointed, better than usual. Yeah, yeah, pointed, great questions. And it was great. And I thought the, the answers were quite good as well, mostly. Um, so a difficult environment, lots of macro uncertainty, set of costs we control and some we don't. Within the bucket we control, most of the costs that we're working on is around uh, around the Austin ramp. And stabilizing that cost optimization work uh, to get on intended volumes there. Uh, 4680 cells is a big piece. Uh, similar story in Berlin doesn't have 4680 as input for that factor. Typical localization is ongoing as volume increases, more localization occurs. Uh, and then the world that we don't control logistics, but moving uh, in favor, supply team is doing a, a great job. Uh, and then commodities are a huge hit point. It's still at maximum pain in the cost structure, but there will be more improvements in Ketune. Q2 and lithium prices uh, have fallen uh, significantly. Let me just make sure I fix that. Fallen. 
significantly. And then they do expect a bigger impact in the second half of the year, a lot of risk, but we have to see how the year progresses. And then, uh, yeah. And so any thoughts there on that guidance? We've talked about it briefly, but if you have any thoughts. Yeah, it, 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 the thing that kind of stuck out to me was just how different like the issues of each plant are. I mean, Shanghai is still kind of like the standard bearer and, and frankly an asymptote that the other plants won't get to in terms of profitability. Uh, but it, it's just kind of interesting that they're trying out different strategies, you know, like localization is this issue and uh, in Berlin, which kind of makes sense because the whole supply chain to date has really been in like US based in China. So they got to kind of stand up something there that makes sense. That would be a harder problem, but I hadn't thought about that. Um, and 4680, we obviously know that's a huge problem and you know, opportunity uh, in Austin as well. So uh, just kind of interesting to think about the, the different issues at the plants. Uh, then the question is, how is global ordering tracking? Uh, how is it tracking? How is ordering global ordering tracking? My goodness, why can't I do this? Tracking since uh, the most recent round of price cuts, orders are in excess of production. <laughs> and that was really the guidance we got there. Hold on, we got yeah. Chili back. We got to bring Chili in here. What's up, Chili? Hey guys, how are you? What's up, dude? Okay. Not, dude, you no look good with that beard. You gotta, know, you gotta wear it more often. I'm too lazy. I'm too. La I only like to shave once a week. I guess I don't know. I love it. What do you think of the yeah. call? Uh, sort of as I expected. Um, um, I, I guess the business is you know great. I'm I'm excited about the long term business. Um, the stock I'm worried about for the near term. But um, you know I'm a long term investor and happy to hold through thick and thin. Um, but um. You know, near-term stock movement, I'm very certain could be uh, trouble. What was something that really jumped out to you during the call? Well, when uh, uh, at the towards the end, actually, there was uh, a question. I think the Jeffrey's analyst or someone asked about uh, margins again. Like, so you're willing to like ask Elon to reaffirm that he'll, you know, sacrifice initial margins for the lifetime value of the car. And Elon like said, yes, yes. He like reaffirmed it in the middle of the question a couple of times. I don't know if you remember that part, but that just, I think he had already, they already sort of said that earlier, but I think it just like really stuck it in there. Like, Hey, we're going to have very low margins potentially initially up front, but the lifetime value is going to be huge. So it's just a question of whether, um, I could be wrong about the stock if this if the market if institutional investors are willing to uh accept tesla similar to how they accepted amazon for so many years with zero margins you know how amazon for years uh carried a very heavyweight valuation um because they were investing all in growth and, and had very little or zero profits basically and so investors looked past that and still gave it an incredible valuation so if tesla uh oh, the Russians got him. <laughs> Chelly, we lost you. I think you need some more uh, peppers in there or something. Uh, what do you think? Like what do you think of that setup, commentary? Though. Oh, he's back. Oh no, right. is he back? Yeah. All right, we got Chelly back. Go ahead. Sorry, I have to put my phone on do not disturb. Get those spam phone calls. My goodness. So, uh, I think if institutional Wall Street is ready to accept Tesla in a similar manner as a true disruptor, not just an automaker, and, and they're willing to accept Tesla to, ha to, to have, you know, very low margins um, that Tesla may need to have in order to ship 500 to a million cars a quarter, 
which they're getting up to that, um, then I think Tesla's valuation could, you know, stay where it is or potentially go up. But unless uh, if that if, if institutional Wall Street is not ready to accept Tesla in that way that they did Amazon for all those years, um, then I think, uh, you know, valuations of Tesla is going to get crushed for the for the near term. What, what's the likelihood that's that happens? How do you think about what, what does Tesla need to showcase for that to happen? Or is it just literally up to the market to decide they, they want to the market? I mean, to me, it's 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 a no brainer to me. I'm not institutional Wall Street, but in the eyes, if I have to put myself in the shoes of institutional Wall Street, like Gary Black or, you know, he that's how he thinks. Right. And he would be the good, good person to ask this question to. Um, I, I would say it's. Uh, I don't know, less than 50, 50, um, that suddenly that there's like a sudden change in how, uh, institutional wall street, uh, embraces Tesla, uh, as a company, you know, they have to fit it into their models somehow, some way. And, you know, Amazon was, was only a bookstore for a short period of time. And then institutional wall street realized it's something much more, but Tesla to most of institutional wall street is still an automotive company. I think that's the problem. Mm-hmm. What do you think of their uh, sort of verbiage around uncertain economic times? I don't have a crystal ball. Did anything mm -hmm. jump out to you when they were saying those things? Yeah, I think that was like Matt impersonating Elon. It was Elon <laughs> impersonating Matt impersonating Elon or something. I thought like, Matt said that line or something. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, that just to me is standard Elon, you know, uncertainty. Yeah, um, you know, he doesn't know what's going to happen with commodities and um, yeah, just like a non-answer answer sort of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Matt and I were discussing that and I thought that was kind of a, uh, a very, uh, is it a way of saying recession without saying the word recession, you know, mm -hmm. like, Hey, mm -hmm. the, the, the car market is suffering. We literally have to continually drop prices. We're looking at prices every single day and we, mm -hmm. we are making sure that we're marrying up our prices to production as close as humanly possible. And we are uncertain about the rest of the year and we're willing to drop margins to zero. Uh, yeah. Doesn't that scream recession to you? Like a pretty yeah. severe one? I mean, potentially? or that they're just uh, not enough of the general public is educated on Tesla's to be willing to pay current prices for as many as they're selling. So you know, you put it that way, where if Tesla were willing to educate the general public, then, um, you know, uh, they would just take away a lot of sales from other ICE cars that are selling for $50,000 or $40,000 or $35,000. Um, but, in, you know, in the absence of uh, a major education campaign to the general public, um, Tesla is going to have to drop prices more to sell, you know, twice as many units as they are now. Mm -hmm. Matt, did you have any anything you wanted to add or anything you wanted to ask? Um, no, I, th I think it might be good to to get back to the to the document. I think there's a lot of sure. good stuff we haven't, haven't kept going. Yeah, through yet. so let me go ahead and do that. So what we're doing, Emmett, is I took some some notes, and now we're going through the notes, and we already went through some. So uh, we're just going to continue going. If you want to add or add any commentary, please feel free to do so. Uh, mm -hmm. So one of the uh, investor comments or questions was can you give us an specs on Cybertruck? we will save that for the delivery event which will, we will which will hopefully be around the end of q3 i'm confident in saying that it's an incredible product and a hall of famer and i said hype train choo choo 
So he's starting to really hype this thing up, which is great. Um, mm -hmm. Any any thoughts on the Cybertruck stuff, Emmett? Yeah, the I, I, I think Cybertruck is the biggest way to advertise, not educate. Well, it's going to cause curiosity. That's what you need to do. You need to cause curiosity either through education or something explosively cool like the Cybertruck. So if they can start shipping, you know, 50, 100,000 Cybertruck a quarter, um, that might not be till early to mid next year, let's say, then that's when people are going to see them all over the road and it'll, it'll kick off a ton of curiosity among all kinds of people to talk about it at the dinner table with grandparents or whatever. And that'll help bring a whole new wave of demand and such. Matt, did you want to add anything else on Cybertruck? No, I mean, it's a similar point to what I was saying before. So, I mean, I think it's a, it's a big deal. I think it's, you know, potentially going to be a pretty big catalyst. So, I mean, it's, it's, it gets back to the same thesis that we've had that, you know, the next 12 months are looking pretty rough, um, to be honest. But then the, the, the next 12 months after that, are, I'm super excited about. So um, mm. it's interesting yeah. to see when will the market like what? Well, the market in Q3 all of a sudden starts saying, hey, things are a hot mess right now. But gosh, look at, you know, six months yeah. from now, things are really looking better. You could see the stock really rise in that yeah. scenario too. Yeah, yeah. Like you might just have a really dark time for the next six months and then a nice rise after that. It's hard to say. It, or it could be a year until the stock start, starts rising. Yeah, it's hard to say. But I agree. There's just, there is a, a very uh, bright pot of gold at the end of the rainbow if you can wait it out. Yeah. Oh, hello. <laughs> do, does does he have any Gavin. thoughts for us? Yeah. Oh, do you have any thoughts on the Cybertruck? Do, do you have any thoughts on the Cybertruck, Gavin? How many kids you got over there? Like seven, bro? Jeez. <laughs> Three. Uh, what do you think about the Cybertruck? They think it's the best ever. Okay. Best ever. Best. Okay. Yeah. Did they yeah. do independent research or are they, are they influenced by their father? Can you ask him that? You, <laughs> do you do independent research or are you influenced by me? Yeah, this is me. <laughs> yes, real. it's real. It's real. Yeah. Yeah, there's like 4,000 people watching, I think. So be careful. Yeah. Famous. All right. Your, words, your words will be locked forever. It's all good. That was my, my wife in the mm -hmm. comments. She's like, oh my God, so cute. Little Emmets. It's uh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're cool. all eating their french fries and ice cream before a baseball game. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Question from uh, Piper Sandler. Uh, Lathrop, great to see growth. When do you think the facility will be close to full utilization? Uh, the comment was there are ramps at the facility with the suppliers. We should see that unlock in the latter half of the year, second phase in the second half of the year. And the follow-up was ability to serve customers out of Shanghai. Wonder what are the regions that you aren't serving effectively? And then the answer was many parts of the world that Tesla does not serve yet. Expect to open up new market throughout the world. Even though they are not gigantic, gigantic, they do collectively add up to something significant. It's about time that Tesla offers its cars to the rest of the world. Any comments there? Um, no, I mean, the, I think the other thing that they were talking about at that point was the um, the interconnect queues and how much those are growing. And I think it was kind of interesting to hear that, you know, they're not really looking at that from a demand perspective. They're just figuring out how can they ramp supply. So kind of a, a similar analogy to the um, to what's going on in the auto business that like, they're just going to ramp up supply as much as possible. And so uh, right now, demand seems infinite, but it could be the case that, you know, three years from now, we're having the same situation on the energy side that we're having right now on the auto side, where you know, there's just all of a sudden they've, they're ramping up supply and the energy industry, for whatever reason, is going through a downturn. And um, so uh, it's just, uh, it's interesting. It's a huge opportunity and I'm excited to see it ramp up though. Emmett, anything from your side? 
I agree with Matt. I agree with Matt. Yep. I'm excited okay. to see how it ramps. Cool. George from Canaccord, can you discuss FSD take rates given that you've reduced prices? Uh, do you think you need to do that for FSD? No details on take rate, tricky pricing question, a uh, value of the car that's autonomous is enormous. Price now is an option value on the autonomous vehicle. Uh, I think we will do uh, FSD release later this year. And I put an LOL at the end because I think it deserves it. And then uh, the follow-up was uh, EV commodity <laughs> prices. <laughs> do you think it's a reflection of overcapacity and supply? And then there was a lot of commentary around this. I wish I had a crystal ball. Can't provide an answer. We are in uncertain times. Guess is stormy economic weather for the next 12 months. Provided there are no major geopolitical wildcards, things get sunny around spring next year. And then uh, EV material targets, most are not super liquid. Fluid, maybe, I meant to say. A uh, single percent uh, percentage uh, is traded. Oh, th I'm talking about, what is this? What am I talking about here? There are large price swings and, and EV material targets. We are seeing softness in lithium carbonate. Could take advantage of low prices for the rest of the decade. We have contracts in place with various with previous pricing. Because of the price spike, companies are becoming more ambitious in finding places in Africa and South America. And then on the lithium front, the choke point is on refining versus mining. Lithium is very common. And the sort of same verbiage around, hey, like we just need refining capacity versus mining. Any thoughts there? Uh, that last part we've heard ad nauseum over the last year or so. Yeah. So uh, no, I, I, I still wish they would explain that a little bit more than they have to date. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's not unexpected. We've seen commodity prices come down. Um, just how those translate into the, the earnings or the, the cost of goods sold will be interesting to track over time. Thanks about uh, it I mean, with like uh, forward, forward contracts and such. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd be curious to see what Jeff Lutz thinks about, about that comment. You know, um, I got to go, guys. I got to get going. But I was, thanks for having me on again and, and listening to you guys while I'm driving my kids. I'll touch you later. Of Enjoy course, man. Way to prioritize All your right. kids over us, bro. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't do that. Look, I'm here. My, my wife's yeah. single parenting right now. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Emmett's a better person. <laughs> Take it easy, right, Emmett. Thank you, you guys. for jumping right. in. Bye. Appreciate your brother. Bye. That's great. See, that's how you are a good – you have a good dad as an example there, Matt. Learn something. Jeez. My God, what a terrible person. <laughs> oh, man. I really do wonder how many people think we're serious. I hope nobody does. But I know some do on Twitter. It's very obvious. It's actually kind of very entertaining. Emmanuel from Deutsche well, Bank. Pricing population collapse. So thanks for screwing over humanity. For now. Give us a second, bro. Okay. Just I, wait. I, You'll see. I just know Cindy <laughs> saw those kids, and I don't, we might be seeing many Farzads, you know, nine months from now. <laughs> well, we don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing yet. That's why we haven't decided if... Uh, we should, we should get cracking or not. Uh, Emmanuel from Deutsche Bank. Um, pricing strategy. Tesla feels it's worth maximizing volume and fleet. Able to monetize this over a full life cycle of the vehicle. Can you be more specific? And so they, they kind of describe this robo-taxi terminology can be confusing. It applies to the next generation vehicle. They internally call it the robo-taxi. But here, actually, I forgot to mention this. at the This was huge. I think this is the first time we actually heard this guidance regarding full self-driving. All of the vehicles that have hardware three will achieve full autonomy. Model three and model Y will be a robo taxi. Current hardware can achieve full autonomy. Uh, what did you think of the, of that verbiage? Yeah, I, I think we did touch on that at the, at the outset. Um, it, it, yeah, that was a pretty big announcement. That was something, you know, the whole Chuck Cook B pillar question was, you know, you know it seemed like a pretty reasonable stance that you'd need a, a kind of hardware 
four and maybe even like a hardware five because it seemed like hardware four wasn't the big retrofit that some people were expecting that it would be so i mean they obviously have looked at this in tremendous detail um and if they thought that there was a problem with the placement of the cam cameras um i absolutely believe they would have just come up with the hardware four it would have been very easy to just say yeah you know look we we thought it hardware three would work for you know full autonomy it's going to be a great adf system it'll get you from from a to b you know it'll be like an fsd that will work, um, but it's not ever going to be autonomous. Like that would have been a fine solution. Like there wouldn't be legal action for, for that. Um, I don't think any sticking legal action for, for that. Uh, but the fact that they're pretty convinced that, that they can improve the cars with just software is pretty impressive, I think. Um, and, and a massive economic um, implications too. I mean, this is, this, is, this is where he got to my absolute favorite line of the night. Um, you know, he, he was saying how um, um, it, 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 at the point at which you can, um, you know, turn an, an existing car into a um, into a functioning robo taxi, the, 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 the utility just uh, increases uh, exponentially. Um, yeah. And what I've just said is quite profound and I don't think people <laughs> realize it. That, that was my favorite line, like the little like humble brag, like what I've just said is so profound. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 that wasn't even it. It was uh, the profundity of what I've said is uh, yeah. remarkable. It was yeah. profundity. It was like, just kiss on that. Uh, it was great. Never change Elon um, if you watch this for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh never, I, I mean, no one else says that. No one else and, says that. But it was like yeah. so true. Like that's, I mean, back yeah. in 2019 when I kind of went all in on the stock, I was like, yeah, you know what? Like nobody thinks that this is like possible to like retrofit existing not even retrofit just software update boom you're like your Switch. car increases in value 4x or something like that at no cost to tesla like the margin implications of that just completely right. staggering um that thesis is still out there it's just that most people are still not yeah. describing it at any value i think i think what's what's fascinating what's starting to really i'm starting to really wrap my head around is like i i think i now understand why people don't give that any value is because Tesla does set ambitious targets and they do miss and they do yep. miss and they yep. miss. Right. And it's, but it's, but it's, but the important ones come to fruition late and uh, the really important ones come to fruition in just insane gang, like 500,000 by 2020 insane. Right. So, but, but I can see why I can see why, um, I can see why that sort of narrative has taken hold because, you know, 20% margin, 47,000 ASPs. Nope. You know, a yeah. full self-driving ready by autonomy, by, you know, future complete by the end of 2022. Nope. But you know, it's, it's, it's ambition. It's not, it's not, uh, the, it's not giving you a false promise. It's like they are ambitious, they're ambitious, you know, yeah. and they, they just miss and it, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. I think if, like, if you go back to the, that, um, Elon Musk series on wait, but why from I don't know when was that like 2014 or 15 or something like that. Um, I think Elon at the time was saying that, you know, they were going to have the, the first manned mission to Mars in like 2018 or something like that with the, <laughs> right. with the BFR or something like that. And it's like, that was a wildly optimistic goal. They've learned a yeah. lot, but look now tomorrow we're gonna have the first orbital launch of, How of crazy Starship. Is that? like this, like massive thing that he's been talking about for a decade. It's finally going to become realized, you know, now. And so, yeah, he he massively missed the timeline of something that's so disruptive that it doesn't really even matter that <laughs> the timeline's been missed. So, right. uh, yeah, it's just 
the size of it kind of dwarfs any misgivings I have about uh, how bad of a prognosticator he's been around timing. Yeah, for sure. The one thing, the one thing that always sticks to me that that was told to me when I was a pharmacy tech back at when I was going to school to college as my part time job, it was do you want it done now? Or do you want to do you want it done right? And I was like, yeah. wow, that was very profound. It was the profundity of that statement was quite, uh, quite amazing. So Were I you high a lot. At the time? No, I wasn't. <laughs> wow, that's so funny. Yeah. dude throwing it back that's a that's a big callback <laughs> double rainbow guy all right um follow up on the 20 percent gross margin uh sort of <coughs> excuse me so follow up that 20 percent gross margin was reasonable given the guidance that we're giving at the end of q4 but macro has changed what else has changed is there a floor and so the guidance was about half the miss is attributed due to adjustments in the second half of the quarter. That lowers the floor, made adjustments in Q2 as well. The other half of the miss is attributed to things that are non-recurring, warranty adjustments, so on and so forth. And then there's two macro factors that are tricky. Uh, the biggest one is the interest rate. If there's high interest rates, it's equivalent to increasing the car or the price and less affordable. Another factor is when there's uncertainty, people will generally postpone big new capital purchases like a new car. If people are reading about layoffs, they might get worried. There's a slowing economy, nature of the auto industry goes through cycles. Any thoughts there? Um, no, I think that's kind of similar to a lot of the stuff that we've already hit on. So I don't think we need to rehash that necessarily. From Bird, uh, uh, many fish to fry, Baird. Dojo. How do we, Baird? What is that, Bird? You said <laughs> bird, bird and you wrote Beard. Beard. <laughs> I think how it's B A I R D. Jesus Christ. B A I R D. Baird. Yeah. Baird. Not B E I B A I R D. Oh my God. And an A is the say one English? that's like an O with a little foot. Thanks. I was yeah. going to say English is not my second language, which is not, but this, I don't think, I guess, a, is that an actual word? What does that even mean? No, it's, it's, an, it's the name of a company. It's okay. A, Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Professor. Appreciate that. I'm uh, a many fish, guy, so I know that. <laughs> <laughs> many fish to fry, like Dojo. How do we rank this versus the rest of the business? So they look at it as a long shot bet. If it pays off, it will pay off in a very big way in the hundred multi billion dollar level, which is something we discussed earlier on the call. But it, uh, but um, you know, put in a long shot category, take it to the bank. But you know, the banks, uh, you know, don't take it to the bank. And then he made a bank joke. Uh, also, big believers in heat pumps and homes, but those are background items. Uh, they focus very much on vehicles, autonomy, and stationary storage. Uh, solving the um, stationary, I don't know why they didn't tell me. Solving sustainable energy and autonomy is, is a huge focus. If Tesla can solve autonomy, the biggest value asset increase in history. And then <clears throat> the follow-up was around pricing, You know, losing share, gaining share. How does Tesla look at pricing versus EVs or ICE vehicles? This was actually sort of a re reiteration of how Tesla really thinks about why they're doing what they're doing. Every day, Tesla gets an update on how many cars were ordered versus produced. They have likely the most real-time data for their cars. Tesla knows how many were ordered just yesterday. Like through the, yeah, just <laughs> like you said. It's very true. <laughs> you call that to the freaking T. Uh, Tesla knows how many were ordered yesterday throughout the world. The finger is on the pulse. There's no latency. Adjusting course every day. Decisions are pretty good. Sometimes they are dumb, but on average, it's better than the rest of the industry. And then as far as EV market share goes, a lot of the public debate is on this concept. Tesla doesn't look at it that way. They look at, at it as the car market. Mission of the company requires ICE to be switched over. Any thoughts there? Uh, um, no, I mean, I, I do think it was funny that they basically said, like, we're tired of, like, you guys looking at it wrong. We've been telling you for years, that, like, it's the whole car market, not the EV market. So, like, do your job right is basically what they were saying. I thought it was pretty funny that 
that wasn't even Elon. I think that said that it was uh, somebody else. Yeah, it was somebody else. I'm not I sure. I think it was Lars or somebody else. It may have been Lars. Yeah. I can't remember. It was who just it was. kind of funny seeing yeah. you know one of the you know sub Elon people being so like testy with snarky with the analysts. <laughs> snarky. Yeah, it's like it's yeah, great that they feel that comfortable to kind of you know push back in that way. I think it's it's good. You know, I like to see that just in the, the depth of bench, like we saw on Investor Day, just having, you know, yeah. so many people that are comfortable in their own position to not be afraid that they're going to say something that will get them in trouble. So true. It's funny because Elon wasn't snarky at all in this call and he a non-Elon person yeah. was snarky, you know? Yeah, that's... I like that. That's a, I like that's that. That's flipping the script <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I love it. Progress. See that? Come on now. <laughs> Uh, can you talk about the cost structure? This is from Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, can you talk about the cost structure that is available on cars? And then uh, again, they would like to have a crystal ball, but they don't have it. Depending on what scale you're looking at, most of the car cost is variable. We've started. We've started seeing um, uh, improved costs from suppliers. Some of that has flown through uh, lithium production, commodity pricing. We're very focused on the metrics like uh, and other things like reducing air expedites so on and so forth and then around stationary storage can you talk about the volume of uh, quotation that you're seeing and how many are converting to actually sell actual sales uh, they're not really looking uh, at it that way they're engaged in ramping mega pack as quickly as efficiently as possible uh and this is a uh this is not a product call but we're making improvements i don't know what that means uh, making improvements on how quickly you can connect mega pack to the grid um yeah. And so that, that was sort of like, oh, we're not, this is not a call for new products. I think this is not a call for new products, but making uh, improvements on how quickly you can connect the mega pack to the grid. Uh, any, any thoughts there? From those, from those yeah. I mean, it was kind of interesting because I, I would have loved to hear a data point about like, oh yeah, since the IRA passed, we've seen, you know, like a 30% uptick in orders or something like that. I think that's what they're trying to get at. Um, yep. You know, Tesla is kind of in this spot where they don't have to give that level of, of detail. I mean, they've got a three-year backlog. I mean, they can they can just say, yeah, all that matters is production, and that's a fair answer right now. But I, uh, just anecdotally, or, or just out of my own curiosity, I would have been interested to hear, you know, if they did see some kind of spike after the IRA passed. Cool. Goldman Sachs, do you still see two million as a goal, and is one point eight million supply or demand constrained? Those are these are volatile times. Again, production standpoint, if things go well, shot at two million. That's the upside case. They feel comfortable at 1.8 million. Have to see how this year unfolds. And then an investor day opening up the charging network. What are you hearing and how is it ramping? And then there was a comment about how they opened their first V4 in Europe, uh, supercharger and the magic dock in the US, heading towards universal compatibility for all vehicles in all major markets, balancing ability to serve customer, current customers versus new customers. And this was an interesting uh, data point. 50% of superchargers in the EU are all EVs and zero increased in wait times. So they've essentially, uh, you know, that that's that's a pretty pretty significant uh, data set there. Uh, any any thoughts around this? Um, no, it's, I mean it's it's kind of interesting. I think they said in the in the deck that you know this is not like a big cash cow for them, but they're seeing some incremental um, margin. I, I was actually surprised with the the margin of the services business overall. Um, you know, I was expecting that to kind of revert back close to zero percent gross margin, but and said, I think they made around 100 million of, of gross profit on services. So, you know, that's that's like a nice little adder. And to Elon's point earlier about trying to get all their, you know, lines of business, that 20% gross margin, that certainly applies to the supercharging as well. So uh, it is small right now, but um, it's going to be, 
um, kind of similar to what he was saying about adding all the different geographies kind of help, helps increase demand overall. And I think when they get start ramping up all these other parts of the business, it's like, you know, 200 million here, 100 million here, and you start ramping that up and that has, starts to make a, a somewhat meaningful impact in the financials as well. So I'm just kind of glad to see services progressing better than I thought it would. Cool. Wolf Research, leveraging cost position as others struggled and, and lifetime revenue. Can you give us a sense on how far you'd be willing to take this? Are there brackets around a range of initial margin? Any call you can provide on update, updated margins, uh, updated range of margins. Difficult to say what the margin will be depends on the macro, what macro dictates. If the Fed were to lower rates, that would be great for demand. I'd be very optimistic about middle of next year into next year. Important to invest in 2024 and 2025 today using cash generated to invest back. Uh, caution, don't read too much into recent quarters. Macro is very uncertain, kind of saying that the economy's poop was my verbiage. They didn't say that. Uh, and then the follow-up was long-term revenue. No, they did not, they did not okay. use the word poop. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, not very, that would be very professional. Long-term revenue of the co company is massive. Sounds like you would be comfortable with a lower margin and Elon said, correct. So in a recession, pricing elasticity deteriorates. How do you view it in this context? And so cannot emphasize enough uh, the question of affordability. For most people, it's all about the monthly payment. Banks are not leaning forward to provide loans these days. Tesla is in a uniquely strong strategic position. Only ones making cars that they can sell for zero profit for now and yield tremendous economic in the future through economy. If they chose to do that, uh, it is extremely significant. So, you know, the, the profoundity of this uh, statement that came from that. Uh, any additional color there you want to give? Uh, no, I think we did already touch on that, on that point. So yeah, it's, um, I am extremely profound and I wish more people would listen to me. <laughs> All right. We're <laughs> down to the last three questions. So from Morgan Stanley, uh, hi everybody. Good luck tomorrow with Starship to Elon. Now that you know Twitter really well, what can you tell Twitter sh Tesla shareholders about X or the super wrap? And then the very brief comment, it could potentially make it easier to buy cars, kind of out of topic. There's probably some benefit. And the follow-up was back in 1913, Henry Ford introduced assembly line concept. Car costs fell 870 to 80%. Is history repeating itself? And then, uh, you know, so we're not trying to take pricing actions to undermine competitors. We don't think about competitors that much. Do people like, you know, we think about do people like our cars? Can they afford our cars? Uh, we do have a unique a strategic advantage possible to sell zero profit with net future cash flows and service and charging and insurance. We want all EVs to succeed too. We're trying to be helpful. We want to help them in any way we can. Any thoughts there? Um, no, I mean, I thought it was good. I mean, if he came out and said, like, yeah, we're trying to crush the competition. I mean, <laughs> that would not be uh, a good look. And, and frankly, we, we, we all know it's not true. I mean, it was kind of a silly question. If you're following the company closely enough, you know that from the beginning, that's, that's never been their, their goal. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, I, I did think, you know, Adam Jonas had actually watched a couple like videos like from connecting the dots. I know it was, was doing some Highland stuff, connecting it back to 1913 or whatever it was. So um, that was kind of interesting to, to hear, hear that comment. But I don't think we got any kind of useful tidbits from Elon out of it. Yep. Uh, second to last question for Barclays. You're rampling uh, supply at Austin and Berlin. Uh, help us understand how critical it is to ramp those factories in current macroeconomic environment. And then uh, there could be a macro shock that is so severe that folks stop buying cars. But in the absence of that, we will continue to grow output at a rapid clip. And then the margin was margin and Berlin, margin drag until intended volume. Can you remind us of margin profile of Austin and Berlin versus Shanghai? And then I, I think this is the first time we got this guidance. 
Uh, probably will, probably won't be as good as Shanghai, but we expect to make significant improvements in Austin, Berlin, and Fremont. We'll continue to increase our localization efforts. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I think we, we touched on that one a little bit earlier too. Actually, the um, you know Shanghai kind of being the standard bearer and, and the asymptote that other plants are going to get to. So, I mean, that was something when I was thinking about my modeling. It was like, oh, you saw how huge the margin improvement when they ramped Shanghai was, but that was when you're going from Fremont, like the worst. To Shanghai, the best, but now you're gonna you, you have this like weighted average portfolio of production where you know you've got Shanghai and and Fremont together, kind of like setting this blended rate, which is I don't know probably close to like 20, 21 percent now with the price cuts, um, and then Berlin and Austin are kind of dragging that down a little bit. So even once like if if Shanghai right now is at I don't know twenty six and Fremont's at uh, eighteen or something like that, what they're saying is you know. We're, we're never going to get back to the 30% range, essentially, that, that we had last year, um, unless the whole macro changes pretty significantly. Um, so, yeah, that's I think that's going to force some some changes to the kind of modeling that, that people are doing. And um, it makes sense. And then the last question from Jeffries, we should look at Tesla in terms uh, of auto market share. Is there a limit to the direct business model should we look into different ways of offloading inventory and then uh, elon's goddess was seems to be working well so far we're always going to have growing pains depending on the geography it's helpful to have feedback with service we feel the pain and know how to change the car so it does it needs less service best thing for the customer is no service and then the follow-up was um fair amount of profit comes from service parts from legacy would tesla think about doing that at elon went on a tiny little ramp before the end of the call people don't understand that the reason incumbents succeed is because they have a large fleet and are able to sell new cars at close to zero margin and sell spare parts at very high margins the only way to succeed for a newcomer is uh is uh for the only way to succeed for a newcomer uh is to offer a car that is so compelling they have to pay a premium over incumbent cars in absence of EV and autonomy, and newcomer, a newcomer cannot succeed. Uh, any, uh, any feedback there? Any, anything for? Yeah, I mean, you know? I thought these questions were both kind of dumb. Honestly, it's like oh, I could have really used a Pierre Farragut to, to round it out. Um, yeah. Like, okay, like these are not meaningful questions. I think, like, no, we're not going to do a dealership model, and uh, yeah, we don't have a service business model that's that's really meaningful. And yeah, that was a problem for us, but we overcame it. So I think the the interesting thing is not the question so much, but like their their kind of response of like, yeah, you know, the only way for so we know like legacy is dead. They kind of established that, um, but the only way for a newcomer to succeed is for them to offer something so compelling or that's autonomous. And they also said that the only way to be successful in autonomy is to have a massive data set, which nobody but Tesla has. So it's like when you start putting the pieces together, it's just like they are just a wrecking ball in the industry right now. And I don't know how any other company survives or or maybe they they survive but at like you know one percent gross margin or something like or not not, not gross margin because you can't survive with that but one percent net margin um so i don't it's just uh, you know if i'm just taking my investor hat off and just watching this as a business story like i want to pull out the popcorn and just watch how this unfolds over the next five years because i have a feeling it's going to be bloody and i have a feeling it's um uh it's going to look a lot different five years from now than it looks right now and i think that's what the you know, answer was, was kind of getting at is like, this is, uh, this is not going to end well for a lot of people. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think the, it's going to be very important to separate out 
especially for the next nine to 12 months, test of the stock and test of the company, because th th there's a potential that there's going to be a pretty drastic decoupling. But I think as Tesla continues its mission forward from a very good financial footing with, you know, lessening margins for sure, but with enough cash flows to subsidize the business growth at their targeted 50% year over year on average and bringing out the Cybertruck and bringing out the compact car and building out Giga Mexico and building out Berlin and building out Austin and building out Shanghai, you know, and, and developing full self-driving and ramping up energy and they can still add uh, cash to the bottom line or at least stay even while everyone else loses sales and they continue to grow. How could you not like that company? And so the question becomes, what is the market going to give it uh, from a valuation perspective? And that's really the the, the, the trillion dollar question is like, what, how is the market going to value this business into the next uh, year or two? So I'll be, I'll be interested to see, man. It's, it's very interesting times. It, it does really seem like Tesla, the company is... It, they are very much firing in all cylinders, I think, in the respects to tr really fulfilling the mission of the company, which is to advance the advent of sustainable transport and getting costs as low as humanly possible and going down that cost curve. It's just we're in this weird time where profits will suffer because of it. And uh, we also have a macroeconomic environment that is very much recessionary, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, any any parting thoughts before we wrap this up, Matt? Yeah, I saw something in the in the comments that I just uh, wanted to know. So, um, how does your iced coffee still have ice cubes four hours later? What's going on <laughs> so, actually, what's funny is uh, producer wife brought this for me uh, as we were uh, wrapping up the uh, the call. Uh, okay, the earnings call. all right. Yeah, and I've been sipping on it because it is kind of late, six forty, and I shouldn't be drinking caffeine this late because I probably won't be able to to like you know sleep. Oh. So I'm trying not to That's like jolt my to... system producer wife for, for that multitasking you know there was a lot going on there and this has been a marathon so uh yeah seriously well done to, yeah. to producer wife she's killed it can, I, can I think what call her producer wife or is that is that yeah. weird everybody no that's her that's everybody? her name producer okay. wife yeah yeah she doesn't have a name yeah it's producer wife okay i get yelled at so many times in the comments they're like you should call her by her name you're such a misogynist it's so weird like you're such a bad person I'm like, maybe she wanted me to call her that. Have you thought about that, bro? Have you thought about that for once? Uh, but it's yeah, a, we're, we're it's so nice respectful of pronouns these days. You would think that that would be the first question is like, is that is that the name that she exactly. wants? Exactly. Why are you assuming I should be calling her something else, bro? Come on now. Crazy. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude, thank you so much, man. I, this was over four hours of your time. And so thank you so much for uh, for making the time for us. And yeah, man, uh, I appreciate you. I'm sure we'll talk a, a lot in the coming weeks and months. And let's see how this uh, thing unfolds. But where can people find you and Emmett? You want to give them a, a quick uh, pointer to where they can find you? Uh, yeah, so we've got our weekly Good Soil live stream. So it's uh, Tuesdays at uh, 1230 Eastern. Uh, so it's uh, I'm at Matt Chasm, Matt. Don't even try to find it on there. I'm sure there'll be a link in the, in the description. Emmett's at, at Emmett Peppers on Twitter. Uh, I've also been doing a lot of uh, work with uh, Bradford Ferguson lately, too. So I've been doing some stuff with him to the pretty detailed uh, Tesla report with him too. So uh, I'm all over the place these days, but it's, uh, it's exciting times for sure. That's awesome, I only man. wish we'd gone eight more minutes because then it would have been a four hour, 20 minute live stream. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe for Q2, we'll, 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 uh, we'll push a little bit further. <laughs> all, all right, right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Have a great night and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Take it easy, everybody. Bye-bye.